is this? That's right. This is the ultimate life form. Tyrant! <laughs> Chris? <laughs> Stop it! Wesker, you're pitiful. Welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan, and I'm joined here today by my good friend Kevin O'Carroll. Kev. Hey Liam, how you doing? Get get a load of this. Resident oh. Evil. Did I scare you? Oh my god. I think I have I have shot myself. <laughs> That's what we're talking about today. We are going back and talking about the first three Resident Evil games, but a bit of backstory to how we came to this. Uh Kevin and I intermittently over the last year or so yeah. have been playing resident evil 6 online together i think i've played it with you in four different places i've lived this has been an ongoing thing we've been doing and we finished it there like last week and it's often regarded as the worst resident evil but we had it, it is pretty bad but we had a good time with it so when it came to do an episode together again we were like would we just do it on Resident Evil 6? And then we thought, would we do it on Resident Evil's we like instead? Yeah, I think that's kind of a damning indictment of Resident <laughs> Evil 6. That we finished it, we were kind of on a high. We were like, it's not as bad as people say. We had a good time with it. Do you want to talk about it? Absolutely not. <laughs> I think we'll get to it someday. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put it on the back burner for now because this podcast has actually not done a Resident Evil episode yet. So I, I've been wanting to do one for ages because it's one of my favorite franchises. But I have a kind of a, an odd history with it where, no, not that odd, but like it's an integral part of my gaming childhood, as big as any of them. Like it, like I look back in, on the PS1 era when I was a kid, it's huge. But I didn't really play them. They were my brother's games. So kind of shout out to my brother, Dave, who was a mega fan, was and is a mega fan of Resident Evil. And my love for this um series grew from watching him play resident evil games when i was young because i was a too frightened and too confused to buy them <laughs> to, to play yeah. them so i never really finished a resident evil fully on my own until the fourth one with the big action rebrand of the franchise so the, mm-hmm. this original um trilogy were, were games i pick up i play them with friends but i never really put a dent in them what's your, what's kind of your history with uh with these games yeah it's kind of along similar lines i was thinking about it and like my personal history with resident evil is pretty much my personal history with video games with the exception of the mega drive i think Mm -hmm. i've owned a resident evil game on every console that i've had for the past 25 years or so um like i had the that's i'm remembering that i had the second one on n64 and now that i'm saying that out loud i'm not sure if that was a thing it absolutely was. It I was brilliant. Have that. Okay. It might be worth money. Uh, it's probably in a box somewhere at home, yeah. That was considered like super rare. Or like uh, It came out like near the N64's like, life uh, cycle, and it, apparently the graphics were incredible because the N64 usually couldn't do uh, pre-rendered FMVs, whatever you call them. Yeah. And yeah, sell it. <laughs> probably will, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's kind of, it's just been this sort of constant presence that... As long as I've been playing video games, I've yeah. been playing a Resident Evil. I've been looking forward to a Resident Evil, or I've been disgusted with the recent Resident Evil. Yeah, there's kind of um, an up and down peaks and valleys of that franchise where it gets, it's really good. It has a golden era, then it gets bad. And it's kind of constantly doing that now. I think we're, in, we're kind of in the middle of a golden era of Resident Evil right now. For sure. But, uh, and I think there was a golden era as well back in the, the GameCube era. But uh, we're going back to what probably the you know the first golden era, obviously when the when the franchise started. And I um, 
was terrible. We're going to talk about the first, the first three. There, the three yeah. PS One games, but I think I think Resident Evil One at least was ported to the Saturn, so I don't think they're exclusive to PS One games. For, for all yeah. intents and purposes, we're talking about the three PlayStation ones and in our history with them. But and I was uh, terrified of Resident Evil One yeah. <laughs> when I when I when I when it when it came into my house. It just like terrified me, and it's funny it. It kicked off one of my biggest childhood childhood obsessions, which is zombies. <laughs> I, I always have the kind of uh, theory that children actually like really, really like what scares them. You know, yeah. so I was a big Alien fan, the Alien movies, and the Xenomorphs terrified me when I was a kid. But I loved them, and with like Resident Evil, like the 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 classic the zombies are like such an homage to like the Romero zombies, like the Night of the Living Dead, the Dawn of the Dead. But for me, this was my introduction to this movie monster, to zombies. You know. Yeah. I remember you telling me a story, and now I'm thinking about it, I can't remember if you said it to me directly or on a previous episode of this podcast. Is, is, this, how, is this how my friendship is with you now? You can't remember if it's like direct conversations I've had with you or just listening to me? Don't take it personally. <laughs> my mind is just failing in general. Um, <laughs> but you told me that you used to be afraid of the physical disc. Uh, yes. Well, yeah, exactly. Because I watched my brother play it, and the opening, the first time you see that zombie, the first zombie, and it goes into a kind of... Uh, shitty by today's standards cutscene of the zombie eating a person and blood, and he looks back at you and it's i don't know it absolutely terrified me and i kept watching my brother play it and every time do you know when you open a door in a resident evil game it gets into the little door opening cutscene yeah every time that happened i'd like run out of the room because i had it in my head that um you know it'll it would just it would just throw a, a zombie cutscene at me but even though that's not how uh that ha- that worked, you know. There was never a jump out scare. Actually, Resident Evil Two did have a jump out scare. It on, did, on, yeah, on one of those fucking doors. But we'll, I know, again ahead of ourselves here. But yeah, so much so that we had back and then we we had our gaming like in a tiny corner of our kitchen. Like we didn't have a, a room where where all the games were. And the Sega Mega Drive and the PlayStation One were there beside each other. And I wanted to play like Sonic Two or something or something wholesome on the, on the Sega Mega Drive, and I was too frightened of it because the Resident Evil disc was in the PlayStation beside it. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's childhood um, trauma, is what it is. Because I yeah. still, I, I still have, like, you look at it now, and it's aged so bad. Not, not, not aged badly, but it's aged, you know. Yeah. And it's no, just it's... this humorous, funny, ridiculous thing. But I, I, I have a lifelong kind of fear of the space that is Resident Evil One. Yeah, I remember being absolutely terrified of it as well. And like thinking back, I don't remember there ever being like a discussion with my parents about whether or not I should get it. I just <laughs> had it and like probably shouldn't have at that age because I got it, I think at launch. So I would have been maybe seven. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. We would have been about seven. Yeah. Yeah. Just playing it on my own in the dark. Absolutely no, yeah. fucking terrified. I could barely do it when the controller wasn't in my hand. I could barely deal with it, but, it, but it's funny to think of now because it's regarded as this um, accidentally comical thing. Yeah, you know, with the with the ropey voice acting, with the aged graphics, but at the time it was pretty revolutionary. It's not the, it's not the kind of birth of the survival horror genre. I think you have to look at like Alone in the Dark or something like that, or even yeah. the Clock Tower series. But it, it has an interesting origin. I think it, it wasn't wasn't a remake of something in a way, in a in weird way. Yeah, that's one thing that's really interesting about it is that sort of modern day. The Resident Evil franchise has kind of been become synonymous with two things, which is movie adaptations and remakes. Yeah. Now, obviously, the the Resident movies are sort of uniformly and exclusively absolute dog shit. Um, I know. 
that that I don't know. There's, there's some joy. To it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you, but there's there's some there's some yeah. positivity to take away from their existence. Yeah. Okay. So so pleasantly fragrant dog shit. Yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting that that's sort of two of the big things that are associated with the franchise now, because the whole thing kind of starts um, in 1989 with the release of a game called Sweet Home uh, for the Famicom. Alabama. No, no, no just, Alabama, just Sweet Home. This, this was pre-Alabama. <laughs> um, so this game was uh, directed by a guy called uh, Takuru uh, Fujiwara. Um, and it is like a, this horror-themed RPG about a team exploring a creepy mansion. Um, the sort of the narrative is told through a mix of like cutscenes and notes and things scattered around. It's uh, it's heavily focused on like puzzle solving uh, to sort of get your progression. You have limited inventory space, and managing it is like a core part of the gameplay. So these are all elements that would very much become part of what we now know as Resident Evil, but it predates it uh, back to the late 80s. Um, and this game was actually a, a, an adaptation of a Japanese horror movie. So then in the early 90s, uh, this guy Fujiwara, working at Capcom, decided to take another run at Sweet Home, wanted to make a, a newer version of it. With shiny um, 3D graphics. Well, no, actually, it was originally intended for the SNES. Right. Um, so it, it's only then when sort of the PlayStation came along, they realized they could go whole hog and, and try to make it 3D as well. Um, so the project was given to a guy at Capcom called uh, Shinji Mikami, mm-hmm. um, whose previous sort of biggest credit at that point would have been the uh, SNES Aladdin game. Great game. Great game, yeah. Uh, not, <laughs> not to be confused with the Mega Drive one. Two different games. I, I, I've often thought, you know, in, in my quiet moments that can I get hey look listen episode out of the two different uh, aladdin games from the 16-bit era but alas not yet we'll see <laughs> someday we can do it yeah we'll, we'll maybe circle back around to that um <laughs> but can, just on that can you imagine that happening today like two games based on the same ip releasing in the same month on different consoles yeah i know yeah and like it, there was there was already a kind of a rivalry between super nintendo kids and mega drive kids and then and then you had to put aladdin into the mix you know which was a better aladdin and i think there's pros and cons towards both aladdin games but i think i'll always prefer the mega drive one because i grew up with it and it had the original music and the graphics were slightly better but the fully agree but the super nintendo one is probably mechanically better yeah and i think that might be the extent of what i can get out of that for (laughs) for i think if you want you can probably just edit out the previous like minute and release that as a mini episode (laughs) mini episode put it up on tiktok um so basically the story goes that uh shinji mikami was chosen as as the best guy to to lead this project um specifically as a horror project because he was sort of known as just this big old scaredy cat yeah which is hilarious i knew this as as well like it's so funny he's become probably the kind of um auteur horror game designer but his origins are because he was they gave him the job because he he knows what would frighten him because he's a scaredy cat yeah now from what i've read about him it seems that he is big into the horror genre he just is afraid of all of it. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they figured that kind of made him uniquely qualified to make a big 3D horror game. The yeah. kind of the instructions he was given was to just make something that terrifies you. And he took that note and just ran with it. Um, so yeah, the, this remake of Sweet Home eventually ended up becoming what we now know as Resident Evil would have been Biohazard on release yeah. in Japan. Um, so I, can, I find it kind of interesting that like a franchise that is known for its movie adaptations and remakes 
is built off the foundation of a remake of a movie adaptation. Yeah, it's an odd Frankenstein's monster of an origin story, isn't it? Yeah. I think, am I right in saying, like, when they decided that they weren't going to make this a, a Sweet Home remake, they, they needed a new aesthetic? Yeah. And they were just like, um, American action movies. Yeah. That's what we're getting at. All our main characters are going to be these badass, you know, policemen, or whatever you call them. Special tactics and rescue squad. Yeah, and I think that that's really obvious from the um the 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 live action cutscene at the start of of the original. One Resident of the Evil. main reasons why I uh, growing up, why I put the PlayStation disc, uh, sorry, the Resident Evil disc into my PlayStation was to just rewatch the opening cutscene of Resident Evil One, sometimes with friends over and just like laugh. Yeah, it's one of my favorite artifacts of that era <laughs> of gaming. Yeah, the brilliant live action um opening which is just yeah. a classic and if you ever want to um look up a youtuber called justin wang i think his channel is just called wang he did a, a couple of great episodes on um finding where those actors ended up and who they were oh cool it's really yeah they were all um um uh, western people living in japan who spoke who spoke um english and they were living in japan there were i think half of them weren't even actors yeah that shows as you can tell as you can tell, <laughs> you just put it on it's the opening it's the classic resident evil one setup it's uh uh the, the bravo team has gone missing and they have to send the alpha team into the arclay mountains to look for them and they get attacked by zombie dogs out in the field and they have to run into a mansion and it's, it's great and then uh, it yeah. just but all the moments like you know um the only one who's not a main character, Joseph, when he gets killed, and it's just like a, he's like, <gasps> and then it cuts to Jill just standing there going, Joseph, and then they're yeah. shooting at nothing, and there's kind of puppets, and I love when Brad flies off in the helicopter, and then like for a second ago they're all running away from the dogs, but then it cuts them and they're all standing side by side in the field going, no, don't go, and kind yeah. of looking forlornly at the sky. I can't really do it justice. Everyone just needs to watch it on YouTube. It's the best thing ever. It's fantastic. I think there's there's one bit where I think Joseph, before he gets killed, is like trying to shoot dogs with a shotgun, and he like <laughs> he pumps and mimes shooting three times, but they only edited in one gunshot sound. <laughs> Pretty much every moment and every shot of that is ridiculous, and yet at the time it fucking terrified me. Yeah, but, but what's great about it as well is that, and it's so funny because it's kind of a thing I want to talk about in terms of like Resident Evil's aesthetic as uh, or its reputation as one of like the you know the seminal horror games. But it's aesthetic always kind of fought against being true horror because yeah. they almost like they wanted to kind of make a kind of an action movie, but kind of wrap it around the, the horror genre. And I think nothing is more emblematic of that, of how when that cutscene ends, it goes cast. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and there's this rundown of all the main characters with this fucking action music playing. And it's just like Chris Redfield. And he's standing there and again, like, Albert Wesker, he's combing, he's ha- slicking his hair back with a comb. Yeah. And it's not like, it's no Silent Hill. <laughs> you know, in terms of building atmosphere for a, a good a horror story yeah yeah it is utterly daft the, the whole thing is up <laughs> on youtube and like you said i would fully recommend if you haven't played the game in a while it's worth going back to if you've never played it even if you've no interest in playing it just watch this cutscene. it is fantastic and, and and then the game starts and you get yeah. creepy, creepy text on the screen and then then you get the graphic and you get just like I know it's like famously bad and it's like dated, but it, everything about it is so PS one. You know, yeah. for me, it's just like it, it's the most PS one thing ever. The sound effects, the kind of or lack thereof. Yeah. Kind of want to talk about it. Like, is Resident Evil accidentally or purposefully super atmospheric uh, with its uses of silence? 
Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know. Is it is it a limitation of yeah, I, the design, or was it intentional? I couldn't say, but it definitely works. Just the the, the clock in the ticking clock. The, like there's the, yeah. the screens with no music. The footprints. Uh, sorry, the footsteps. And then of course, like we gotta talk about the voice acting. You know. Yeah. Oh, I, usually, I usually played it as Jill, so you can play as either Chris Redfield or Jill Valentine, and that's essentially kind of normal and easy mode. Mm. Uh, it's actually more more interesting than that because uh, yeah, Jill has kind of more item space, and she gets a lock pick as she can um, unlock some doors that Chris can't. But it's also uh, narratively different. It's actually a really cool setup. Uh, if you're going to make kind of easy and normal mode, that's like a, a really cool way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It was it it rewards people if they finish the easy mode and want to go back and try the harder version that they do get yeah. a different experience as well. You know, Chris doesn't start with a gun; he just has a knife and stuff like that. You know, it's, uh, but um, I just always used to play as Jill usually because she was easy mode. So I just remember as soon as that game starts, it's like, no, don't open that door. <laughs> but Chris is. What was that? <laughs> and then later on, it's just like you and Barry are investigating. What is it? Blood. I hope this isn't Chris's blood. <laughs> Jill, yeah. why don't you see if you can find any more clues? I'm going to study this. <laughs> I just fucking love it, man. Yeah. I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, and the, uh, the, the infamous Jill sandwich line. Yeah, yeah you, almost, I'm a, you almost got turned into a Jill sandwich. Or a Jill, take this lockpick. After all, you are the master of unlocking. I think they're all staff for Capcom America. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's what was unearthed years later that there was like, there was no voice actors hired. They were just whoever was working over in the, the, the Capcom America. And yeah, and yeah, you, we're, you, we're de- you, you wouldn't you wouldn't change it. Like <laughs> yeah, I mean we're definitely not dealing with the, uh, the the Ashley Johnson and Troy Baker of their day. You know, <laughs> we're not breaking out the A team here. They're not Alpha team. You know. Alpha team, but what's so interesting? Because I don't want to just talk about Resident Evil One and make fun of it. There's a lot to make fun of, but as a game, it's actually a really good game. Yes, it's very difficult, but it's very good. And it and and I'm talking both in terms of its um its its game design, in terms of its like its level structure and its puzzles, and I'm also talking about just as a a very kind of uh, important step in um game development in terms of um, entering like the world of 3d games and a bit more atmosphere i think it's one of the important ones from that era yeah absolutely i think it's um it, it, it's something we've we've both mentioned already is that it, it is kind of dated by modern yeah. standards actually it got it got quite dated quite quickly but it was very innovative in their use of sort of 3d character models um against like a, a fixed 2d background yeah. using like fixed camera angles to give a real sense of the space that you were in, but doing it in a way that was, you know, worked within the confines of the, the technology they had at the time, you know? Yeah, and it's uh, the mansion is one of the all-time greatest gaming settings, surely. Absolutely, hands down, yeah. And I, it wasn't called the Spencer Mansion yet. I think it got that name in its remake. I could be wrong there. Resident Evil fans, uh, right in at P.O. Box. No, I, I think so. No, I you're right. Think, yeah. yeah, I don't think it was called Spencer Mansion yet, but uh, regardless, uh, let's just call it Spencer Mansion. Um, it's just so iconic. And it's such a difficult space to navigate and to unfurl it like a, like a like a game long puzzle, you know. Yeah, that that is the the interesting thing is that it's a game where you complete a series of puzzles to progress, but the overarching puzzle is simply navigating the space that you're confined in, you know. Yeah, there's the mansion, and then later on you're out you're out in a courtyard, right? Yeah, there's a courtyard. There's some like 
guest house cave, building or something. House, yeah, with yeah. giant spiders there. And mm-hmm. there is like a, a lab, a cave and stuff like that. But yeah, that's that's the thing we didn't talk about in terms of um the, the, the type of horror that Resident Evil is. And like, yeah. it's not... um. It's not Silent Hill. It's not psychological. No, it's it's big. It's zombies. It's giant spiders. It's very B movie stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like you said earlier that it didn't create the survival horror genre. But I yeah. think that I think the term was coined for this game. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So what to you, Liam, are kind of the tenets of survival horror? What makes a survival horror game? It's dogs jumping through windows. Mm-hmm. No, no, but that, but that is one of the most iconic moments. In this, that, that's that. But no, it's um, Kev, it's um, item management. It's inventory management. It's a, a lack of ammo a, or an overabundance of ammo. So it's making every shot count. And outside of that, it's having um, having to juggle all that while also trying to navigate a world that's essentially a big puzzle. Yeah, that's getting keys and learning where to use the keys. And in Resident Evil 1, and all the Resident Evils are going to be talking about, any old Resident Evil as well, to the, uh, they kind of hammered this down to the point where saving your game is a, is a mechanic. Yeah. You can't save your game unless you have an item called an ink ribbon. You need to take it to a typewriter. So if you play badly, you're suddenly at a kind of point where you might not be able to save your game. So I, I think that's a bit harsh, but uh, kind of iconic. But yeah, yeah. That, that, that's what I think. It's all those things. It's... it's it, I don't call it a survival horror unless, you know, I'm running out of ammo or yeah. I'm running back to a place to grab an item or I'm figuring out where to use an item. If, if it doesn't have that, it's just horror. Yeah, absolutely. And so would you think that uh, games like Soma or Outlast, you know, these these first-person horror games where there wouldn't necessarily be item management or even weapons of any kind, would you see those as the sort of spooky walking sims? Are yeah. they a different, a different thing? So. They're a different thing, and it's not that's not a bad thing. I mean, there's room for different genres, and and the unfortunate thing is that um, gaming genres in general were just kind of you know haphazardly named as the culture of gaming grew, and they're all kind of bad. Like yeah. a JRPG and an RPG, you know, essentially means like a Japanese role playing game or a role playing game. But you know, I know though I know those two genres to be completely different, and their yeah. names don't really kind of uh, summarize what they are. And I think yeah, I for me. Yeah, those games are not survival horror games. For me, like you can't just tack on survival horror onto any game with a horror theme. Yeah. Uh, so uh, survival horror is Resident Evil. It's uh, Silent Hill. It's something like uh, Alien Isolation to get a more mo- kind of modern one. You know. Yeah, for sure. I think I, I'd, I'd agree with everything you said there. I think the you don't have to. Well, I, I did. Okay, but just let you know it's on record. Not a, that's not a. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for me the big point of what would delineate uh, specifically a survival horror game from other kinds of horror games is what you mentioned with the um, sort of inventory management type stuff. I think that's key. I think it's having limited resources and having limited space to deal with those resources is a key part of it. Um, But I do think the term inventory management when describing a game mechanic, if someone hasn't played these games, (laughs) has to sound like just tedious busy work well it's very marmite-ish isn't it yeah especially when you go back to these old games i can understand uh players frustrations with you know finding a key item like here's a key you need but you don't have any space in your um your inventory so you've got to run back to a box and you know do some item shuffling but uh that's part of it you know yeah that's part of it for me 
yeah, it's absolutely part of it. It's it's forcing you to make the decision, like, do you want to bring that one extra clip of ammo? Yeah. Or do you risk leaving that slot in your inventory open so you can pick up an item and risk getting caught out by four zombies and not having the bullets to take them down, you know? Yeah, and then, yeah, then the other thing is, like, you know, either by either by the game's difficulty or the fact that you're frightened by it, as a lot of people would be playing it, is, is then you have to juggle all that while being in a space you don't want to be in. So yeah. You often have to backtrack through places. And um, Resident Evil 1 um, is harsher than probably any Resident Evil game that comes after it in terms of um, it, it balancing. So you yeah. really can kind of fuck yourself up and put yourself in a corner if you haven't been using um, your... If you've been maybe overusing guns and stuff like that. And you kind of have to leave enemies alive in Resident Evil 1. You have to leave this corridor with a zombie in it. You have to, or later on when you're fighting worse monsters like hunters and stuff like that, you, you, well, you better kill all the hunters actually. But yeah, I'm, just yeah. say, I'm just saying, I'm just saying a part of what makes a survival horror, survival horror, what makes old Resident Evil, old Resident Evil is that it's not just having to backtrack and kind of get lost and try to figure out where you're going next. It's doing those things while being in hostile spaces and while being frightened and not wanting to be there. And that's kind of what sets it apart from like, if I'm playing a game, like Outlast uh, or something like that, which is more kind of a linear walking slim horror game. And I have been frightened by those games, but I've said this in the podcast before. What really scares me about these type of horror games is is that aspect of it, is is the ability to do it wrong, the ability to have to be, yeah. the, 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 the purpose to have to be careful the entire time, you know? If I don't have ammo to look after, I just feel much more powerful, you know? And you don't want to be empowered in a horror game, I don't think. Yeah, big time. And I think that is one of the things that i take issue with with some of the resident evil games is sometimes by the time the third act rolls around yeah, you can true. feel too powerful yeah I, I think i think that's that's definitely true that's definitely correct i think the best ones might have a kind of um up and down with it you know yeah i mean i remember for this podcast replaying dead space and i, I think that's like a, that's very old now but for me that would be a more, a more modern um example of the genre and i thought that actually did that expertly of having kind of moments where i had a lot of ammo and feeling powerful but then putting me into scenarios where i'd have to use a lot of it and going through yeah. maybe an hour of gameplay where i was struggling and i think that's a good kind of because you don't want to i don't know I, I don't think developers want people to turn off the game either you know out of, yeah. out of frustration or out of despair so i think that's a good thing but i don't think resident evil 1 has that resident evil 1 is actually the original PS1 one now is actually very harsh in terms of that kind of thing. And you're you're not likely to feel very powerful in it, I don't think, because of just the, the demands of the game and the, and the eventual... Like, so, so how the game is structured is you leave the mansion for a while to go to other places. And when you come back, the zombies have essentially been replaced by stronger enemies called hunters, which are... What are they? Frog men? Lizards? Yeah. Lizard, lizard boys? Some and, kind of And they can lop things. your they can lop your head off at one swing. So they are they are very very frightening <laughs> so i think later resident evils would uh balance that better yeah but at the same time there's there's something to be had about resident evil one being you know <laughs> what's the most what's the what's the what's the most horrific thing you can do make a game that's fucking deadly you know <laughs> just make it really yeah. hard and then combine that with fixed camera angles and the the infamous oh, tank controls yes yeah i forgot we, I, I gotta talk about that the controls i have really fond memories of playing this game with my friend pan noonan and he just could not get his head around the controls at first. And it was really funny watching him fight the first zombie. And he literally couldn't even walk forward. He'd yeah. be like backing, revert, like reversing his guy, like, oh God, <laughs> reversing his character away. Tank controls, yeah. for people who know, is essentially kind of a, a style of a, a control scheme that was kind of popularized by Resident Evil, which means no matter what way you're facing up on the controller is forward. 
and you've got to kind of turn your character laboriously with left and right and then press up to move forward. So it's kind of more like character kind of controls more like a tank or a vehicle than a, than, a, than an actual human. Yeah. And like I said, combining that with the, the fixed camera angles that will have like breakpoints where if you reach a certain point, the camera will cut to the next view. I like I like the fixed cameras of World Wars Needle Games, though. I think no, I do. A, yeah, there's a certain degree of it being directed and uh, trying to be a bit nasty, uh, trying to obscure your view at, at crucial moments. You know. Yeah, I, I love all that. It's it's specifically how the tank controls interact with the <laughs> the change of camera angle, especially if it happens while you're in combat, is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> yeah, you shoot yeah you you shoot your shotgun and the whole animation takes you through two camera angles back and forth because your character is like jerking <laughs> slightly back into the other camera. Yeah. I suppose it's worth touching briefly on the plot of the game. Um, plot? Resident Evil, <laughs> Resident Evil games have plot? Yeah, that's does basically the point. Whole, does it have this whole interconnected, you know, decades of lore that people seem to care about? I don't believe it. Yeah, Wikipedia tells me that it does. I haven't seen much evidence of it in the games. Ah, look, I, I'm, I'm only joking. I love the Resident Evil story and characters, but it is a bit shite. Yeah. But that's kind of part of it. Like it's part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah. Um it's kind of I suppose the, the, the overarching plot of the whole thing is that there's this biotech firm called Umbrella that have developed a virus that turns people into zombies and the virus has accidentally gotten out, except maybe it's not an accident, maybe oh. it's a conspiracy, and it kind of even even in that first game very early on, it devolves into that sort of, you know, the really easy, like, route one obvious conclusion where a lot of zombie media ends up where it's like, what if people are the real monsters? <laughs> what if people are the Resident Evil? <laughs> yeah. And and you just instantly, like, no, the monsters are the monsters. Focus on them, you know? The real, what Resident Evil 1 teaches us is that the, what the real monster is, is people who wear sunglasses indoors. Actually, I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's, that's a good message. That's the message. So I suppose we've touched on a lot of things that we both liked and disliked about the first game. Um, particularly what's come up a lot is how it has aged. Um, and we mentioned that, you know, it not only is it aged by today's standards, but it kind of aged pretty quickly. You did, even back in the 90s, yeah. Yeah, um, and we're not alone in thinking this. Uh, Shinji Mikami also had that opinion, which is why in 2002, he did a remake. For the Nintendo GameCube. <laughs> Resident Evil had, a, or Capcom had a deal going on with Nintendo at the time, and they were um, making a lot of games that were just for on Nintendo consoles, which is so odd, looking back at it, you know, that the Resident Evil 1 remake was uh, was a GameCube exclusive. I've talked about this game before on this podcast, I think, and I, I did a written thing on, uh, I did Top 20 GameCube games on Instagram, mm-hmm. if anyone wants to look at that. Uh, but Kev, you and I have a, a, a nice shared history with it. Yeah, absolutely. We um... if, if people know, hey, look, listen, lore, <laughs> they'll know that I boofed my leg a few years ago. <laughs> I, yeah. I done gummed up my leg a few years ago. and I You boofed it of, so bad, buddy. I, I boofed it so bad I had to bring my bed downstairs and my leg was completely green and I was in a cast. Uh, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, during that time I played a lot of games and one of the things was that my good buddy Kev used to call over with some beer mm-hmm. and we decided to just play a bunch of Resident Evil games together because like I said, I used to watch my brother play them when I was young. So even though I put big dents on it in a few of them, I hadn't actually finished any of them um, like before Resident Evil 4. I hadn't actually finished any of them. 
and I still haven't technically since I, I did it with you. But yeah, we'd drink cans and we'd like yeah. pass the controller back and forth and we'd play um we play them together and it to to kind of date that thing, I think we were listening to a lot of Childish Gambino Redbone at the time as well. That makes sense. And <laughs> also the, the the Final Fifth Final Fantasy fifteen soundtrack. That's right. We were both really into Final Fantasy fifteen at the time and we're yes, yeah. God, to to be young again yeah. in, in our late twenties. <laughs> but but yes, and um we played um, a bunch of. We actually, the next three games, uh, the next we played Resident Evil Two and Resident Evil Three together as well. But we played the Resident Evil One remake together, and uh, I genuinely think it's one of the most perfect games ever made. Without hyperbole, it's it's a masterpiece. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree with you. It is one of my all time favorite games. I think it, it is your it is your favorite Resident Evil, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, mine is four. Mine is Resident Evil 4, but my second yeah. is Resident Evil 1 Remake. I think that is the duality of man right there. Yeah, it's it's a point that I have labored over with you previously that I will agree, I think, in principle, that Resident Evil 4 is the best video game with Resident Evil in the title, but it's not the best Resident Evil game. Yeah, I'll allow it. You know, usually when you say that to me, to my face, I just spit spit on you, but like, you know, yeah. right now on the podcast, I'll be respectful. I appreciate it. But yeah, go on. You love this game. Go on. Why is it? Why is it? What did it? What did it change? What did it improve upon the first one? Do you think? What's the key? A lot. It it basically took everything that the first game had done right and amplified that, while kind of papering over a lot of the cracks that were there originally. First and foremost, and most dramatically, I think it's the visuals. Um, still look amazing. To still point. look so good. Particularly there was that uh, that HD re-release. Yeah. Um, was that did that originally went on PS3, PS4, four, whatever? Four. Yeah, mm-hmm. that HD re-release is absolutely gorgeous. Still, it um they still use the the 3D models over the 2D rendered backgrounds, but they've just sort of. I think it's lighting. Is it lighting is exactly it. There's, there's this sort of the fact that there are 2D rendered backgrounds. They they they're lit like 3D spaces. Yeah, there's this really high contrast between light and shade that kind of really gives a sense of 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 depth to the the presentation it, it like it really draws you in um they also use like 3d animations over the 2d background for things like running water and stuff um and it helps that just sort of the the art style and art direction of the game are impeccable like the 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 visual design of it is absolutely stunning yeah the original resident evil because it's on the ps1 is just the, the, the mansion is just so kind of flatly lit and kind yeah. of bare and just kind of, you know, and, but this one is just like, um, it feels like you've wandered into a mansion in the middle of the night, you know, it's, and then it's really atmospheric and quite scary. And the sound design is also fantastic in it. Yeah, it is excellent. Um, they've also improved the control scheme, which was a big step up. Um, well, they, they improved it tenfold in the PS4 um, re-release of a Kev. Yeah. They actually got rid of tank controls. But if you played this back in the GameCube, it still had the tank controls. I thought, did it not have... Was there not a thing where you could like hold down R and move freely with the analog? I don't think so. No? Am I misremembering that? All right. Maybe not. Now, see, this is in any time in life, anytime anyone kind of challenges me in any way, I lose all my confidence. <laughs> so who knows so who knows yeah i'll defer to your judgments anyway well anyway the the tank controls are gone by the time you get to the version that's available today anyway yes and it plays Um, much better it plays much better it's so good but they kind of it's it's an example of a remake that clearly knew what had worked with the first game and knew how to like drill down into that to get the most out of it they reworked a lot of the puzzles in the game 
to make them a bit more engaging. They've expanded the mansion itself. There's more some more areas. Um, in terms of the like the plot of it, uh, we mentioned earlier that the, the Spencer Mansion wasn't called the Spencer Mansion in the first game, but this is where they, they've introduced a little bit of lore about that. Yeah, the background of who, who owned the mansion, um, why it's designed like a bunch of puzzles. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's something that shows up in pretty much every Resi game is that the locations make absolutely no sense um, and i appreciate that they made like at least a passing attempt to try and yeah. hand wave it away by explaining it's this mad architect guy <laughs> yeah um i think that's that's something we'll get back to in relation to resident evil 2 as well is mm-hmm. just bonkers location design um but the, the sort of the main reason that i love the remake of one so much is one mechanical change that they made with regards to the enemy design. That's the introduction of the Crimson Heads. Yeah, and it's one of the best innovations in the game and also one of the worst because it scares me. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it genuinely, it, it's fantastic, but it makes the game so much more nerve-wracking to play, I think. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. So for anyone who's not uh, familiar with it, the, the way it works is sort of similar to the original game. You're exploring the mansion, you're running into zombies, you're conserving your ammo, but you're trying to kill them as much as possible. The difference is that after you kill a zombie in the remake, the body stays on the ground. And over the course of playing the game, you're going to have to backtrack to get items. You're going to back, back through rooms multiple times. And when enough time has passed or when you've been back through a location enough times, that zombie will reanimate as a crimson head um just like a a faster stronger more aggressive zombie mm-hmm. that are frankly an absolute fucking nightmare to deal with um especially if you leave a lot of uh, dead zombies around yeah and you kind of completely gum up your own game <laughs> yeah crimson so heads. you you can avoid a zombie turning into a crimson head in kind of three ways um you can kill the zombie with a headshot Mm-hmm. which is all well and good, but requires careful aiming. And if you miss, that's a wasted bullet in a game where bullets are at a premium at all times. Um, you can take the zombie down normally, but then after he's dead, you can burn the corpse. But that, again, requires a resource. You have limited gasoline available. And specifically, there isn't enough gasoline in the game to, to burn every, every zombie, zombie course. Yeah. So you have to choose which ones. If this, is some, if this is some side room that you've completed the puzzle in, and you're probably not going to pass through it. Maybe just leave that zombie in that room, turn into a crimson head. But if it's a corridor, you're going to pass through a bunch of times while you're navigating the mansion. Maybe yeah. burn those things. You need to. You're constantly um, having to make these choices. Yeah, and I suppose the third option is something that you mentioned earlier: is that you can try to run just past run past them. Just run past them. Yeah, that's yeah. completely viable in every Resident Evil game. In fact, it's essential sometimes. Yeah. And it's it, it also nerve wracking because you like it, 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 you know you've left a crimson head in this room and you don't want to waste the ammo to kill him. And just every time I have to go back through that room, I just kind of get a kind of a stomach lurch. I'm just like, oh god, yeah. I gotta go back through here now. Yeah. It's, I know it's I've such, left Evelyn here. <laughs> it's such a such a genius little twist because it's it's you know it's a small thing, but it 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 affects the entire sort of gameplay loop. Where yeah, you, your usual play is like find ammo, kill zombies progress find more ammo kill more zombies but this adds a sort of a layer of decision to every single zombie you encounter we have to think do i have enough ammo to kill him but you're also thinking on top of that like how often am i going to be coming back through here do i have the gasoline to spare to burn him should i try risk going for the headshot am i better off just avoiding him it means every single encounter with every you know basic enemy suddenly becomes this decision that could have ramifications and knock-on effects throughout the rest of the game yeah, and there's more, and there's stuff like 
they just put a door in the game that breaks after you use it a certain amount of times. So yeah, you're going to strategically decide how many times you're going to use that door. And, and if it breaks, you have to take a longer route uh, around the mansion to get where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's a this nightmare. <laughs> it is it is a nightmare, but it's a fantastic one. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It basically it turns the the basic gameplay, the basic combat gameplay into a resource management puzzle that you have to solve. Where you're like, mm. do I have enough bullets? Do I have enough gasoline? Do I have enough time? And it it turns navigating the mansion itself into it's like it's like playing a game of snake on a rubik's cube you're, yeah you're, yeah you're it's constantly the, like twisting and turning your mental map to work out not only what is like the fastest route between two points but what's the safe route yeah. like are you better off going upstairs taking a different corridor coming back down from the other side to avoid a corridor that you might have left two crimson heads in so you're constantly aware of the space and your place in it it, yeah, it remains Resident Evil's greatest bit of level design, I think. Absolutely. Um, and, like, there are obviously other locations here. Um, oh, yeah. The, you know, again, the, the guest house, the caves, the, the now obligatory underground lab. Gotta have um, an underground lab in a Resident Evil game. You yeah. can get your money's worth. But um, it is really the Spencer Mansion that that sort of first main area is where the game absolutely sings. Um, it's it's on all platforms now, I think. It's regularly on sale for under 10 bucks. If anyone listening to this has any interest in playing a survival horror game and hasn't played a Resident Evil, get this one. You will yes, not regret it. That's the one. Yeah, to play, to, to play the best example of a classic Resident Evil game, it is the Resident Evil 1 remake. The original Resident Evil... Um, one of the main reasons the remake got made was because the first game sold like gangbusters. Yeah. It was an absolute juggernaut when it came out. I believe it was for a time the top selling PlayStation game. Right. Um, it sold something like 4 million copies in its first year, which by modern standards is pretty good. But for 1996 yeah. is bonkers numbers i just remember everyone talking about it as well it was one of yeah. those games it just felt like a cultural moment uh we didn't have many, you don't have many when you're a kid so you really remember all of them you know yeah yeah and i think it's it's off the back of numbers like that it was kind of inevitable that it was going to get a sequel resident evil 2 immaculate well done i just love when he does that i love when he pauses and then says the thing but yes let's move on to resident evil 2 the Second Resident Evil game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love not, this game. Yeah, but not chronologically the second one. Uh, is it not? Is Resident Evil Three set before it? Zero. Oh, zero. I was about to like say, isn't three set in the same time as two? But then it is. Yeah, zero and zero. So Resident Evil is the second Resident Evil game chronologically. Yeah. Resident Evil Two um, is the third. But luckily, we're not talking about zero. Yes. In this in this episode, because I don't want to. Yeah, because it is fine at best. It's, yeah, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Resident Evil Two, Kevin. I think. Um, I think for a lot of people, I think the Spencer. I, I think you and I might um, have a conversation about how the Spencer Mansion and the setting of Resident Evil One and the Jill Valentine, the Chris Redfield, the Albert Wesker mm. is kind of the iconic Resident Evil thing. But I think for a lot of people, Resident Evil Two is the iconic Resident Evil game. Yeah, absolutely. You see a, a lot of discussion online a lot of people would hold resi 2 up as kind of the pinnacle of this era of resi and i'm gonna um, straight out, i'm gonna i'm gonna begin by straight out saying that when we, when we played this um when i bo- boofed my leg years yeah. ago 
my main take, one of my main kind of observations after finishing it is, I'm going to go right in with this, Kev. Do it up. Is that it's sort of the easiest Resident Evil game. It's sort of, it's sort of the least complicated level-wise, level design-wise. It, it, it definitely nothing nearly as taxing as, as stuff you have to juggle in Resident Evil One and getting around that mansion. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit more kind of um, action focus, even though it's very much a survival horror game. It has kind of even more DNA of a block action movie blockbuster in it. Yet, yeah. yet, yet, you take every single element of that game, though—the characters, the setting, the music—you know, it, it's. Mm. There's a reason why it's iconic. It it is kind of just a perfect storm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, um, and uh, I think maybe a reason that it has this sort of actionier feel is that um, uh, Shinji Mikami, the creator of the first game, didn't actually direct this one. Yeah, that's right. And um, I think I believe who who directed it again? Uh, Hideki Kamiya. Yeah, and he actually did want to make more of kind. Of, he he was more interested in action stuff, wasn't he? He went on to yeah. make Devil May Cry eventually, right? Yeah, Devil May Cry, yeah. Beautiful Joe, uh, yeah. Okami. Yeah. He was one of the co-founders of Platinum Games. He made the Bayonetta games, so action is very much his forte. Mm. But it's not like that. That kind of I, we're not kind of trying to paint it that it feels like an action game. It doesn't. No. but it's very happy to have more kind of set PC moments and kind of uh, like I said, um, it, like obviously there's areas to kind of that feel like big puzzles again but they're smaller and much kind of more manageable than uh the the mansion in resident evil one yeah absolutely um so i suppose the the setting of the game this time around um is it takes place sort of shortly after the events of the first game uh within raccoon city itself the the city that the team in the first game had been dispatched from um and the the zombie virus has reached the city and the populace have fallen to the zombie plague and you're in this sort of not quite post-apocalyptic but mid-apocalyptic setting as the city has fallen to pieces around you um and you play as either claire redfield who is the sister of chris from the first game or as everyone's favorite leon s kennedy (laughs) stop projecting kev (laughs) yeah (laughs) i remember Um, i remember when this started popping up in magazines and in previews and stuff of that and uh, the whole idea of it being said in raccoon city itself was just so exciting yeah and i think it's a game that didn't quite live up to that i think if you think of playing a classic resident evil game that's set within the streets of raccoon city you were more kind of looking at resident evil 3 mm-hmm. and i think i think that might have been like a correction on their part because i think a lot of people thought resident evil 2 would be more set on, on the city streets and that would be kind of um one of its selling points but it's not you very quickly get put into kind of very resident evil locations and at the time there might have been a, a tad bit of disappointment f- from that with me like you begin the game on the streets and then you're kind of off it very yeah. quickly but i don't really care anymore because if the spencer mansion is the most iconic resident evil location then the second most iconic resident evil location must be the raccoon city police precinct right yeah absolutely it's um it's another sort of puzzle box location in a similar yeah. vein to the spencer mansion one that makes even less sense as a puzzle box because yeah. it's supposed to be uh... yeah like it's supposed to be like a municipal building it's it's, it's a police department <laughs> move the statue to get the red jewel yeah, <laughs> so I'm that just... you can get into the break room for your lunch yeah i'm just just imagining like a, a lawyer arriving to like represent his client it's like how do you get <laughs> how do i get down to the holding cells oh it's easy you just you know switch the eyes in the statue and push the pedestal <laughs> over you know go down da- go down one set of stairs up another uh, so, you know, third cell on the right, watch out for the liquor, you know? <laughs> yeah, before it became like a zombie hello, that must have been a nightmare of a place to work in. But it's um, it's smaller than the Spencer Mansion, but it is like the best part of that game. And 
I think another another thing that must be kind of said about Resident Evil 2 as well is that it introduced like the liquors. Yeah. Which I think need to be singled out. Other than actual zombies, are they like the best Resident Evil monster? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is down to the immaculate way the liquors are introduced. Yeah, when you see one through gameplay crawl across a window first. Yeah. Then you have and to fucking the, walk forward going, oh God, what's that? What was it, that? It's one of the best examples of, of how the the games use the fixed camera angles to force yeah. you to push forward. As in, you you know there's something horrible up ahead, but it's not you can't spin the camera around to try to get a look at it. <laughs> you have to walk your character forward across the you know the breakpoint or the threshold where you can't see what's up ahead, but you know the camera's going to flick and it's going to show you something terrible, and then it does. And it's a brain Fantastic. monster with a big tongue. Yeah. The kind of um, uh, evolution of the idea from Resident Evil 1. So in Resident Evil 1, you chose uh, you could chose to be Chris Redfield or Jill Valentine. Like we said, that was a kind of easy normal mode, but it also changed the story in, um, in various ways. It changed what characters you meet, uh, it changes the order of some things. Um, Resident Evil 2 took that even further, and it, it, it came on two discs. And one disc, one disc was the Leon disc, and one disc was the Claire disc. So depending on which one you put in, that's how you chose your character, which was, I know, maybe um, being excited about multiple discs is a very 90s thing, but I was always very excited about games with multiple discs, so it just felt so yeah. huge. Absolutely, yeah. That's uh, something I always loved with the, the Final Fantasy games. Is Yeah, yeah, finishing oh. a disc in Final Fantasy game felt like ending like yeah. a, a book, like if, if the first book done, you know, or something, you know. Yeah. But, um. They have differences in their stories as well. Um, Claire meets a young, annoying Moppet, Sherry Birkin, has kind of protected <laughs> child. Um, Leon meets um, Resident Evil fucking sex icon 801, <laughs> whatever yes. way you, you want to say it. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. I, actually, sorry, Leon is, is Resident Evil sex icon, and Ada is just a wannabe. But, yeah, um, Ada is more of a fucking <laughs> charisma vacuum. <laughs> We were just, I know, I we were playing Resident Evil 6 recently, Kevin and I, and we sometimes we were drunk playing it online together. And I, we we just got so angry at how Resident Evil wants us to be attracted to Ada. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's honestly, it's like it's like a teenage boy's idea of a sexy spy. I just, I'm not a big fan of her. I'm not, she's not my favorite character. Um, no. I don't know. I'm sorry, that, that derailed. But what, <laughs> but what I want to say is the interesting thing in this one is, yeah, there was a difference in their stories. But the really cool thing is that if you finish the game with one character and then if you play it as the other character, that ends up being what they call the B game. And that ends up being what that character was doing while there are two stories, storylines side by side. Yeah, rather than being two different ways to experience variations on one plot, it's two different plots that kind of run side by side and eventually meet up again. I think it's the yeah. coolest thing about Resident Evil 2. And then you can kind of decide kind of it's basically who gets the A game and who gets the B game, isn't it? Yeah. I, I don't know. What, what, what Have you landed on what? which is the best way to do that? I think it's Claire A, Leon B. Yeah, I think so. Um, is that something you mind, no? It, it sure, doesn't, doesn't bother me. I'm sure there's a Resident Evil discussion happening online right now, yeah. angrily protesting one, one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there is a, a canonical version yeah, as well. I'm sure there is. I, 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 I cannot make myself care. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then you have like uh, we didn't even talk about the kind of some of the iconic bosses from Resident Evil One. Like, there's a oh, giant yeah. plant. Yeah, but uh, Plant Forty Two, Plant <laughs> Forty Two. There's a big old shark in the remake. But I love the ones in Resident Evil Two. I love William Birkin. 
Yeah. Uh, who's uh, the mad scientist villain who's slowly mutating into a gigantic eye monster that you fight. Yeah. You fight in different stages throughout the game of his transformation. Yeah, it's great. Great monster design, all right. It's um, yeah. some Cronenbergian body horror type stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, there's uh, Mr. X, mm-hmm. who's in the B game, who is a big hulking guy in a trench coat who hassles you a few times. He has some great moments, like seeing him walk towards the security camera and yeah. punching it out and then knowing uh, that he's in like basically one room over and he's after you. But uh, I think he'll be more relevant when we talk about the remake in a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was kind of the seed of the idea is there in the original game, but it's fleshed out much better in the remake. Um, yeah. And it, it it's an idea that shows up in three, really in three, three. and yeah. I suppose in seven as well, to a degree. Yeah, like kind of every um, Resident Evil game uh, post Resident Evil Seven has had it in some capacity. I'm sure I suppose Eight does as well. With, um, eight does as well with Big Vampire Mummy. Big Vampire Mummy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're old Resident Evil games today. Old Resident Evil games. My sort of main slash kind of only problem with Two is mm-hmm. it's the same one that I have with the first game, but it's just way more pronounced. Is that the game has its sort of puzzle box area and is never quite as good afterwards. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, it's true. Everything after the precinct is not as good. It's not bad. Nope, not bad at all, but it's just, it's not as good. And I think I quite like the lab at the end, for example. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Particularly in the remake. I know we'll get onto that, but I think. Yeah. Well, the re- uh, well, actually, Kev, let's just do it now. Because yep. I've always said that's one of my um, biggest negatives with, with the Resident Evil 2 remake is that it, uh, it kind of it, even more pronounced than the original that after you get out of the precinct, the game is just isn't as good. But it's far from bad. Yeah. But I think Resident Evil Two is an excellent remake, if only because it doesn't overshadow the original. It's just kind of a different version of it, a different aspect of it. It's, you get you get a different experience from it. Because I think yeah. some people out there thought it was sacrilegious that you have uh, a remake of a classic Resident Evil game and they changed the fixed camera controls. You know, they'd yeah. actually put it behind Leon's shoulder, which changes the entire game. And there's maybe a part of me as well that thought maybe you're kind of losing one of the kind of most charming aspects of those old games, you know. But playing the game, it's not really the case at all. It just it just changes it very much, but it, it, it changes it. I'm not even going to say for the better, but it just makes it a whole different experience. Yeah, absolutely. It's the that sort of over-the-shoulder camera angle that I suppose was introduced really in 4 um it just brings it brings you closer to the action as the player you know because you're right up there with leon or claire so that when you get swarmed by zombies it's not something that's happening at an angle from a fixed camera you know it's coming at you and it just sort of it ratchets up the tension in a way that is like just excellent the, the the precinct is even better than it was in the original game. I'm not really up for pitting the two against each other. You know, I think Resident Evil Two will always be a classic, and I think its remake is just a perfect remake. So I don't see the reason to kind of you know decide which is better. But I will say that the precinct section of Resident Evil Two is an absolute masterpiece, and it's the closest the series has ever gotten to kind of recapturing the Spencer Mansion from the Resident Evil One remake. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, you you have things you have to worry about now. You have um, an influx of zombies that can enter the precinct through windows so you have to board up certain windows but uh, of course you don't have enough um, wood to block up every window yeah and then you have mr x and you have mr x and that is an absolute masterstroke. it's kind of 
there's there's a weird kind of um, I'm kind of in a weird position of thinking about Mr. X as a mechanic. He's essentially a big hulking guy in a trench coat who hunts you through yeah. the precinct. Uh, he does. He's not there um, initially, but after you get a certain part in the game, the precinct, he's now hunting you um, continuously. And um, it could be kind of a bad or not an, an annoying piece of game design because he kind of gets in your way. Like sometimes you're trying to solve a puzzle in a room or you're just trying to like have a breather and he's coming after you. But that's the point, isn't it? That's it's absolutely the point. the point, yeah. The game he, is not interested in you being comfortable. No, he is He is an unstoppable force and his sole purpose for existing is to fuck up your day. He's getting in your fucking way. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's brilliant because he's... he's constantly on the move but he's not that fast you can outpace him you can run laps around him yeah he's kind of dumb even as an ai yeah. i think i think he's even dumber than they intended him to be yeah like doors kind of mess with him yeah and if you know your way around you can kite him around the place you can get him taking his time moving down corridors you can to, which will buy you time to do whatever it is you have to do but it's just this extra thing that you need to be constantly worried about in a game that's already trying to make you tense at all times you learn to like dread the sound of his footsteps which it's I brilliant. think it's, it's brilliant. brilliant. It's like, brilliant to be able to hear him in other rooms or on a floor yeah. above you. It's completely unnerving. Yeah, I found the precinct really unnerving, and I really unnerving. And like, I, like I hadn't did a horror game in a long time. Like I said, it's that aspect of having to make these decisions of of, of boarding up the windows, of leaving certain zombies alive. Not you really don't have, and really don't have enough ammo to um, kill zombies. All zombies in this game because the zombies are bullet sponges. Like, even if you're shooting them in the face, they just absorb bullets. And you're kind of thinking, you know, I absolutely don't have enough ammo to kill every enemy in this game. And that's massively a part of the stress of it. Yeah, that's that's entirely the point. It kind of, it very deliberately throws a lot of enemies at you early on to get you into that mindset as well. Um, there's that bit where you, you, you get into, like, the, the east wing of the precinct um, by, like, climbing under a... a barrier door that's kind of partially up and the lights are out and there's just zombies everywhere <laughs> and it recreate it recreates some of the most famous bits from resident evil 2 in unexpected ways like i was waiting for the liquor to jump through the two-way mirror yeah over that you know and it kind of it plays with your expectations it's it but the precinct is it's also bigger they added parts onto it and if you know the story of resident evil 2 it changes it around in kind of fun ways as well yeah definitely it kind of there's it, there's enough there that if you are sort of a veteran in the franchise it will still keep you on your toes which is is very enjoyable one thing that it does that i absolutely fucking loved was on the b playthrough did you play it twice i didn't i didn't think you'd put me on pass like that <laughs> sorry i have not um, done the v game of the resident evil 2 remake i i don't know why because i'm a loser i guess okay uh well this was a, a mild spoiler no, for, on, for the b spoiler. game but um the Mr. X shows up at a different point. Right. <laughs> so you, you've gotten used to him in the first game. You know when you progress to a certain point, he's going to show up. You're comfortable in the B game. You're expecting that because you've seen him in the original. You've seen him in the A playthrough. And then he just shows up 20 minutes earlier out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> and you're and, dealing with him for longer than in the precinct to you. Yeah. And, and, but like, it's such a shame that like we're talking about this game, it's, it's precinct, 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 isn't it? Cause I, yeah. like I said, I, like I said, I, it doesn't get nearly bad, like not even nearly bad, but there's definitely yeah. a drop in quality. How do we feel about the bit replay of Sherry? I didn't do it as Claire. You didn't, you didn't do it as Claire. Sorry. Yeah. No, I okay. played it as, as Ada. And I think you get trapped in a trash compactor or something or a furnace. Yeah. For one bit. 
how to share what how to share your bits. Well, they're kind of <laughs> we can talk about them in the original Resident Evil Two as well when you have to play as a helpless little girl for a little bit. Yeah, and run around and get bitten by zombies. Yeah, it um it goes about as well as it sounds. It's in a game that's kind of the whole thing is pitched around this survival horror mentality where you're trying your best to conserve ammo to put yourself in a situation where you can get through and get past enemies to then have whatever power base you've built for yourself taken away to play as someone powerless rather than increasing the tension and making it more engaging. You just feel like your hard work has been taken away from you and it's just mm. a bit that you have to suffer through before you can get back to the real game. Gotcha. It's, it takes place in a new area, doesn't it? It's like an orphanage, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's brand um, new. Brand new. I can't remember the plot relevance. Some the orphanage is linked in some way to the police chief. Is there any building in Raccoon City that's not, you know, insidiously linked to some evil goings on? I don't think so. <sighs> Off the top of my head, no. <laughs> no. But it, like, it just just to reiterate, it is a shame that I there's few iconic moments in that second half of the game. I remember yeah. Mr. X has a return. He's he's gone for ages, but he comes back in the lab and like it's so out of nowhere. Mm. And you're like you're you're in this place with these regenerating plant monsters who are a nightmare if you don't have a flamethrower. Yes. Actually that reminds me, Kev. You put me on blast, actually. <laughs> you you yeah. put me on blast for now. Didn't you like accidentally play this game on ultra hard mode the first time you played it? Because somehow you like missed every weapon or something? <laughs> <laughs> Not every weapon, but I I, I did miss <laughs> the flamethrower. Yeah. Um, which made that section with the plants nearly impossible. Yeah. Was it just a flamethrower? I thought uh, maybe I've embellished in my mind of being some cartoonish thing, like you missed yeah. the shotgun as well or something. No, no. It's because I missed the flamethrower. When I got caught in the scenario with the plants, I had to use pretty much all my ammo for yeah. every other gun to keep Mr. X at bay. Yeah. So I ended, up play- I ended up playing the end of the game with like a handful of pistol rounds in the last boss fight. It was tough. <laughs> <laughs> it was good though it was tense yeah you I mean you want to you, you don't want you want to be you don't want to be coursing through a uh, Resident Evil game do you? you want to be challenged in a way you played it in the 4D experience exactly yeah yeah shall we talk about Resident Evil 3 which is Please. called Resident Evil Nemesis I believe it doesn't yeah, even correct. have the 3 in the title now yeah. you've got to put up with me uh, doing what I, what, I, what I will do at any house party I'm ever at telling my um, my Resident Evil 3 fact you know Kev, did you know that Resident Evil 3 wasn't supposed to be the third Resident Evil game? I did know that because you've told me many times, but go ahead. <laughs> so, it's it's uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get past this quickly, but um, Resident Evil was exclusive to PlayStation for ages until um, Capcom um, started uh, making new deals. But one part of the deal was that, yeah, they could release Resident Evil for different consoles, but Sony and PlayStation had um, a, the right to the canonical next numbered Resident Evil game. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't if if it wasn't on a PlayStation console, it couldn't be the next direct sequel to Resident Evil. The problem with that was they were working on Resident Evil Three at the time for the Sega Dreamcast, uh, the first next gen Resident Evil game. So what ended up happening was they had to take the number three out of that game, which ended up being Resident Evil Code Veronica, and then the side game that they were making for the last few last like year or so of the PlayStation One's life, Resident Evil Nemesis, became the canonical number three. Even though Resident Evil 3 feels like a side story and Resident Evil Code Veronica feels like the next canonical sequel to Resident Evil. It has like Code Veronica has like you know the reunion of Chris and Jill Redfield, which was like a dangling thread from Resident Evil 2. It has a return of mainstay villain Albert Wesker. He now now he has Matrix powers. It has, <laughs> yeah. you know, 
you know, it has it, it's the evolution of the next of, of the next chapter of the story. If you care about that, what Resident Evil Three Nemesis feels like a side story, even though now it's the official one. You know. Yeah, absolutely, and I suppose uh, for those who don't know, um, I think we want to mention it earlier, but uh, Resident Evil Three is set at the same time as the yeah. the two plot lines of Resident Evil Two uh, within Raccoon City as well. They're kind of all taking part, taking place at the same time, which is cool. Which is cool, yeah. But I'm but I'm saying it. What what's not is the next canonical sequel in the Resident Evil franchise. I think yeah. I'm just a little bit bitter because I actually think Resident Evil Three Nemesis is better than Code Veronica. Oh, but on, Code Veronica, yeah, but Code Veronica has just kind of been swept under the carpet, you know, and yeah. it's an important chapter in the grand scheme of things. So I know it's outside the scope of, of what we're talking about in general today, but Code Veronica, for me, is the Resident Evil game that would benefit the most from a remake. Yes, because there's there's the core of something interesting there, but the actual product that's available now is frequently pretty questionable. Yeah, I, I, it was really it was it was really audacious at the time, and it felt really different and it felt really fresh. But both in gameplay and in its depictions of certain things, it's, it very much feels like a game from two thousand that's yeah. aged pretty badly. But so may, yeah, so maybe that's why, like, because I, I was saying, you know, because all the Res- all Resident Evils have been remade, and the latest one that's just got announced uh, at the time of recording is, is Resident Evil Four being remade, and I, I'm going to buy it day one. I really want it. I really, really want it. Oh, don't get me wrong, I'm so excited, but I really don't believe that Resident Evil Four needs a remake because um, it, the original has aged so well. But if you're going to make this new kind of modern retelling of these games, why not remake Code Veronica? You yeah. Know? Absolutely. Or maybe that's why they're not doing it, Kev, because it has some questionable shit in it. Yeah, maybe maybe there's some stuff that's that's best left consigned to the bin of history, you know? They could also rewrite it. Yeah, well, you'd, you'd hope so. But you know what? That's, that, that covers that. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe Code Veronica will have its place on this podcast someday, but Nemesis. Yeah. Let's talk about Nemesis the game and Nemesis the monster, man. How iconic. Oh, yeah. Massively iconic. Um the the sort of the monster design the character design for him is is between the name and the design it immediately <laughs> communicates yeah. what this guy is about it's a good point i like that yeah like he is if if mr x is there to fuck up your day into nemesis he's he's gonna make your whole week you know well nemesis is the first time that that they tried this thing that's become kind of a mainstay of the of the franchise now where a monster that's hunting you yeah, and Mister X in the Resident Evil Two remake has uh, kind of become almost like the iconic one now. But it all started with Nemesis in the back on the PS One, and he was he was brilliant because, like you said, he's designed. He he's just this big toothed brain monster in like uh, he's wearing leather and he has a rocket launcher. He's yeah. just ridiculous. He's so over the top. He like and that's what's great about him. But what's really great about him is that, like, like you said, he hunts you. But th- this was the PS1 era where you're going through pre-rendered backgrounds and sc- screens and fixed cameras, you know. But he broke the rules. He yeah. could follow you through doors, you know. But yeah. <laughs> what the really funny thing about that was he couldn't because they didn't have an animation for him opening a door. So you were safe as long <laughs> as you could see the door on the screen. Yeah. But as soon as you move and then the, ca- the fixed camera changes, you can just hear the door slowly opening. <laughs> Not slowly, but just kind of like, like the creaking yeah. door. And they're like, stars. And he's running in the room after you. Because the plot of this one is that you play as Jill Valentine uh, in Raccoon City. And there's a monster called Nemesis who's trying to hunt down all the people who were involved in um, Resident Evil 1, uh, the members of the stars, the special tactics in Rescue Squad. And yeah, 
that's it really and this was the one that what I believe I, I it really capitalized on the setting more than Resident Evil 1 because you spend a long time at the beginning of Resident Evil 3 actually on the streets of Raccoon City yeah yeah um and it it kind of it's it's a bit of an attempt by Capcom to apply the sort of puzzle box location design that we've seen in the Spencer Mansion and the RCPD and apply that on an open area so you're navigating <laughs> which is gets really funny sometimes because yeah. you're on you're on the streets of Raccoon City and you're solving these like elaborate puzzles involving fountains and putting gems and things and like I've seen never that big, I can't remember the exact puzzle unfortunately but you're doing this big elaborate puzzle and it, and it opens up this secret hidden compartment in a slab and there's jumper cables in there <laughs> yeah it's like it's like okay okay who who'd invent who made this and put the jumper cables in there as the kind of grand treasure to be revealed yeah yeah like you 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 i don't know you you put a crest in a fountain or something and it slides <laughs> <Yeah>. open it's, <laughs> it's, brilliant, though. it's just brilliant fun yeah <laughs> yeah um but i suppose uh, this game had a couple of innovative mechanics uh, as well as nemesis being this constant presence yes chasing you around it also introduced a crafting system yeah which is um, actually i usually i hear the words crafting system and i break out in hives and yeah. it makes me want to play the game less but actually the crafting system in resident Evil 3 is actually pretty good it is because i suppose it, it's kind of it's an expansion of the crafting system that had been there from day one stealthily which is combining the herbs to make more effective healing items. Yeah, your, your healing items can be the green herbs, red herbs, and blue herbs, and the way you combine them make different healing properties. Yeah, so in the third game, they kind of expanded that, that you could get different types of gunpowder and combine them to make different types of ammunition. Yeah, and actually, in execution, it actually works really well, and it actually does add a kind of um, a new level of it, because you've got to make these decisions, because you have a, a fixed amount of item space again, mm-hmm. and you kind of want to wait until you get... Let's say, I, I, I might be a bit wrong here, but I'm, I, I, I got the gist of it. Combining gunpowder A with gunpowder A gives you handgun ammo. Compa- combining gunpowder A with gunpowder B gives you shotgun ammo, etc. Yeah. And you might be kind of waiting to get gunpowder B because you want that, that shotgun ammo, but yeah. you might not have the item space or you know you might just be in, in dire needs to kind of um, mix your, your um, gunpowder to get handgun ammo. And it actually does work really well in terms of uh, strategizing as well, but also kind of the game making you fail in other ways. Yeah, it's just it's it's just one more source of pressure on you as the player, one more thing to keep track of, one more ball up in the air, um, which is kind of in a way what these games are all about: is giving you enough things to take care of that eventually one of them will slip, and then you have to deal with the consequences of that. And then Nemesis shoots you with a rocket launcher. And then Nemesis shoots you with a rocket launcher while sh- shouting stars. I think we can um, talk about these these two games um, at the same time, but I, I, I already want to bring up the remake if you don't mind. Yep. Absolutely. But yeah. I, I think, I think I actually think Kev. Kev, I actually, no, I actually think. Say it, buddy. Say it. I think the PS One one is better. Liam. Yeah. I agree. You agree? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, the, no. The, the whole um, golden age that Capcom have been in with the Resident Evil franchise didn't hit a speed bump with the Resident Evil Three remake. It's still a really enjoyable game, and I say this with every game I played in twenty twenty. I'll always remember for being a 2020 game. It was yep. there at a really kind of um, good time. To, mm-hmm. You wanted media, even if it was a media about a virus outbreak in a city. <laughs> it was still, it was still a good game to play, right? It was good um, distraction. But there's something kind of low effort about it, isn't there? I don't want to be that. That sounds harsh when I say it out loud. But there's something off about it. There is. It feels like 
do you remember when we were talking about the the remake of the of the first game? We said that like um, what the remake did was it took all the things that the first game had done well and expanded on them. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like in the remake of three, they've kind of fixed the wrong things. Mm-hmm. They've they've patched out the stuff that made the first game sort of interesting and idiosyncratic, and what they've ended up with is a absolutely not bad but extremely straightforward and very short resi story i'll I'll take a straightforward and short kind of resident evil game with the classic trappings you know yeah then anything that came out you know around resident evil 6 time you know yeah you know i mean it was still it still remains like a return to form for the franchise but yeah just kind of um an unexciting unambitious one yeah um i just feel like the Raccoon City, despite being you know beautifully rendered and much more high fidelity, it felt smaller. The scope yeah. of it felt smaller. It, it it really did feel like in the first game, yeah, you're, even you're moving to, through different districts and stuff. And this, yeah, even in like, comparison to a PS One game, like it felt yeah. smaller, which is crazy. Yeah, and it it very quickly becomes very linear. And I I know the original game does in its back half become kind of very linear you move from set piece to set piece um but it just because the street section felt much larger in scope in the original yeah you didn't feel cheated when it gets to the very linear stuff whereas in this game because it's so short and because the the open bit doesn't feel that open it kind of feels like it feels like you're 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 listening to the greatest hits of resident evil 3 rather than the best work, <laughs> yeah. you know, and they straight up removed places as well. Like it's weird for yeah. the PS One game to have more locations, and you know, but like I, I don't want to be super negative because I, I really enjoyed it. But the biggest problem is that, like, Nemesis is the iconic monster who hunts you through the game, and he's massively new, being usurped now by Mister X. Like I said, because his implementation in the Resident Evil Three remake kind of left a lot to be desired. I thought he didn't feel like such a constant presence as Mister X did in the Resident Evil Two remake. No, or, even it, Res- or even the Resident Evil 3 rem- or sorry, the, Res- the original Resident Evil 3. Yeah. It definitely felt like you encountered him for like scripted set pieces. Yeah. Where, whereas in Nemesis, it did feel like he was this constant presence hunting you down. And there's a kind of an, another fun wrinkle in the original Resident Evil 3, Kev, where if you want to attempt to waste your ammo on Nemesis, you can't kill him, but yeah. you can fight him. And if you defeat him, you can can't you get parts like to build like a special gun? Uh yeah. Yeah. So that's another kind of thing you kind of have to juggle, you know? Yeah. And also one thing that's worth mentioning because of how delightfully odd it is, is the sort of choose your adventure elements in Nemesis. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when you're stuck behind a counter in a restaurant and you have the idea yeah. of yeah, like you, Nemes- you Nemesis barges in and the game pauses and basically offers you like, do you want to try and go this way or do you want to hide down here? It's, 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 that's very kind of um, it's not major like it's not like a major innovation within games but it's a fun aspect of it and it seems yeah. odd that they'd also rip that out of the remake. Yeah, like it, it, like you said, not mechanically super interesting, but just a kind of weird thing that was part of the charm of the original game. That it, it just strikes me as odd to not include even just one sort of thing as a reference. Have an NPC offer you a choice or something. Yeah, you know. But I don't know. It um, we've discussed a lot of things that we didn't like about it, and I think we might be giving the impression that it's worse 
than it's it a is really good game. It's, it's a really good game, but it's just um, I, I don't. I'm not going to rave about it, you know. Yeah. Especially it's it's sandwiched between Resident Evil Two and Resident Evil Eight, far, two far better games, you know. Oh yeah, unquestionably. Yeah, and Resident Evil Seven before that as well. It's just it's the worst out of a really good run of Resident Evil games that Capcom would make. But I still think it's a really good game. And like yeah. in terms of like um, other Resident Evils, you know, and, and spin-off games, it's probably still in the top ten, I'd say, or just out of it, maybe. Like, it's, oh yeah, yeah, easily. of course, it's going to be good, you know. Yeah, and also. Uh, it uh, has a uh, Carlos. Yes. <laughs> and he's kind of shit in the original one, but I like him in the new one. Yeah. It helps that you play as him for one of the best segments of the game. Yeah. Oh, there's, uh, yeah, there's an amazing part in a hospital where you're uh, exactly, yeah. bombarded by zombies. And it kind of, that seems a little bit less exciting than um, a boss fight, but it's one of the tenser one of those things, kind of a hold the fort kind of um, shootout in a game that I've ever done. Yeah. it's it. I suppose that's, a mechanic that shows up in a couple of resi games where you kind of yeah. have to just fight against waves of enemies and hold your position for a bit but it is definitely one of the better implementations of that sort of thing because you're in this this cramped lobby of a hospital there's a couple of pillars you can kind of kite enemies around to buy yourself some time there's a counter you can hide behind for cover but if you get trapped back there you're fucked so you're, you're constantly on the move and, and making decisions all the while just absolutely rattling through ammo and hoping yeah. <laughs> the next zombie you put down will be the last one and it's not and it never is but yeah, in terms of like the three games we talked about today, the three original PS1 games, it is, it's weird. It, it, it's a shame because the two remakes of Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil 2 are so exciting as remakes even, as video games, but as remakes. And then the Resident Evil 3 one is kind of um, a bit of a, a wet fart, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, a bit. I suppose that kind of leads me on to a question. Um, mm-hmm. Like, obviously, we've discussed three games with remakes today we've mentioned that resident evil 4 is getting a remake obviously there was the recent news that for some bizarre reason the last of us is getting a ground up remake yeah i don't get that one but whatever that's that's neither here nor there with the old resident evil chat yeah but i suppose rather than the resident evil chat it's more the how do you feel about this remake culture in general i am i just old kev or is a 2013 um action game just not you don't need to remake it i i also don't think they need to remake dead space which is also being yeah. remade uh I, I i don't know i look back at games from that era and of course they're not going to have the graphic fidelity of, of a playstation 5 you know or whatever these days yeah. but they look fine to me i i find last of us to be such a waste of resources and time to be honest yeah it is make anything else with that property you know i'm not even talking about like let's get last of us three i'm like well you could do anything else you know yeah, it's a baffling decision, especially because it seems that they haven't done any new mocap or recorded any new voice lines for it. So it is going to be... It's going to be the gameplay of 2, isn't it? The it's, much the game... better, it's the much better gameplay of, of Last of Us 2 put on to Last of Us 1 with, with the better graphics. Yeah, but I think it is kind of emblematic of, um, I guess, what I would consider to be an issue with game design at the moment, that there's this... There's A, seems to be a reluctance to just take risks on new ideas and be the preference within the gaming industry seems to be make a remake of something and sell it for 70 bucks yeah. rather, rather than making the original game available. There doesn't yeah. seem to be, there's no interest in preserving yeah. the history and the integrity of these original games. It's more, how can they make the most money off the IP by reselling us the same thing again? You know? 
Yet I still have the attitude, like if you told me, you know, what kind of what you want from a, a Resident Evil, let's like go back a few years, like do you want a remake of Resident Evil 2 or do you want a brand new Resident Evil game? I'd be like, brand new Resident Evil game. But yeah. then we got the remake of Resident Evil 2 and it's like an excellent game. So I, I agree with you that this kind of age of kind of remakes is not a good thing. But someone like Capcom kind of proved that at least they're not going to half-ass it. At least they're going to make interesting games. I, I genuinely think Resident Evil 2 remake is one of the better games of the last few years, you know? Yeah. No, I, so I, if, I, we're, if we're I getting great games out of this, I, would, I, I personally would lump in the Final Fantasy VII remake with it as well, which is a game that's not perfect. But if nothing else, at least it doesn't feel just like a complete retread of Final Fantasy VII. Like a Final Fantasy VII OG and Final Fantasy VII Remake can still exist in this world as two separate entities to me. Yeah. And I think that's probably the way to do it, you know? Yeah, I guess, I suppose, would you feel the same way if Seven was no longer available? Yeah. No, I'd, I, want, I want to be able to play old games. I yeah. think one of my least favorite things about the industry is um, the lack of uh, pres- preserving old games because I want to have access to old games at all times, you know? Especially now since I'm, you know not living with my mommy and my daddy anymore and i don't have all my consoles just there because i still have the old collection now that i'm kind of out, out and about like, i want to think i want to play this game why can't i just like get it on a modern console you know yeah yeah uh, but are we, are, are, how about we end on that like negative pessimistic note yeah that works for me <laughs> but no uh just to kind of sum it up kev resident evil one two and three and their three remakes all right that's six games okay yep rank them Oh, go, um, go! You didn't know this was coming. Go, I go, didn't. go! Um, we have to finish the episode. Come on! <laughs> God damn it! I hate you so much. Why do I keep agreeing to do this? Um, best one is one remake, then two remake, then two, then three remake, then original one, then original two. No, hold on! I don't. Oh, original. Oh, I'm, I'm lost. Oh, my brain. <laughs> Yeah. No, I said, I said what I said. You said, and that's it, folks. That's that's <laughs> ranking of the Resident Evil games that we talked about. Oh, I think we'll I said, have, we'll, I think we'll, I said we'll, two four times there. Yeah, we'll have that list up online for everyone to <laughs> read. No, um, three amazing games, six amazing games, even. Uh, I kept. I don't think this is going to be the last time we're going to chat about Resident Evil. I have a feeling. Yeah, if you're up yeah. for it, of course. I don't want to. Put yeah, it. absolutely. I think at, yeah. at some stage we need to. Yeah, to yeah. Don't process don't, don't, six. Six, or, or you know, maybe one of the other ones. You know, don't anyone go expecting anything anytime soon. But um, Kev, even outside of the podcast, Resident Evil is one of my favorite games discussed with you. Um, we've discussed it many times over the years. So thanks for joining me on this episode. No problem, mate. Absolute pleasure as always. And everyone, please, if you could share this podcast with friends, that would just be dandy. And thanks so much for listening to Hey Look Listen. Bye, everyone. Bye. Ooh, I'm sorry, Leon. Sadler, you bastard. It's nothing to get all upset about. Don't tell me you've never swatted a bothersome fly. In essence, it's the same thing. What did you say? Insects' life doesn't compare to human lives. Very specific, but I've said it many times. Resident Evil 4 is very specifically my second favorite game of all time. Yeah. My history with it is that Resident Evil was my brother's franchise. Mm. I was Zelda boy, Final Fantasy boy, Metal Gear Solid boy, Mario boy. And I used to like watch my brother play Resident Evil games. And I played them. I played them as well. I'm friends with Morven. I play them. Uh, I loved the characters and the world and the zombos. And actually, Resident Evil is what got me into 
I know zombies is a tired genre now, but it got me into like Romero movies and I was yeah. a huge kind of zombie nerd and film fan and it was Resident Evil first, but I never finished one. I never like sat down and did Resident Evil 2 back to back to back, you know, Resident Evil 3. Uh, Resident Evil 4 was kind of, you know, the big change. And I was I remember pouring over gaming magazines when it was coming out because it looked so weird and interesting. And when I finally got it, like it immediately became one of my favorite games of all time. But can you remember the kind of mild controversy that they were like turning it into an action game? Yeah, for sure. I think mild is maybe underselling it. There's a lot of um, a lot of angry nerds, angry video game nerds. Is that trademark? Can we say that? <laughs> but but people kind of forget that the kind of consensus that I was feeling at the time was people were kind of getting sick of classic Resident Evil. Yeah. You mentioned it earlier on. It was your Resident Evil Zero. It was sort of, um, I know they have fan base, but it was kind of those outbreak games, the kind of online ones for the mm-hmm. for the PlayStation 2. That just the kind of, Resident Evil wasn't kind of, you know, it was kind of resting on its laurels and kind of repeating itself. As And as much as post Resident Evil 4, where like when 5 started coming out and all the action games, people became immediately nostalgic for the more fixed cameras, puzzle-orientated yeah. Resident Evil games. But there was a huge kind of, cry for something new at the time and i still remember feeling it and i always just I'm, like it's one of the many things i'm super impressed with with um capcom and the resident Evil franchise well it's it was such an audacious thing to do like wh- even if they didn't execute it well mm. what a fucking brave thing to do like you i i, I can't think of any major triple a franchise that kind of did something so wildly different with it with its uh fourth or whatever iteration yeah, I know. I, I'm trying to frankly think of examples. I suppose, like, not on the same scale, but the the Yakuza games going turn based seven games in was a big swing. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good one. But you remember your history with? Did you get it on the GameCube that came out? Because weirdly enough, this was a GameCube exclusive. This was the era where Capcom kind of hitched their wagon to Nintendo. Which, for me as a young Nintendo fan, I thought that was a cool partnership, and it birthed some of the best GameCube games like the Resident Evil 1 remake mm. stuff like uh, weird th- stuff like Beautiful Joe uh, these were all initially GameCube exclusives but GameCube because it was a purple box with a handle on the back of it was regarded as a toy a toy and it was that kind of generation where games were growing up and Nintendo was kind of viewed as the kiddie market the kiddie side of the market Wind Waker went full cartoonish stuff like that so it was an odd a console to put Resident Evil 4 on and it actually didn't pay off because as much as it's critically lauded and beloved now it didn't actually sell well when it came out on on the GameCube so did you have it on the GameCube no no I I, ne- I never had a GameCube damn you yeah. never had the handle never had if the handle to, if you wanted to bring it to a friend's house you would just use that handle <laughs> I thought you had to buy a new GameCube every time and set them up in your friend's house I mean in hindsight obviously um no I never had a GameCube I played Resident Evil 4 for the first time on the PS4 port of it. Jeepers, creepers. Yeah, I didn't so realize I, I, that at all. I came to, no, I, I'm t- I tell a lie. I, pl- I finished it for the first time on the PS4. Mm. I played it for the first time in your house uh, during the, the, the summer of the one leg. Um, when I had one leg and we were playing games. Yeah. I didn't. Re- I don't have any memory that that was your first time playing Resident Evil 4. What a, what a blind spot yeah, <laughs> that because, was for you. Because we didn't play through it. We played about 10 minutes of it and I hated how it controlled and it disappointed yeah. you pretty fundamentally. <laughs> you hated Prince of Persia Sands of Time as well. So much. I still haven't gone back though. I've never played a Prince of Persia game. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, the, the, the control scheme for 4 
just didn't click with me at all. Yeah. Um, during that the drunken 15 minutes when we played it in your house. And I kind of let it go and forgot about it until came across it on the PS4 many years later. Gave it a go. And once you get used to that control scheme, mm. it's absolute genius. I mean, the whole game is genius, but it, it's it's all predicated around those clunky controls. And uh, the, the remake, which we'll get to, kind of trods all over this manifesto. Mm. But I've always said about the controls of Resident Evil 4 is that, yeah, they control weird, but they're not bad. They basically took the tankish controls of the more corridor-y, fixed camera earlier games and plopped them into an action game. So Leon can't aim and run at the same time. Anytime you need to aim at your gun, you have to do it from a standing position. So it kind of, it turns you less into kind of a, a killing machine. It makes you more vulnerable. Uh, it makes you have to strategize. Now, that by itself isn't kind of a justification, but I've always argued that the whole game is designed around that control scheme. Absolutely. You don't really have enemies that kind of can take advantage of you because you can't run and shoot. Mm. And I know people now, especially with the remake out, you have people, it's like, it's kind of become harder to defend those controls. But this isn't how games controlled in 2004 or whenever it came out. This at the time was criticized, you know? It yeah. was always a weird choice. It's not that like games, <laughs> it's not that it's archaic and that's how games used to control. But I just think it's such a fundamentally great piece of design from top to bottom that the, the control scheme kind of, I don't know, complements the rest of the game. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's all of the enemy AI is predicated on the idea that you have to stand your ground and stand still to fight back. So enemies, rather than rushing you, they'll kind of, they'll run, they'll get within about 10 feet of you and then they'll slow down. And normally, if there's a crowd of them, they'll kind of spread out a bit and they'll come at you from the sides. But they'll approach slowly, which gives you time to sort of pick your shots. Um, and then you can you can do things like shoot weapons out of their hands or shoot their knees to stagger them and do mad suplexes and kicks and stuff. Um, but the whole the whole gameplay, the whole combat sandbox is predicated on the idea that you have to stand still to aim. And it's all balanced around that as well. And it works brilliantly once you get your head around it. But it was extremely off-putting to begin with i can totally <laughs> understand someone just not gelling with it particularly yeah. someone nowadays going back to it yeah and not a scary game no nope. but an incredibly tense one i would say yeah yeah um it's it's this this divide between you know survival horror and action horror um which is sort of i don't know there's there's some truth to it in like game, the, the, the sort of the structural differences between the games, and then a lot of it is just sort of nerds finding something to be angry about. Um, <laughs> but four is a lot more generous with like ammo drops and things. Like you don't have to save your shots and, and counter shots the way you do in the previous games. Um, you will be punished for having ropey accuracy, though. Yeah, there is that kind of element where if you if you're missing a lot of shots, you're going to find the game much harder, you know? To a point. Do you think so? Well, because the game has uh, a dynamic difficulty slider. Oh, yeah, I totally... It never never tells you about. I totally led you into saying that, and I completely remembered it. Yeah, thank (laughs) you. Yeah, so that's one of the the genius things about the game, um, designed by uh, the great Shinji Mikami. Mm -hmm. Um, 
basically the game has a, a sort of a hidden difficulty slider in the background that essentially the better you're playing, the game sort of cranks up the difficulty a little bit. Enemies start to have a little bit more uh, hit points, take a little bit more damage to put down. They do a little bit more damage when they hit you. If you're still doing well, it'll actually increase enemy spawn rates. So encounters will have more enemies present. Um, if you're doing badly, those enemies get taken out. Uh, the enemy AI becomes less aggressive. It gives you time to sort of pick your shots a bit more. And this is all happening in the background. It never, it never tells you about it. So each person's playthrough is sort of, in a way, tailored to them. That like, if you're doing well for the first half of the game and you struggle when you get to like the castle or something, the game will pull its punches a little bit. So you're staying in that sort of, that flow state, that, that sort of, that, that, that graph between, you know, difficulty and uh, player skill is staying in that straight line in the middle where you're, you're still in it. You don't realize the game is tweaking it to sort of keep you there, but it doesn't matter because you're still there. You know. I feel like that was a secret for years. It was, yeah, yeah. It was. It's never been in any of the like official press releases for it. Shinji Mikami has never directly spoken about it. Although I believe he did implement a more overt system in. Uh, is it God Hand? I haven't played yeah. it. I believe you. Uh, me neither. Actually, oh, I you haven't. Okay. No, yeah. no, I missed that one. I missed that one. Yeah, very big cult following. That has a similar thing, but it actually it puts the difficulty dial on screen, mm. where as you play, the better you play, the difficulty dial visibly ratchets up, and the difficulty of the game does the same, or it'll downgrade if you're doing badly. Um, I think with Resi 4, the only place it was ever officially stated was in like an official tie-in guidebook, and it's in just one paragraph where it's mentioned, and that's it. Um, someone must have felt like they found the Ark of the Covenant when they found that. Yeah, for sure. Like, what, what is this <laughs> secret text? And it's probably what leads to the game being like such an amazing roller coaster, just like constantly enjoyable. Uh, like it kind of mix that up with how kind of well paced the game is anyway. Yeah. How you move from set piece to set piece, you know, the variety. But now that you know it, do you like knowing it? That the game is kind of, you know, do you feel like the challenge is kind of cheapened a little bit? No, no, I, I, I don't think so. I think you get the experience in Resi 4 that you deserve. If you, get me. <laughs> you said that in a kind of almost like giving out to a child kind of way. I don't know. I don't know yeah. something about the way you said it. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, like, I think knowing about it doesn't change it. It's not, a, it's not something you can turn off in a menu. It, mm. like, it, it might affect how you play. It's really interesting. It's actually a big part in uh, Resi 4 speedrunning is mm. deliberately failing quick time events or deliberately letting yourself take damage from enemies to make the next encounter easier so you can get through it faster. Um, wow. it's, it, it's a really common technique in the speedrunning. It's really interesting. It's just strategically know when to trick the game into thinking that you're playing, playing badly. So the next set piece or the next encounter is tuned down a bit so you can get through it a couple of seconds faster. That's actually really interesting. It's kind of like, that's almost like playing two games at once. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's um, Resi Resi Four speedruns are fascinating because it's it's such a well paced game to see it played at speed, kind yeah. of makes it seem even more ludicrous. But that's and that's something we should talk about. It's silly. It's a silly, silly game. <laughs> Will we talk about the plot? Yeah, I think we should. I remember reading somewhere, and like I don't know where. It's a long time ago. I remember reading somewhere that Shinji Mikami absolutely hates the story of Resident Evil Four, and he wrote he wrote it over a weekend. I mean, 
<laughs> I, love, I love it, but yeah, I can see that. <laughs> because a, a little detail we should bring up is that Resident Evil 4, it was always meant to be this um, great um, upheaval of the franchise, a big change. But they went through a few iterations before they landed on action games set in rural Spain where you're rescuing the president's daughter. There was a version of this game where you were being followed by like a mist monster. And something else, can you remember what the other one was? No. Well, I'll edit that out then. But, but, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean was, I, I understand him kind of go, like when they finally settled on what the monster was going to be rather than zombies, it was going to be these infected villagers and other things. It does feel like, you know, they came up with this amazing game with amazing mechanics, you know, controversial controls, but like all very good design. And they were just like, what is going on in this game? And then someone just like took a drag of a cigarette and went, President's daughter? Um, what? Cult? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so kind of hard to say because Resident Evil 4 Remake, which we get to, is so much more like textured. Yeah. The setting and like it, the story is still in B movie territory, but it's just, it feels so much more. But the original reeks of just like whatever. Yeah. Absolutely whatever. <laughs> I don't care. And it's in the dialogue, it's in the translation. So the story is that Leon, six years from surviving the Raccoon City outbreak, um, has become a fucking Japanese secret take agent. on a, a Japanese take on a secret agent man. He's super cool. He quips, and he's sent to vague. I don't even think they say Spain. I always just think it, it's somewhere in a rural village in Europe, but it, it's supposed to be Spain yeah. because a cult has kidnapped the president's daughter. And you fight through first the crap spooky village, then you go into a, this massive castle, complete with like roller coasters that connect rooms together, yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. You know, Europe stuff. And then you go to a kind of a fort on an island where it's a little bit more kind of actual men with, with chain guns shooting at you and stuff like that. And, you know, it brings back classic characters like Ada Wong, who has a secret agenda. There's a... Uh, what, what are they kept? Plaga. Las Plagas. Las Plagas. They're the... Instead of T-virus turning people zombies in this one, it's a, a kind of a, a bug that's put inside people in terms... And everything, like, aesthetically is really cool about it. And when I kind of shit on the story i do it out of utmost love yeah it's one of the things i i i, I remember seeing a comparison video on youtube and this was definitely in my mind but it was funny to see the comparison there's like you get ashley and she's with you for a lot of again we can talk about that in a second but um there's a bit where you get separated and in the new one it's this amazing cutscene where leon gets stuck behind a cage and she's stuck in a cage sorry and he's shooting all these people and um ashley has to like run off with him. I, I, I no i'm sorry it's, I'm, I'm getting a bit mixed up it's later on where like um she saves leon from that cave and then this um one of the main villains comes and grabs him and stuff like that in the original resident evil it's so four it's so lazy she just goes no and and he goes come back and she runs to a dead end like clearly just designed to be a dead end walks against the wall and these bars come out of the wall and grab her and then the wall rotates around and she's gone yeah and i just took that for granted for years i was like yeah that's fine they're, they're moving the plot on. Yeah, yeah. Leon, Leon and Ashley are separated. And it wasn't until I got a better version of the story of this game and the new one that I went, that's actually so lazy. Yeah, that's incredibly accurate architecture, isn't it? Like, <laughs> how, how far in advance did they have to plan that specific wall trap and then hope that she would run to exactly that spot, you know? <laughs> it's great. That's why we love it. And I, I've, said, I've said before... Like it, it, he has one-liners. The, the the famous one is uh, "Where's everyone going?" Bingo. My favorite one is "What did you say?" Insect life can't compare to human lives, which I'm assuming has to be like a, a direct translation from something very poignant <laughs> in Japanese. <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful. 
and it's just the whole tone of the game is what's been kind of celebrated by fans over the years. Like maybe from an outside perspective, you know, if you're watching over someone's shoulder and you've never seen this game, you might go, what? This is like incredibly dumb. But that's what actually people love about Resident Evil 4. And it was a huge concern within the fan base. I saw a lot of bitching when Resident Evil 4 Remake was announced of people online just going, well, they're not going to keep the tone. Because that's what people love. They love the silliness of it. They love the Japanese take on an American action movie. They love how, like, the voice actor for Leon does his darndest. But a combination of him and the writing accidentally makes Leon this amazing character. Almost like... a parody of an action star because yeah. he says the lines he says the one-liners like an action star but sounds like such a fucking dork it's so good but that, yeah, that's what you like uh like when um they have to jump into like a garbage chute and like ashley's like no way leon and he's like way and then and then <laughs> and then they fall down and uh she's like what are you doing and he's like i knew you'd be fine if you landed on your butt <laughs> Actually, um, it really, I love... like, the finished version really does sound like like it's they're recording a table read of the first draft of the script. And <laughs> yeah, for sure. Good enough. For sure. It's another thing as well. I love seeing all the, the changes they make in um in the remake to make it just less mildly sexist. Yeah. I th- no, I'm not even saying, I'm laughing while saying this. I think Resident Evil 4 is mild <laughs> weird sexism is funny. I might be an asshole, but I don't care. I love in that where... He's on the speedboat with Ada Wong. She gives a bit of exposition, then she ha- like mid sentence like harpoons herself up a cliff, and Leon's all like, "Women." You know the way women are constantly like escaping from conversations on jet skis using grapple hooks. You know that old trope. I think they changed it to "Story of My Life" in the in the new one or something like that. But um, to circle back to the president's daughter, Ashley. She's become infamous for um, like whatever Leon. people. Leon, yeah, she has a really shrill voice. She's voiced by Sandy Cheeks from SpongeBob. All oh, right, I didn't know. Yeah, you don't know the actress's name off the top of my head, but um, she's become synonymous with when people talk about escort missions in games. She's like people don't really like es- escort missions, especially back in the era when AI wasn't up to snuff. Mm-hmm. Escort missions essentially means you're protecting an AI character. Uh, but Ashley has never been that bad as a gameplay mechanic than people say. I think it's one of those things like Navi from Ocarina of Time. Everyone says she's the most annoying character ever. And like, she's fucking not. It's more just like internet culture. Yeah. Can't have anything in kind of small doses. Everything has to be extreme. For a 2004 or 5 GameCube game, I actually think her AI is fine. She ducks when you point a gun at her if you're trying to shoot. Like there, are, there will be times when, you, when, when uh, she fucks up. But in terms of like her reputation, I think she's fine. Yeah, I think the vast majority of the sort of the, the big combat encounters during the time when you are escorting Ashley, there's usually like a locker or a bin or something. You can just put her in the bin, just, like just put her in the bin. Just put her in Women. the bin. Go do- <laughs> We Women. know what Leon thinks already, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just stick her stick her in the misogyny bin and away you go. Go go kill some Spaniards and then when the coast is clear, you can come back and get her. And Leon is an American killing these Spaniards. Mm. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't have jurisdiction. Oh. I know they're infected by uh, <laughs> spooky bugs and some of that, you know. But the body, the body count is quite large, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a massacre, all right. Sorry, went off, <laughs> went off on a tangent there. I, I kind of feel like now is the time to move on to the remake. Yeah. In terms of just how 
I think they did. But we'll talk about the gameplay in a second. But since we're talking about the goofiness of the original, I think they man- managed a fantastic balancing act of kind of qualming people's fears of the tone, the, the goofy-ass, stupid tone of the original kind of not being intact in the new one. I think they maintained it while also kind of bringing it to the level of the other remakes, making it more self-serious, yeah. more kind of, I don't know, more good. Well, <laughs> no, yeah. no, better voice acting characters who kind of sound like characters. It still feels like we're in B-movie territory, B kind of action movie, but people kind of talk like people. Yet they kept one-liners, they kept the, the, the goofiness. There are set pieces, not, not, not every goofy-ass set piece in the original makes it in. If you, if you really love the gigantic room full of molten lava in the original one where you have to shoot cult members on top of like giant statues something dragon big yeah that's what it is fire breathing dragons you're shout out of luck that actually didn't make it into the new one or but, getting, getting chased by the 12 story tall statue but the, the statue's in it though statue is still there yeah which is good and to that, see and, and that's what kind of what i mean is they kind of um i don't know they kind of went against everyone's expectations of of the tone i think they oh, it is really goofy isn't it they kept in so much of it and i really applaud them for it yeah, well, I think they did well with it. Is well, basically everything. But one thing that I think they did well with it is, um, like we mentioned earlier, like the, the original game is not scary. It's not right. really a scary game. I think this one is. I think it is scary. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think sure. they they they've made the horror elements more immediate, more visceral. And that's to do, I suppose, with just like the the, the graphical uplift and being able to make the spooky things, you know, look more realistic and look yeah, clearer on the screen. Sure. But I think in terms of like uh, tension and pacing and, and tone setting, they've, they've just made the whole thing. It gets the heart rate up a bit more. It's a bit spookier. So then they kind of earned the right to go a bit silly with the quips as well, because they can use those as a pacing technique mm. to, br- to break that, that tension and that horror buildup, kind of reset you a little bit. So then they can start cranking it up and start building it up again. You know? So it, 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 it keeps the silliness, but it uses it in service of, the overall tone of the game in a way that's really effective. Yeah, and I, I always thought, like, Resident Evil 4 was kind of, its overall tone was that the further it went, the more it allowed itself to be goofy. Yeah. And I think that's a kind of intact in the remake, where it is kind of like, the, the village is always, I, I always think the village is the best area in the game. Yeah. And, like, this game, the remake opens with a poor hiker kind of being ritually sacrificed. And it's like already kind of much more kind of, you know, you know, uh, real horror. It's kind of, you know, violent and awful. So like Resident Evil 4 at the beginning, the remake does seem kind of like almost straight horror. And I just love the way it keeps that thing where you kind of look back 10 hours into the game and you're fighting, you know, giant bugs and you're fighting um, absolutely like, what's that guy you fight in the basement? The predator who chases you around, that guy. Oh, you know, the, the Gariador, is it? <laughs> right, I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. You, you, you're doing this, like, ridiculous things, and it's almost kind of novel to look back. Oh, remember when this was, like, really atmospheric in the village? Mm. That's a start. But I think that journey that the game takes you through in the remake and the first one is, is absolutely a part of it for me. Particularly in the village section, they've handled sort of the, the passage of time in the game really well. Like, the village changes each time you pass through it in those early chapters and gets sort of darker and weirder and more stressful um but even like to begin with when you first arrive in that village i suppose we should talk about it briefly but that that sort of that opening set piece in both the original game and in the remake 
one of the greatest gaming, like whatever you want to call it, moments, levels, set pieces of all time. That are like the fact that the game has no chill almost. Oh, yeah. You have a very short opening. I'm talking about the original again now. You have a very short opening part, and then you're suddenly in like the village square and you're being beset on all sides by all these enemies. You have very little ammo, and then suddenly a guy with a chainsaw is coming at you. It is so effective, so well done. And when this game was coming out, they just turned they just turned that new section into a demo. Mm. And I think that's an amazing way to like to sell the game because that it's it remains one of gaming's best set pieces, levels, moments ever, I think. Yeah, I don't know if that demo is still available, but like anyone who's listening who hasn't played Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan Marcy looking in your direction. Um, <laughs> anyone listening who hasn't played uh Resident Evil 4, like check it out. If that demo is available, it'll let you know pretty quickly if this game is for you. Um because it is excellent. It is just the the combat design in the game is fantastic. Like you you can fight you can defend yourself to a point because they just keep coming and eventually like you have to start running into the houses and climbing up on roofs and staying mobile and avoiding moving yeah yeah avoiding the guy with the chainsaw and in the new game obviously you have the the knife parries which were uh absolutely insane and greatly appreciated addition to the game um and it's pitched in such a way that like pretty much every time i do that section regardless of in the old game or the new game, regardless of difficulty setting, regardless of how confident I feel going into it, I pretty much always get to the point where I'm like, nah, I'm fucked. I fucked fucked it. And as soon as I think that, about three seconds later, the bell rings and it ends. It's almost as if the game is just trying to get you to the point where you think you've no chance. And then they let you off the hook and the game continues. But it's just, it's gloriously stressful every time. And there's always the moment when you grab the shotgun and the second floor Mm -hmm. of that house and you feel empowered yeah. but after a few shots you're kind of out of shotgun you're like that wasn't enough to do much yeah. <laughs> against a wave of enemies that are coming at me yeah that slowed the tide but it didn't uh, it didn't stop anything and that that's kind of um a one-for-one um recreation a new one uh, they, they made it even better and i think that's kind of par for the course with the remake is if you can think of an iconic set piece or moment from the original game mm-hmm. i mean we were eating well they put them all in there yeah, basically they took what was good about the first game and made it a little bit better in pretty much every way. It's um, it's a r- real achievement. Like I know we've pretty much any time we've spoken about a Capcom game lately, we've made the point that it's insane how well Capcom are doing at the moment. And I was saying to you, I think over a message recently, like that at some point we have to stop being surprised by this. Like it, it, yeah, they're in, a, they're in a kind of a golden age at the moment. Yeah, it, it's it's not. It's not a blip in otherwise poor form anymore. It's just they're in good form. Like at this point, if they release a stinker, that's the blip, not the not the high quality stuff, you know? Exo Primal? Yeah, it's gonna be Exo Primal, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I break out in hives anytime I, they show Exo Primal in one of their shows. It could potentially be good, but I almost hate everything about it. I don't yeah. wanna be a big naysayer, but I hate everything. I hate the way every trailer ends with like two minutes of all the extra shit you can buy if you buy like you know special editions and stuff like that like oh look all these suits and guns you get them oh my god yeah it's coming to game pass so i'll probably check it out there but i absolutely will not spend any of my hard-earned currency on it (laughs) back to resident evil though would you want to do an extra will we do an extra primal episode when it comes out i think we absolutely will we'll just use extra primal on the title to sort of make it relevant and then just do an episode about dino crisis instead so yeah extra primal aside 
I said they they recreated that opening village thing, and like all my favorite parts are in the remake and accounted for. Vague question. Don't be angry at me, Kev. What are your favorite parts of Resident Evil Four Remake? Um, I like the video game. You like the whole video game? I do. Yeah. No, I think there there definitely are um, bits that that stand out for me. I like that that initial village section is absolutely a highlight. Um, uh, I think there's a similar sort of wave spawn bit later on where you're in the house with uh, Luis. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That is really well um, pitched. It's like they just keep coming, and there's loads of ammo. Like the house is littered with ammo. The enemies keep dropping ammo, but after a while, you have enough shots to take one enemy down, and you're hoping that he drops like six or seven handgun rounds, so you can reload your gun and get the next guy down, and you're hoping that he drops him. And you're still just like going on fumes, but you're just going. And it's like, there's a couple of moments in the game where it's obviously designed to do that. There's another bit where you're sort of in the mines again with Louise, where, um, again, it's a sort of a wave spawning type bit where enemies are showing up. And you really, you honestly do feel like, I don't, I don't have enough resources to get through this, but I have to try. And you just just scrape through with the skin of your teeth every time. And it's exhilarating. It's, yeah, it's so it's so satisfying. It's so good. Uh, and I I'm a standard boy. I haven't played this game. <laughs> I haven't played this game on professional or anything. Yeah, I well, found it quite challenging on standard, and I don't mind saying that on a, on a public forum. Yeah, and the the difficulty description for standard was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, this, really this, kind of messed with my head. This is the difficulty level for people who have not played Resident Evil Four before. That's not me. Yeah, because I'm, yeah. I'm a standard boy across the board. Like I, I would never, <laughs> never play on, on a harder difficulty, um, or very rarely anyway, um, just because life's too short, you know? Oh, you know, also, my connection between my brains and my finger inputs just ain't what it used to be. Yeah, I'm old and I'm weak, and I have, I have a saggy, saggy brain. I thought Resident Evil 4 Remake was very challenging, man. I thought, and, and that bit you said there with the in the cave when there's like a, a wave of enemies and then like two chainsaw guys coming yeah. at you. One of my absolute favorite parts in the game, and, and this, it, it, it's very good at doing this sometimes where, yeah, everything is accounted for. Like there's like a part, it, like, you know, you walk into that famous room in the castle with all the water fountains, the water you know? Hall, yeah. yeah, the water hall. And I'm like, oh, I know what I'm doing here. So as a huge fan of the original, while playing the remake, I was like, oh, I'm doing this part now. I'm like, oh, I, as soon as I round the corner, I'm like, oh, this is the part where the two El Gigante are going to have to fight them over the lava pit and stuff like yeah. that. But it kind of, a couple of times, you know, threw me for a loop. Like, there's a bit towards the end of the village where you get attacked by two ladies wielding chainsaws. Mm. And I literally said out loud, I was like, oh, you're still in this game. They moved you. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're here now. My sisters are here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And also the the, the little pup, the dog. The little, little pupper, yeah. Who at the beginning of the game, in the original game, you save him from a bear trap and then he comes back and saves you at a pivotal moment later. And before the game came out, fans were distraught because at the beginning of the game now, they could see it in trailers and in the demo, you walk past the corpse of a dog. Yeah. People are like, Capcom, you fucking killed the dog. Uh, but no, he they, they I, I hate to use this term, they subverted our expectations, Kev. Yeah, they did. They pulled a Ryan Johnson on us. Yeah, and Superdog is still there and still <laughs> an absolute hero. And my favorite boss fight in the game is um, possibly my favorite character in the game, Salazar, Ramon Salazar. Yeah. The Castellan of the castle, who's a little weird fucking gremlin. He's just, he's just a little weird guy. 
who's a great like he was goofy as shit in um in the original one yeah one one element they took out of the new one Kev, actually is where villains call you up on your radio oh yeah I, yeah yeah. i always remember i love the lines like salazar it's you yes we've jacked the line um but he's not he doesn't do that <laughs> in, the, in the new one but he's great he's just really creepy and weird and you fight him at the end of the castle and um he's not a great boss in the original and my expectations were subverted again, where he's an absolutely phenomenal boss in the remake. He's one of my favorite parts in that whole game. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's excellent, Dave. Because that boss fight in the original is kind of dog shit to the point. Yeah, where... he's just kind of, he's like, he becomes like a mutant wall. Yeah, you, just have, you just have to kind of shoot him from a distance. You just have to shoot him from a distance. There's large parts of the arena where you fight him, where he can't hit you. Like if you go far enough mm. to the right or to the left, you can just stand there and keep shooting him feels a bit cheesy but it's how it's designed normally when i'm playing original four that's where i'll use a, a missile launcher not Kill not him. not out of difficulty just to skip it you just can just one hit is you it? just one yeah you can just one shot him with a rocket launcher and move on that's so funny because um, i just don't want to waste my time with him i love the way that is like you know that's not um ludo narrative dissonance at all no. that is what leon s kennedy would do in this situation okay. the villain would be giving a speech and he'd take out a rocket launcher and shoot him <laughs> Yeah, I think he's lying. I think he's lying. And that one is uh, Salazar is saying like he turns into a big flesh monster, and then Leon goes monsters. (laughs) After this, there'd be one less to worry about. Yeah, it's a good one, isn't it? Very clunky. Was it? Do you think so? They there's a there's a bit uh, in in the aforementioned um, Ramon Salazar jacking the line where um, just to interest you, you're happy with that accent that you keep doing? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. Carry on. For sure. (laughs) Well, now I'm not. Like literally 100 percent of my confidence just like I mean, for, yanked out of me. For continuity and for editing purposes, you're gonna to have to keep doing it. So carry on. <laughs> but they has they have this whole British feel where he's like, you know, I can't remember, I can't quote this one exactly. But he's <laughs> like, um, you're just a player in my script. He's like, leave me out of your crappy script. And it's just it's that whole like they they say like three back and forths, and it is verbatim in the new one. Mm. Only only it's play they they say it while you're fighting the boss. Yeah, they like say it like over gameplay, and I was just. To go back to that, I'm just impressed with all the goofiness that they managed to like keep in, like like even new goofiness when you first fight the um animated the, 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 the animated Ed suits of armor. He goes nighty night nights after he kills them. I'm like, yeah. wow, this that, is the uh, commitment it is. That got a standing ovation out of me. All right, I was very happy with that one. What does he say to the final boss, Kev, when he kills him? It's it's great. Yeah. How about this holy or no? What? Oh, damn! Why did I bring it up? He said he he jams the scepter into him and goes. Where's your messiah now? I can't actually remember. I brought it up. Yeah. it really is something like, "How's this for a holy spirit?" <laughs> it's not that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't remember. Hope you like your communion wafer spicy. <laughs> I'm leaving that in out of shame. Good. What do you think? What do you think of the versions of these characters? Because. I want to. I want to go immediately to Ashley, who is not a real human being in the original. Yeah, she is some kind of ageless fucking gremlin. I don't know what. She's not a human character. Oh. She doesn't act like a human. She's and she's, she's fucking shrill and annoying. Credit where credit's due. Ashley in this one seems like a goddamn human being. She acts in a way that a scared college student would act in this situation. I thought her voice actress was fantastic, and it's kind of emblematic of this game's whole kind of improvement of the story overall, if you're in the camp that making it better is an improvement. 
yeah, um, yeah, no, they've they've really nailed um, the the whole vibe with Ashley in that one because, as you said, Ashley in the first game is a plot device. She's, she's not. A, she's not a character. She's she's the MacGuffin that you're there to get, and then once you have her, she is a plot mechanic that you have to shepherd from one side of the map to the other. Wait, okay, okay, okay. Can I try? Um, hold on. I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't. But um, isn't it? Um, she meets Luis, and um, oh, no. <laughs> what? What? No, let's do it. And <laughs> and he he says, um, Ah, I see. The president has equipped his daughter with ballistics. How rude. My figure has nothing to do with my standing. Who are you? <laughs> yeah. Second favorite game of all time. <laughs> yeah, dreadful, <laughs> dreadful stuff. Um, yeah, but they have they like they made Ashley into a character, into a person. They made like as you said, her sort of her fear is is believable. It's understandable because it's how a person would react in these circumstances. The more time she spends with Leon, the sort of the more confident she gets. Um, you can see some some growth in the character, some sort of development in the sort of the sort of protector protectee relationship between them. Yeah, they give they give them a much better arc. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's it's not like amazing writing or anything, but it's it, it it's it's good for a, like I said, to overuse it a B movie. Mm. It's good. She kind of begins to see herself more as a partner. She gets confidence and stuff like that. It's good stuff. It's fine. Yeah, it is. Um, and I think they, there was a similar, um, although maybe a bit more contested by internet nerds, uplift for Ada. I thought Ada was, was much, much better in this. Um, although I, I know that is not necessarily the consensus. No, but Resident Evil and Capcom fans are super cool because they didn't like the voice act, actor for Ada, so they bullied her off Instagram. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fucking. Yeah, yeah that's a shame. Uh, the, the fan base are the fucking worst, as with every fan base ever um but yeah i thought i thought her performance was great i thought that like she is the sort of ada's character in that game is someone who is forced into doing something that she doesn't necessarily want to do and that sort of reluctance or sort of ennui or you know sadness about what's going on kind of comes through really yeah. comes through in this performance i can see that people might be ha- unhappy with sort of the, the energy of the performance but i mean it makes sense in the context of the story they're telling, you know? You can kind of see that she's trying to be like a quippy femme fatale, which is what Ada Wong's character is only in the original games. But yeah, that there's a little bit of a kind of jadedness, kind of a sadness to it as well. Yeah. I thought, honestly, I was, I was really impressed with it. I was surprised when I saw the backlash online um, because while playing the game, it was one of the things that I was particularly impressed with. And how about Leon S. Kennedy himself, the main man, my favorite Resident Evil character ever? He's a, I, I called him a fucking dork in the original game. I think they did a good job. He's still a quippy dork, but same, he's, he seems a little bit broken. He seems like the last six years have been rough. He's, 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 he was super idealistic in Resident Evil 2 Remake, and that's kind of been wrung out of him. Again, it's not amazing stuff. It's not the best writing you'll ever see in a video game. But it, it, it does it, it's so it does such good service to this story, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think you kinda of hit the nail on the head there. This this isn't a representation of the character of Leon S. Kennedy as we've known him for the past twenty years or twenty five years or however long it's been. This is the same Leon S. Kennedy from the Resi Two remake. Hmm. Six years later after he's been through some shit. And it absolutely it works. Like it, it um there's enough goofiness still there. There's enough of the sort of the, the action hero quipping. 
the two things are at odds exactly to the right degree. Like the, the, the voice the voiceover performance is just really solid. It's really good. It's not my favorite performance in the game. I do think that, that like both Ashley and Ada nail it better. But like I've no I've no issues with the answer performance in that game at all. I really like Luis as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also they, they clearly when planning out this one, definitely in a meeting said we killed him off too early in the original one. Yeah. He dies so suddenly in the original one. Like he's you don't know who he is. He's this fucking roguish guy you run into, but it turns out he's a scientist and he can help you with stuff. And he just dies very unceremoniously and they give him much more of an arc. He's a, he's obsessed with Don Quixote in this one. Yeah. He's cool. I, I really like him. And uh, I really like Krauser. You don't, he, you don't need to do much with Krauser, but, you know, he's better again. They've, they've, improved, that, they've improved that boss fight from the... That boss fight was excellent. Yeah. Was absolutely excellent. And like, what does... Uh, what does Leon say when he kills him again? He's like, I taught you well, Leon, that you did, Colonel, that you did. And I was like, wow, am I actually like invested in this? <laughs> I didn't think I would be. Yeah, um, and it's it's a, a huge improvement over something from the original game that we haven't really spoken about, uh, the absolute bane of original Resident Evil 4 for anyone going back to it now, and that is the quick time events. They are everywhere, yeah. and they are dog shit. It ages the game so potently, doesn't it? Yeah. They're really, really like intrusive. They're sort of key moments in gameplay where you're like, I would love to actually play the game now to do this. But no, I'm holding square and exit together while Leon does fucking Matrix backflips or something. <laughs> and it was a clear design philosophy to scrub them entirely. Yeah. They're not even in the game kind of and like they they're they were in vogue. Back when Resident Evil came out, but you still Resident Evil Four came out, but you still see them in games to this day. Yeah, there are actually a little couple of them in the Final Fantasy Sixteen demo, Kev. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. No. But um, they made the choice to kind of like I. It's the, Resident Evil Four remake is like when people look back historically now, it's the kind of that's the one that's kind of exemplified as oh, quick time events. You know, yeah. I always remember Shenmue on the Dreamcast. Yeah, that's where I first saw them, and I was actually as a little kid convincing myself that Shenmue was very good I I, um, I love them but I'm so glad <laughs> that they're gone and what I read online uh, from the developers is uh, when you fight Krauser the first half of the fight in the original game is all done in quick time events so yeah. Leon and him are having a really badass knife fight and you press A you press B you press R at the right time to dodge a knife and they were kind of like can we actually make this a proper knife fight in, in this game yeah and apparently the fact that the knife is such a prevalent mechanic through the entire game actually stemmed from that first. They were like, oh, can, we do the, can we do the Krauser fight properly? And then when they were designing that, they were kind of like, do you know what? This knife is like really fun to use. We should make it a major focus for the main combat in the games. In that, the game. that absolutely makes sense, yeah. Um, yeah. That Krauser knife fight is great in the new game. It's so much fun. I, uh, I, I got the trophy for blocking his attacks five times in a row. I mean, my knife. People aren't gonna believe me now. People aren't gonna believe me now. Highlander rules. There can only be one. Breath of the Wild is so um, infamous for having uh, breakable weapons, Kev. Yeah. Did you have any problems with the knife being such a central focus and it being um, something that can break over time? Problems? No. I thought it was. It's just. Resident Evil games, survival horror games, have always, to some degree, been about resource management. You have you have a finite amount of health, you have a finite amount of ammo, you have a finite amount of healing items, 
how you spend those currencies in the encounters is essentially the game. It's about making yeah. choices based on the resources you have. So it's it's less that the knife has durability or whatever. It's just that you now have a knife resource. You have to choose when to spend it. Can I survive taking this hit or do I need to parry it now? You know, um, Can I finish this enemy off with a knife? Should I use ammo? Do I have more ammo than I have knife health left? It just adds an extra little wrinkle to the decision space for it. I think the game would be infinitely worse with an unlimited knife to begin with. I think part of that decision-making is what makes it interesting. Well, you completely well said. And I think stuff like that, like you just said, like the knife becoming a resource you have to worry about. It's so funny because Resident Evil 4 is a game that kind of took the franchise out of the survival horror genre mm. that and, and then ended up taking out for years until Resident Evil 7 came out in like 2016, 17. Um, and isn't it weird that Resident Evil 4 remake, because of these design decisions and these mechanics, and, and and even though it's still you know big action set pieces, there's an exploding helicopter, a guy called Mike dies, all that stuff. <laughs> isn't it more survival horror again? It, it's kind of balancing Resident Evil's DNA as an action game with really good survival horror mechanics, and I think that might be one of its big, biggest successes. Absolutely, yeah. Like I have, I have long maintained um, in in boring conversations with people who probably didn't want to be there <laughs> that Resident Evil Four is the best video game with Resident Evil in the title, but it's not the best Resident Evil game because it fundamentally wasn't Resident Evil-y enough for me. So I would have, yeah. I would have always said that the 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 remake of one was the best Resident Evil game but that 4 was the best video game with Resident Evil in the title. I now no longer need that long walk caveat, because I can just say the remake of Resident Evil 4 is the best one. Yeah. It's it's the best game in the series, and it's the best at the survival horror Resident Evil thing. Wow. It just, yeah. it just does it all better than anything else. And I fucking love a lot of these recent Resident Evil games. So oh, it's, it's not that I'm down on the franchise. I hope we've established that across multiple hours of ranting on podcasts <laughs> now. Um, but I honestly, I do think that the remake of four is 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 the high point. And I think another amazing part of the balancing act is that it doesn't delete the need for the original one. Absolutely. I think it's a better. I think the remake is a better game. And and someone who like genuinely like loves the original with all my heart, I just I think it's like kind of pound pound for pound the better game. But yet it kind of sits comfortably beside its original, Absolutely. which is nice. They offer different experiences. They offer different vibes. Yeah, uh, there's, I, I there's room for both to exist sort of as, as companion pieces to each other. Um, they both do things differently enough to, to merit being played. Like it, uh, they're, they're available on current gen, both versions. Um, just, just play them. Just play them both. And kind of therefore kind of makes Resident Evil 4 remake the perfect remake. And I know we live in the age of remakes and we kind of, I, I know we're supposed to be kind of like, oh, Ugh. But I just feel like we've gotten so many good ones. Like I love the Final Fantasy VII remake. I'm mad excited for the sequel to that. Yeah. And the re- re- remake of the Stick with Capcom, the remake of Resident Evil 2 was phenomenal. And again, like yeah, I I'll always cry out for new original things. But I don't know if we're getting games as good as the original four remake have, then like keep them coming. Also, yeah. you know, feed that you know nostalgia center of my brain and give me that sweet serotonin. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like. Yes, there is an over-reliance on remakes and remasters in gaming at the moment. It does kind of feel like publishers are kind of in a holding pattern at the moment, waiting to see what the next big thing that they can cash in on is. I think there was a lot of hope staked on like live service games 
particularly Sony are, are kind of rolling the dice on live services a lot at the moment and going forward. And until it becomes clear what the next big moneymaker is, nostalgia is an easy way to make money. So the remakes and the remasters are going to keep happening. If they're going to keep happening, I want Capcom to keep making them because they're just nailing it, you know? Um, I did a serve I did a Capcom survey recently, an official oh, one. Oh yes, yeah. What were the choices? One yeah, no, uh, one of the questions was just out and out what Resident Evil would you like to see remade next? Multiple choice and, or yeah, give and, an answer. Uh, there was multiple fields. You can give as many as you wanted. No, you get you you type. Okay. You type the answers. So, Gun, so I did Gun Survivor, Gun Survivor Two. I did, <laughs> no Resident Evil Gaiden for the Game Boy Color. Obviously, that's what, that's what I put in. No, I did put in Code Veronica. Okay. Because I because I think you know, like you said, it is you know, like it has aged in ways you know problematic ways. The gameplay is isn't even like you know, you know, much to write home about honestly. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's it is the real Resident Evil Four in terms of plot yeah you know what i mean um i think it's a kind of a hidden chapter it's where claire and chris reunite it's like and we- villain villainous wester comes back into scene in that one i think they could they'd have to i gave them carte blanche to change it much more than they changed any remake so far but i would like to see it done yet with the mid-credit sequence of resident evil 4 remake it very much seems like they're oh my god they're gonna take a swing at a resident evil 5 remake aren't they well, like with the run of form the Capcom are on with these remakes, and with the fact that the sort of the, as we discussed at length on our episode, like the core kernel of Resident Evil Five as a co-op experience, actually really good. They're, very fun. There's Extremely. enough good stuff there, and this team is doing well enough at the moment. I'd love to see them take a run of five. I think Code Veronica, like a substantial overhaul of Code Veronica would probably result in something maybe more interesting and yeah. more worthwhile. It's a game that maybe needs an uplift more. But like a full co-op, re- ground-up remake of Resi 5 with a lot of the shittier elements sort of sanded off or cut out. Oh boy, I'm on board for that. And with would have Resident Evil 4, we would have been up in arms, you know, all the fans, if like they took out this set piece, if they took out this boss. So there was a kind of a comfort to seeing all the things that remained and were glowed up. But with Code Veronica and 5, I'd be like, rip out it, rip out their guts. Mm, yeah. Change entire parts of the game. Rip out set pieces if you want. I don't need to see those games recreated. Yeah, strip strip it down to its skeleton and rebuild it. Yeah, like, for sure. This, uh, this is not a facelift. We need a full fucking Robocop on this job. But I'm hoping Resident Evil um, 9 next, before any of that. Ideally, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that the Resident Evil 8 DLC, you played it, right? Yeah, love it. Yeah, it kind of put, a rest, put to rest that kind of chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Ethan Winters uh, and his daughter, and it was set 16 years after all the other games, so I don't know if they're going to go from that timeline or they're just going <laughs> to jump back. But I think we're in a very interesting position with Resident Evil now where it's kind of like, you know, the, the two other big changes it at Resident Evil 4, which we're talking about this whole episode, and Resident Evil 7 was the other huge kind of like, we're ripping it all out, we're doing something new. I think we could be there again with Resident Evil 9. I would like to see them take a wild-ass swing with it. Wild-ass yeah. swing. Yeah, well, I mean, if they're entertaining the idea of 5, then maybe maybe 9 could be a co-op experience as well. Maybe if, if they're looking into sort of a multiplayer experience, a new mainline co-op resi game. I'd be interested. Yeah. I'm interested. I trust Capcom at the moment, like you said. Yeah. You know. But Kevin, will we leave it there? I think so. We, we just about covered it. 
another Resident Evil episode under our belt. Yeah. So I suppose for any other Resident Evil fans out there who presumably will be the only people who've made it to the end of this, um, <laughs> that's our, our full coverage of all the numbered Resident Evil games. Um, yeah, if you're in a big Resident Evil mood sometimes, just go back through our archives. We've now covered all the numbered ones. Yeah. And one, uh, one, yeah, we, I was about to say we didn't do six, but we fucking did do six. Did six yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the, the mainline number games are now covered. And if you ever see us releasing an episode on Zero and Code Veronica, just know that we've run out of ideas. Okay. No, I'll, no. I'll tell you what, let... Before we go, I'll, <laughs> I'll give my full review of Resident Evil Zero. Yeah, do it, man. Opening hour, really solid. Once you leave the train, kind of dog shit. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you my full review of Resident Evil Code Veronica. Okay. Uh, Kevin and I couldn't finish it because we didn't have enough ammo to beat the last boss. Yeah. That shouldn't be possible, so fuck them. <laughs> we, we are famously bad at video games, though. Also true, but that shouldn't factor into it. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Hey Look Listen, everyone. Uh, we hope you join us next time. Uh, we hope you're enjoying your summer. Isn't that that's a kind of a wholesome thing? Wholesome thing so, to yeah. say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You'd like that. Yeah, yeah. almost sounds like you mean uh, it too. I was joined here by Kevin O'Carroll. My name was Liam Sheen, and thank you so much, everyone. Bye bye. Thanks very much, guys. Bye. Boroboros will be released into the atmosphere, ensuring complete global saturation. Four had a huge influence on just the landscape of gaming at that yeah, time. Yeah, for sure. Just this sort of third-person, over-the-shoulder shooter type thing um, was sort of iterated on a lot after 4 came out. I suppose most notably uh, with Gears of War, mm-hmm. which kind of took that camera perspective and style of gameplay and maybe added a couple of things, like um, made it more cover-based, um, added uh, sort of a, a greater emphasis on sort of more fast-paced action and added a co-op partner who was either AI-controlled or by another player. So I kind of, I don't know if anything has ever been said about it by Capcom, but I definitely get the feeling that they had at least one eye on Gears of War when they got into making Resident Evil 5, because there definitely seems to be a, a through line there. You know, I think the interesting thing about it is I think they had more than one eye. I think they had all their eyes on the kind of evolving genre that came, ironically, in the wake of a game they made. They kind of influenced an entire genre, the third part. Not even influenced it, just almost birthed it, as you said. And then by the time Resident Evil 5 came out, they were kind of... It almost felt dated in the wake of things that it had inspired, you know, that Resident Evil 4 had inspired. So this was like post-Uncharted, this was post-Gears of War. So it's kind of Resident Evil 4 went on to influence all these games and then Resident Evil 5 ended up being influenced by the games that Resident Evil 4 influenced in a kind of a mental roundabout way. I got lost in the middle of that. Yeah, but no, I think, I think you're right. I think it is kind of the, um, the, the, the snake eating its own tail type thing. It kind of came back full circle on them. Um, and I think you mentioned um, Resi 5 kind of seeming a bit dated by the time it came out. Um, and I think I, that's true to a certain extent, but I think it was, at least at the time, visually very impressive. Yeah, well, I remember when the first trailer came out and it was um, a redesigned Chris Redfield, who's the the main character of the very first Resident Evil game and um, Code Veronica as well, but we're only dealing in the numbered ones here. Yep. But, um, and he was running through kind of an African town being chased by these infected people. And I remember all the promise. It was an incredibly impressive trailer graphics-wise. And I remember all these promises that were coming out in the uh, in the wake of that. It was like stuff like Capcom going on about 
how light would play a big deal in this game, how um, Chris's, yeah. Chris's eyes would have to adjust the light when you go from indoors to outdoors and stuff like that. Really ambitious stuff that didn't make it into the final products. Hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and I wonder what the kind of development of this game was like. I wonder, you know, was it too ambitious for its own good or did it kind of change because of other games that were being made? But what it eventually ended up being was a kind of very over-the-top co-op focused um resident evil action game and at the time young liam was sickened that this thing was co-op because i was such a big fan of resident evil 4 such a big and fan of the, people and not of people exactly well i was scared of people scared of people more than i was of a resident evil game but i was like um i just thought like resident evil is just such an inherently single player franchise give or take a few um niche outliers that, um, that came out before it on the ps2 and stuff but um yeah. For like um, the sequel to Resident Evil 4 to be kind of reliant on co-op, I, I was, yeah, I was disappointed. But um, say it outright, that's the kind of, um, the, but the conclusion I've come to these days is that the fact that this game is co-op is its saving grace. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's 100%. It's its biggest selling point. It's it's the one thing it does right, <laughs> in, in a way. Um, that, that maybe is a little harsh. Uh, we might save some nah. harshness for the back half of this episode. But um. <laughs> the, co-op, the co-op is definitely the, the the strongest element of it. You, I played this in two thousand and whatever two thousand and nine when uh, it was on the Xbox three hundred and sixty. So yeah. I've uh, I've had a lot of um, time to think about this game. At the time, I would have called it one of the most disappointing games I ever played. I was you know very dramatic around those times. You know, uh, in my early twenties, you know, most disappointing game I ever played alongside Banjo Kazooie, nuts and bolts. So that's how I felt <laughs> about it. But I do remember being severely disappointed with it. And a kind of reason for that is I played a single player. Yeah. So just to kind of um, set up the premise a little bit, you know, um, and the setting needs to be talked about more in just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but this is kind of, this is the Resident Evil 4 was set in um, rural Spain. It had kind of rural villages with pitchforks and the whole vibe. But this one was kind of, um, kind of an African town at first and then African wildlife and you're Chris Redfield and you're there. Do you know what? Resident Evil Four is, is story is like 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 a lot of Res- like like a lot of kind of Resident Evil games outside of Raccoon City just really like whatever there is evil guys doing whatever but it had really ridiculous elements like you're rescuing the president's daughter and stuff like that and it was very tongue in cheek I literally can't remember what what's Chris trying to do in Africa there's more even more bioweapons, right yeah um, I tried to like write out notes from memory <laughs> earlier to not look it up to see what I can remember so I think. The plot is that Chris is sent in to investigate a, I don't know, is it a terrorist or an arms dealer or someone who is apparently selling a version of the last plague as parasite, the, 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 the zombie parasite from four worms, the worms, the bugums. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I think the idea is that you're sent in to investigate this arms dealer guy. And when you arrive, it turns out that the parasite has already been spread to the local population. Right. And shit hits the wall. And your local guide or partner is another agent, um, Sheva Alomar, mm-hmm. who is the, the, the player two. Yeah, she's player two, and she hasn't appeared in the Resident Evil game again, but whatever. But um, yeah, so you meet up with her pretty early on, and I remember um, Resident Evil 5, despite its really self-serious, self-serious boring story, 
it has like a really lot of really cool set pieces in it but yeah. almost every aspect of that game was kind of hindered by having to play it with an ai partner especially when you have like limited item space i think you can you can both only hold like nine things each or whatever yeah and you're kind of swapping between your ai partner and your ai partner was really trigger happy with healing you if you lost like a tiny bit of health she would literally chase you around with a precious first aid spray and you'd be like no don't heal me yet and stuff like that you know it's yeah. just like a, it like it colors the entire experience and it kind of it kind of anything that resident Evil 5 did well is kind of hard to um appreciate when you're playing it by yourself yeah, I can imagine. I, I've I've never had the pleasure of playing it single player. I've only played it um, with yourself, so I I've never had to deal with that. But I have seen like a, a quote describing it online, where they're sort of saying that the the absolute scariest thing in Resident Evil Five is an AI controlled Sheva with a first aid spray in her hand. Yeah. <laughs> please don't heal me. Please don't heal me. I need that for later. It's it's so true. It's one hundred percent true, and that was kind of my impression of Resident Evil Five for a long time. And at the time when it came out, it was hugely regarded as the the weak link in the series. Yeah, it was re- it was kind of really kind of um, turned on by fans who were like Resident Evil Four was controversial in kind of going for more action um, than horror, but it was just so. I don't know, so it's just so good, you know, that a lot of people couldn't really kind of shit on it that much. Even if people preferred the straight horror of the old Resident Evil's, like Resident Evil 4 was kind of hard to hate, hard to hate en masse anyway. But I remember Resident Evil 5 just being absolutely despised at the time. It was weird. It was, it was despised by, you know, Resi fans and then still sold absolute gangbusters. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it was, was it was Capcom's best selling game for like nearly a decade afterwards. I think it was only Monster Hunter World eventually overtook it, which is absolutely insane. Because I, I was what I was going to say, yeah, is that I has I have this memory of it being absolutely despised. But I think it was just angry Resident Evil fans. I think the general public and the mainstream really glomped onto it in a big way. Yeah, but yeah, but I its reputation as being just kind of hated Resident Evil game was something I carried for a long time in my heart, and I remember being really disappointed with it. But then I played it co op. Yeah, and, and it's actually really fun. It's it's surprisingly <laughs> really quite good. Um, it it is it's fundamentally like there's two different games there. There's there's you know the tedious single player experience, and then if you can find some other mook who's going to play it with you, mm. it's pretty good. Yeah. So back in the day, I play. I ended up eventually playing it with my brother. Well, my, my brother and I got this game, and we we're both just like, you know. Absolutely could have played a co-op immediately, but we just had such single-player heart, gamer hearts in us. We're just like, oh, we both played individually. You know, this is a Resident Evil game. It's not supposed to be multiplayer. We just didn't so, play it. So oh. you, you both played it essentially at the same time, but just both playing single-player. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. it. And then a couple of years later, we was like, I, I, I actually genuinely think it was around the time Portal 2 came out. Yeah. And we played that, and that has such an amazing co-op Um um, game in it that uh, I think we played that and we we're just looking for anything to play together after and we was like we have Resident Evil 5 neither of us have played it in years so we ended up playing it and it was like I said it was just a completely different experience and I remember yeah. I, I generally would think I generally think like without hyperbole it's one of my favourite co-op experiences I've ever had in a game um, yeah I think I'd go along with that I think it, it, now obviously we played it quite recently so it's still very fresh in my mind but um, yeah I, I thoroughly enjoyed it uh, it does kind of feel like everything in the game is kind of tuned towards the co-op experience. Like, yeah, you know, there's greater enemy numbers. It kind of feels like the time to kill is a little bit higher than it was in four. They take a couple more bullets to go down. Yeah, um, there's more ammo around. It's kind of easier to to manage 
your your ammo at least for the first half for sure and there's no real focus on like conserving your shots or picking your fights the way there was in the earlier games and but I even think I even think just aesthetically the fact that it kind of doesn't like even Resident Evil 4 had it's like moments it's little set pieces of horror ones that are like quite tense I think just as an experience you kind of you kind of care less about the lack of horror in it because you know you're not alone and you feel kind of empowered by you you're having a teammate and I just feel like the whole game it just meshes together as an experience better when it's not this weird offshoot single player Resident Evil game when it's this thing that's designed to be played with a friend it just completely yeah. makes sense yeah absolutely and even like something that you, you called out a moment ago as something that was annoying in the single player is you know the having nine inventory spaces per character you flip that when you're playing co-op that's one of the things that absolutely shines is yeah. having to manage between the two of you who's going to take what you know do you have room to pick up this healing item or do we need to save that space for picking up a weapon or something or you know like we did you know allocating who gets which type of gun yeah, like I was the I was the sniper rifle and machine gun guy. You were the shotgun and magnum guy, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I, like any co-op game that kind of um, encourages you or necessitates you having to chat all the time, you know. Yeah, and whatever Absolutely. you know, chat about your day. We keep playing Resident Evil and shooting some guys and be like, Kev, how was, how was your day, man? You know what's going on? But no, forget all that. Chatting about like Kev. I need handgun ammo. Do you have any? <laughs> Do you know, I have a green herb. Do you have a red herb. Can we swap this? I think any kind of co-op game that has you constantly chatting about the game you're playing and kind of yeah. um, inspiring a lot of that, a lot of the conversation is great. And the fact that, yeah, like you said, the the limited item space and stuff like that, the swapping items between characters becomes incredibly fun yeah. in two player rather than one player, where it's absolutely tedious. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's some. Um... There's some combat encounters in that game that are just absolutely sing in a, a, a co-op scenario. Yeah, I'm thinking of the the one where one of us had to go. I had to go up on like a walkway, and there was liquors climbing up down out of a pit. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, had, yeah. We had to coordinate like exploration and item management, conserving our shots, but then also killing big monsters and trying to stay alive well yeah i Which could see them fun. i could see them i could see them climbing up um out of these holes in the bottom of the walkway and you could so i was like Kev, there's one coming up behind you one in front of you and stuff like that and then i'd be like Kev, i absolutely whiff that one he's he's getting up i didn't shoot him <laughs> so i was down on the bottom floor kind of trying to snipe him and you were going up doing whatever the puzzle was i think you just had to get across the walkway and pull switches but there's all these enemies coming and you're constantly talking and it's properly tense yeah. that's the thing five has such a reputation for being a bad resident evil game that it's kind of forgotten that it does have really good tense set pieces. Some are as good as the ones in four. They're not as numerous as four yeah. in, in their quality, but there are some like really good ones. Like I, to kind of take the feather from four's cap as well. There's a couple of good set pieces involving big fe- fellows with chainsaws mm. chasing you. They're still as tense and as, as <laughs> just <laughs> nerve wracking when you're being chased by a, a yelling enemy with a chainsaw, you know? Yeah, or I'm thinking of the um, the combat encounter towards the end, where there's the the two big guys with the Gatling guns. Yeah, that was that, that was genuinely fucking hard. Yeah, that was a really cool arena. It's like the the level design in general in this game isn't great. It's yeah. not terrible, but it's just it's a lot of just linear corridors or things that are linear corridors but disguised to look more interesting, but actually aren't. But this particular arena was pretty cool that there was like looping paths around those places where you could jump across, you get higher or lower in different platforms, and then just absolutely filled with enemies. Yeah, and it occurs after a boss that I think is it was kind of a crap boss, 
was just, uh, you know, in Resident Evil fashion, one of the villains injects themselves with something and becomes a big squid or something, whatever, whatever, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I think that boss was designed to be a bullet sponge. So you come out you come out the other end of it with hardly any ammo. And it was like probably the only time in the entire game we felt really stuck for ammo. And you think, yeah. oh, they're probably going to have a quiet moment here. But no, they throw you into that huge set piece uh, with all those enemies and you have to fight them off. And I remember the whole game, I made a rule. I was like, have we're not going to buy in between missions you can buy ammo in the shop or guns i was like no we're not going to buy anything let's see if we can just do it with the resources but when it finally came to that point i was like okay we need to make a few purchases because we literally yeah. can't do this yeah but it was just, good i just swallow our pride um, yeah, it was great, but, though, yeah but i literally enjoyed it in terms of like i liked feeling you know helpless i like having to keep every make every shot count it was a, it was a really good memorable set piece yeah absolutely um now yeah you did mention the bosses there i think that's one place where the game doesn't hold up so well there's a couple of okay ones yeah there's, there's a couple of okay ones but there, there's like a lot of them kind of fall into either their repetitive bullet sponges like the one you just described squid um, lady squid lady yeah the gimmick fights like the one where you have to lure the boss into the furnace thing yeah that's kind of standard isn't it yeah that's kind of, yeah. Um, or, that's kind of fun and co-op as well it kind is, of been like oh, you be the one to lure it into the furnace and i'm the one outside who will pull the switch They're just small stuff like that can make a co-op game just a little bit better you know yeah absolutely and then you have like the the final boss fight which i think is a bullet sponge and a gimmick well but i think it needs to be said that this in terms of the overarching plot of resident evil this one had really um big notions about itself being this being this culmination so it brings back like series regular villain um wesker who is a Matrix vampire at this point, and he can kind of teleport around, and he's he has red eyes and stuff like that. And he's a fan favorite. And you know what? I like him as well. He's absolutely ridiculous. I like that there's a progression of ridiculousness through the games. I like that. I like Wesker. He's iconic for a reason. Blonde hair, sunglasses, silly anime villain in the middle of this survival horror. But he kind of drags the game down anytime he appears in Resident Evil 5 because they made him such a Matrix vampire. You can't yeah. just shoot him to hurt him. They have to come up with these kind of ways to like trick him. And they tried to do it in a kind of co-op way where one person has to like fire a rocket launcher at him to distract him. And the other person, I can't even remember, has to go up. But it, I remember it just sucked the energy out of, like, we played this online. But in the room I was in, <laughs> the room I was alone in, sucked the energy right out of it. Anytime you had to do these, um, these gimmicky Wesker fights. Yeah, that gimmicky Wesker fight where I think one of us had to turn off the lights and the other one had to get in with the rocket launcher. Oh, that was shit. That yeah. was crap. I'm thinking of that one and I'm thinking of the, um, the fight with Jill. You have to rip a, a mind control beetle off yeah. of the chest of series classic character Jill Valentine, and the game gives no real indication of how many times you have to do this or what exactly you have to do. And again, yeah, just drags the energy out of the room. Yeah, uh, but I, other than that, I remember the bosses being okay. Like, but there's like it, you know, it's so funny because it's it's such a 2009, it's such a kind of Xbox 360 PS3 game where. Not only are, are the Wesker bits dragging the game down, but even more kind of regular stuff. Like, there's always going to be a bit you get on a Gatling gun, yep. and you're just shooting lads off the back of a truck on motorbikes. And oh yeah, and, you know, there's always those moments. Like, I always hated those moments in, in in a lot of action games I've played where they kind of here's a bit where you're sitting on a gun just shooting guys. And there's, it takes a very creative bit of design to make those interesting to me, and they're they're, they're so of that time. But there's also going to be a lot of quick time events as well, which are also rubbish. But four had those two. Four had them too, but they definitely feel more egregious in five. Um, <laughs> and I'm glad you brought them up because I just wanted, you know, on the record, recorded that 
quick time events are maybe the worst thing humanity has ever done. And of, of all the things, of, of all the things, yeah. And no video game should ever include them under any circumstances. And every one of them did. I know. Back then, I remember playing Shenmue on the Dreamcast, and that was the first time oh, God, I ever yeah. saw a QuickTime event, and I was very excited. I used to be genuinely excited as a little boy every time I came to a QuickTime event sequence. Oh, press A to jump over box of apples as you're chasing man down the street kind of thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, even by you know, time Resident Evil 4 came out, it was such a blemish on Resident Evil 4, the yeah. QuickTime events, the, the cutscene where you miss pressing a button and you get stabbed in the chest and you have to do the whole cutscene all over again and Resident Evil 5 has a ton of them they suck there's a really good one at the end actually when it's the big dramatic moment where you're we're on a helicopter fighting um Wesker the Matrix Mm -hmm. vampire and uh and it's a big it's a big well animated anime fight scene good on them Capcom for making a cool fight scene but then he he falls out of helicopter but he grabs Sheva as he's going and it's like a slow motion, like Chris, Sheva, and their hand go towards each other, and and I guess a button popped up on yours. You were playing as Chris, Kev. Yeah. And I guess you were just chilling, watching the watching the cutscene. Yeah, you didn't think. I, 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 put- I got to be honest, man. I wasn't even watching the cutscene. <laughs> it, it happened a couple of times throughout our playthrough where I'd fail a quick time event in, during a cutscene because the plot is so absolute dog shit that I would regularly, like, not even look away from the screen. I would like put my controller down. And like go do something else for a second. Yeah, but it made that scene so funny because it was supposed to be the emotional core, or the emotional climax, I should say, of the game. And uh, I think cutscenes like that are sorry, um, quick time events like that are uh, the ones that are built around dramatic cutscenes are so funny when you fail them because they're clearly designed not to be failed. <laughs> so, so they're kind of a pointless gimmick. Have you ever seen the video of um, someone playing uh, heavy, heavy rain? Yeah, and, and yeah. intentionally failing all the uh, all the quick time events. It's yeah. It, it it turns it into a a, a pink panther scene. It's so yeah. funny, just falling over everything. My it's the closest. Thing. It's the closest to good a David Cage game has ever been. <laughs> it's my favorite. That and the Jason from <laughs> Heavy Rain are my favorite yeah. things that David Cage has ever done. Yeah. Did you see someone um actually modded um Stray, where instead of pressing circle to meow, you press circle to Jason. <laughs> Oh man, now I know what I, I'm going to do this evening. <laughs> we're, we're going off track here. You um, you brought up um, literally not watching cutscenes, and yeah. So the plot, uh, like I said, it has notions about itself. It even has, I think, it has the origin of the T virus in this one, where like the original virus from Resident Evil One, and it really yeah. set itself. It has Jill return, it has Chris return, it has Wesker return. All all main characters from the original game. It has uh, supposed to be this big climax, but same every time there was a cutscene playing. Um, zoned out we either either like we'd be chatting over them or like i don't know i could hear you making a coffee in the back or something like that you know yeah yeah but it, but it's um it's a shame because resident before you know has an equally kind of bland plot but you know you always have leon saying ridiculous things in the cutscenes you know <laughs> just he's like the stupid 80s action hero yeah i think four benefits from having it's like bizarre cast of supporting characters as well yeah the, they're all they're all more charming and more interesting than fucking matrix vampire yeah uh, but i kind of kind of want to lumber towards so resident evil 5's kind of overall setting in its story yeah it was a really controversial time and we like i, I don't know let, let's just bring it up briefly because i can't you can't talk about resident evil 5 without bringing it up but um resident evil sure. 5 was accused of being um pretty racist at the time because it's set in africa it has you like shooting a lot of uh, black characters and stuff like that to the point where they started adding you know really white enemies into the game and stuff like that 
but it's not really that, is it? It's not really the idea of, you know, just the setting is Africa and you play as a, a, a white American shooting them. It's just, it's just absolutely clueless. Yeah, it's like when when that first trailer that you mentioned earlier came out. That is, as you said, it's Chris like going through a village shooting zombies. The zombies happen to be uh, black people, and people didn't react particularly well to that trailer um, for obvious reasons. And then the second trailer comes about a year later, and that's when Sheba is introduced as a player character um, who's African. And sort of, as you said, they started introducing the white zombies into the mix as well and sort of changing things up. And it's more that they seem to have no real understanding of the sort of the nuance behind setting a game like this in Africa. Yeah. Particularly because it's it's set in a fictional country, but it is in West Africa, which, you know, is an area that was like ravaged by the slave trade, uh, suffered at the hands of colonialism for years and years. Um, so let's have all the locals become mind controlled by worms and have you with a shotgun, like just li- mowing through them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm not saying for a second that I think that there was any sort of malice or hatred behind it. I don't. I don't believe fundamentally. I agree that with Resident you. Evil yeah. Five is a racist game, but I think it is absolutely, you know, racially insensitive. At least it, it's, it's. Yeah, not enough effort was put into the staff or any of the people behind the scenario in kind of making this kind of anything but insensitive. Yeah, there's some some of the the portrayals of some of the the, the characters in the game are. You know, they're just sort of lazy 1920s dark continent uh, yeah, you get stereotypes, out of, you, get, you know? You get out of the urban part of the game after the first third and you're like in the jungle and there's some like pretty bad shit in terms of enemy design out there. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, there's absolutely an interesting story to be told about setting a sort of a zombie style game or a Resident Evil game in a setting like that. <laughs> it wasn't Capcom. It wasn't... <laughs> They weren't going to be the ones to tell it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It, it requires a bit of <laughs> subtlety or nuance or or listening to voices of people who are from that area and incorporating it. Because at the end of the day, like it's set in West Africa, but it's only really a surface level thing. Like There's, yeah. there's nothing inherently African or, or interesting in that way about what the game does. They've basically just put a lick of paint over it. To, to use this as the setting and it happens that the setting they chose is one where you play as a white man going around shooting black people fundamentally that shows you know a, a lack of understanding you know yeah i completely agree but at the end of the day the game ends with you kicking albert wesker into a volcano and shooting him with two rocket launchers so i think maybe they were focusing on that instead every resident evil game has been a bit silly. <laughs> That's true. You know, to, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we shouldn't expect too much from it. I just think, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect better than what we got there. I absolutely, I, that's perfectly said, Kev. I, I, do, I don't think it's unreasonable at all. Like, I, I'm not completely up in arms about it, but playing it back then and, and playing it now, it like, it, it absolutely stands out and it kind of doesn't ruin the game uh, not by not by a long shot but it, it it kind of sullies it it kind of makes it a bit lamer than it needs to be you know 
Yeah, for sure. And, and listen, like you like you mentioned a minute ago, we're not we won't dwell on it. Um, but I do just want to quickly shout out if anyone is interested in hearing a bit more about well, Resi Five in general, um, and the sort of how the setting was handled. Um, there's a video es- a video essayist slash YouTuber called Noah Caldwell Gervais, who um, has a great discussion on this game and literally every other Resident Evil game. It's like an eight hour long essay where he goes through the entire history of the franchise. All of it is interesting, but the Resi Five section in particular is definitely worth a look. But if if you want to, before you listen to that eight hour video, if you want to go back and listen to some episodes in the catalogue of Hey Look Listen, you know, it's, it's, it's another good idea, Kev. There's oh, no bad ideas. Yeah, what you can do is you can go listen to episode 33, where we discussed the first couple of games. You can go listen to episode 12, where you discussed the Capcom 5 and Resident Evil 4. And then you can go listen to these other people. I'm like loving this whole thing where you like, you literally, you write down what the number of the episodes are. Yeah, well, people want to you know? You've done it before, and it, it, it shocked and surprised me and delighted me, and it just happened again. i got to keep you on your toes. <laughs> Will we move on to Resident Evil 6? Oh, I suppose we should. <laughs> no, don't be downtrodden. It's Resident <laughs> Evil 6. Yeah. Um, uh, whatever about Resident Evil 5 having some notions about itself, 6 was kind of made to be even more of a culmination than 5. This yeah. was like, let's bring all the main characters from the series together. Let's have more than one genre in the game. Let's kind of use what, what we've learned making action games of Resident Evil 4, Resident Evil 5. Let's uh, have a culminate in 6. Let's, uh, let's just make a fucking 50-hour-long game, it feels like. But must be said, uh, neither of us played this one when it came out. No. We played, uh, we played this together last year, was it? Yeah, well, I think it actually took us about a year to get through it. Yeah, the kind of uh, perfect uh, immediate comparison between Resident Evil 5 and 6 is that Kevin and I would go online to play it, every, play 6 every now and then. And because it, w- it was a fun game to play, we're going to get to that. It's a fun co-op game. Not quite in the same way that 5 is, but it is a fun co-op game. But, you know, we weren't like, you know, excited to play it all the time. So it, took, it did take us about a year with, all, with everything going on in our lives to get through it while five we got through really quickly because we genuinely just like i was like kev are you doing anything tonight uh, i, I don't want to play resume five you know let's can we can we ignore our girlfriends and play resume five you know yeah uh, pretty much literally that yeah also um, i had covid and i was like kev <laughs> kev play play the game with me kevin you look so young <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm glad i could help you through that difficult time <laughs> thank you but resume six so i didn't play it when it came out it came out um 2011, 2012, yeah, and uh, yeah, and I just remember it being absolutely slated. Uh, but again, Kev, was I just looking at Resident Evil fans? Because didn't this sell even more than five? No, it it actually didn't. It was close, (laughs) but uh, it it didn't outsell five. Um, Yeah, I think there is a quote that is attributed to the producer. whose name I'm completely blanking on, but it doesn't matter. He, he's, he was the producer on 6, and he was producer on a lot of the previous Resi games, and he worked on like the Dino Crisis. And... Is, this, is this the director of the game, or no? The producer Not the director, no, okay, the yeah, producer. Yeah. Um, but basically, his, his quote pretty early on in the development of 6 is that their target was to create something that they were calling ultimate horror entertainment. <laughs> hey, you can't create something called ultimate horror entertainment because Texas Chainsaw Massacre already exists. Uh, fully agree. Yeah, absolutely. Don't buy into this this uh, this name naming convention here. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, that kind of sounds like corporate speak for we want to sell this to as many people as possible. Ultimate horror entertainment. Yeah. What a bunch of wank. Because if, if, you, if you look back on, on Resident Evil 5, yes. from, from the retrospect that they had at that time, as you said, Resi fans had kind of pilloried it and had, you know, were complaining about the issues with it. But it sold gangbusters. So yeah. what's the what's the message of that sending to Capcom? Is that what the fuck do these fans know? Let's, <laughs> let's sand more of the edges off. Let's make this as palatable to as many people as possible. And in doing so, they made a game that is, you know, let's not be around the bush. It's shit. It's a shit game. They made a monster. They made a. Mo- it is shit, but um, it's not as shit as I thought it was going to be. Actually, let me rephrase that. It's very. It's about as shit as I thought it was going to be by its reputation, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it. I think mostly because I played it with you. You know, I used to. I used to work with a girl, and we were talking about Resident Evil once, and she was a bit younger than me, and she. This was one of her first Resident Evils, and I. Uh, she really liked it. So, do you think it's just like a generational thing, an age thing, Kev? Do you think if we played Resident Evil Six, or or, or more accurately, do you think? This is just a bad video game. <laughs> I think it's fundamentally a bad video game. <laughs> it is. It's a mess, but it's fun to talk about it because it's such a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose we should get into the sort of the the, the setting and the structure of it. It's, oh, you do it. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it is. I think is it four different campaigns? Oh yeah, I forgot there was four. Yeah. You so unlock a fourth one after finishing the other three, and usually if you unlock a secret fourth campaign in a game, you'd go like, ooh, secret fourth campaign. But I literally think you and I went, oh, fuck, we have to play this one now for completions. Yeah. Oh, fuck it. Yeah. There's another one. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a, a semi-greatest hits of Resident Evil characters. You got uh, Leon Kennedy back from two and four. You got Chris back from several. Mm-hmm. You got um, everyone's favorite, Sherry Birkin. Yeah. <laughs> and and you have Ada Wong along with the cast of new characters. Um, what new characters? I think uh, they might have actually dripped out of my brain. Uh, yeah, Chris is with. I want to say Pete. I want to no, say Pierce. Oh shit! It is Pierce. I was going to say Josh. I think that's a forgettable <laughs> character from Resident Evil Five. Actually, yes, there is a Josh in Resident Evil Five. Yeah, <laughs> Pierce. Peers. Peers. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Worst Resident Evil character ever. Completely uh, forgettable. Yeah. Oh no, what about uh what about the guy in Zero? Billy Corgan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty bad too. <laughs> oh no, there's Oh no, it's uh in Co Veronica. Oh Steve Burnside. Steve, yes. Yeah, no, that's Steve the worst can get character. Fucked. That's the worst character. He uh he he turns into a ghoul and dies. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're not doing Resident Evil Code Veronica for reasons. And we never that's will. A, but there, there's a nice little succinct summary of Steve Burnside's character. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, each of these uh, campaigns uh, features two characters. So it's playable in co-op. They all take place around the same sort of time frame. And mm. each of the stories interweaves and intersects in different ways. So the idea is that you got to play all the campaigns to get a full picture of what has happened over the course of the story. Intricate, so, intersecting narratives happening in our Resident Evil game here. Intersecting for sure. I don't know if I'd give it intricate. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Chris is 
Oh, I want to see. I can't, man. I, you're very brave for beginning with Crystal's campaign. <laughs> yeah, I have right. no memory of that. I, I do remember it begins with him drunk in a bar because he's all washed up now and he's wearing like a turtleneck and a gold chain. <laughs> yeah. That was brilliant. But, and, and then he's, does he have amnesia? No. Yeah. Yeah, he does. I know I think- this isn't this isn't us being unprepared doing our podcast. It really is just a very forgettable game. Usually we do milestones and masterpieces, but yeah, Resident yeah, Evil I- uh, Resident Evil Six has like twenty hours of cutscenes. It feels like I can't retain this, you know. Yeah, and not one of them is good. Um, <laughs> yeah, Chris is he feels guilty because he got his team killed, got his team deaded, um, and uh, Pete Pierce Pierce. Is there to talk him to coming back into the service. Um, Leon. Leon's is, is the most memorable one. Now, yeah, to, to, yeah. to, to Leon step is, up into a bit of a positive stool here. Yeah, he's um he's investigating a terror attack in which the president of the United States gets turned <laughs> into a zombie. It Just, begins dramatic with him dramatically going, "No, Mr. President, you're my best friend." It literally is almost dialogue like, dialogue like that. Like, you're yeah. my best friend, even though he's like he's been on like three zombie adventures at this point. Yeah. The president has full-on turned into a zombie in front of him. He's like, I can't kill you, Mr. President. Think about our bond. But then he has to shoot him in the head, and he's fucking sullen about it for the rest of the game. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Jake and Sherry, then, I think, is it that Jake is the son of Albert Wesker? He's the new vampire Matrix, Matrix yeah. Dracula, whatever we're calling him. And is there something that his blood is some sort of cure? It's a cure. Something? His blood yeah. is a cure. That's the MacGuffin. Yeah. And then the Ada campaign is who cares yeah there's actually two adas and one of them is like a clone or something and one of them's bad and one of them's good but which one i can just imagine them though sitting there in capcom is like smoking a series like a lot of our fans want to want to fuck that ada one character and some intern or some janitor outside (laughs) (laughs) sweeping's like why don't you make two of them ada ones and fucking Give that man a medal or so whatever. But yeah, no, I, I like uh, the idea that the janitor went in after everyone else had gone home. It was like a whiteboard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just drew a crude stick figure of a second Ada. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's true. There's two Adas. But I was more in saying that Leon's one is interesting, Kev, because it, a lot of it takes place in uh, a viral outbreak in China. Yep. And it was pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah, the the game setting kind of jumps. There's bits in like Eastern Europe, there's bits in the US, there's a lot of it towards the end centers around this outbreak in a Chinese city where like there's some some gas bioweapon gets dropped and basically the entire city is instantly just fully zombified. Now Resident Evil has done zombified cities before, but this is kind of its only depiction of one that seems to be it's happening around you. Yeah. So you're seeing crowds of people being like turned into zombies before your eyes, and it's kind of mass panic, almost like the the Raccoon City of the old games in Resident Evil Two and Resident Evil Three and stuff. Like that you kind of feel like you're in um, a destroyed streets after the fact, where zombies are, are are shambling around. But you kind of like I don't have much nice, thing, genuinely nice things, unironically nice things to say about Six, but I think its depiction of um, the city kind of going to hell around you was pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. That is memorable for the setting, but then the gameplay in Liam in Leon's campaign. Did you is, mix up L- Liam with me with Leon S. Kennedy? That might was, be the nicest thing you've ever accidentally said to me. I was really hoping we could breeze through that. But... No way, man. <laughs> why, why would I ever breeze through that? I don't know. But... <laughs> no way, bro. <laughs> 
but yeah, well, let's talk about the gameplay because I want to talk first about how um, inferior it is, inferior it is as a co-op game to Five. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's something that was amazing for me was playing Six first as we did, and then playing Five afterwards. Yes, and seeing all of the the co-op elements in Five that just kind of work really well. The things like sharing across the inventory the sort of combat encounters and puzzle encounters that are designed around having two separate human brains yeah. to work out what to do. And I'm just baffled as to where did all those ideas go when the time came to make six? Cause because it's, it, it is very overtly still clearly designed with co-op in mind. They want you to play this thing two-player. Yet they didn't really design anything interesting to be done in two-player. And to, to the point where, like, like I said, like it's such a small thing. But you know, in, in when we're playing Resident Evil Five, just a small example, you have you had the shotgun, Kev. I had the machine gun. So you come across, I'd come across shotgun ammo, and either I'd say, Kev, the shotgun ammo over here, or if you're in the middle of battle, I pick it up for you, and we trade after. It's just a small thing, but that just feels good for a co-op game. You feel like you're a team. It just it feel it's engaging. Yeah, it's, it's literally cooperation. Like, oh, very good. You're right. How did I how did I never see it before? But Resident Evil 6 does away with even that tiny little aspect where if you pick up a box of ammo, it just goes into both our inventory. Yeah. I found out today while looking at stuff before doing this record that apparently that only happens in the online co-op. That if you play play split screen, as in two people couch co-op, you know? Yeah. That you can then pass items back and forth across your inventory. They didn't have technology to do it through the internet. Apparently so. But they did in 5, which is older. Which is older, yeah. That's very interesting. And I feel, I almost felt like you that was almost a gotcha moment that you're like, but Liam, you were wrong. It actually does have this aspect. But now I'm kind of like, no, fuck him. Why didn't they have it in the online version? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's like they unlearned <laughs> all <laughs> of the video. You have to make video games. Yeah, it's like it's like they they looked at five. They went, okay, we kind of shot the bed on the single player here, but we got things right with the co op. What do we do with the next game? Let's and add- make sure to leave out the stuff that we got right and go from there. <laughs> and then add to this what must be one of the worst inventory systems I've ever encountered in a game. That yeah. confused me every time I played the game. The, the amount of work you have to do to both you kind know, of like combine a red and a green herb and also put it in a place where you can use it it's just like four extra steps necessary than all other resident evil games it's the worst thing yeah it does feel like that they were trying to reinvent the wheel with a lot of the systems in the game where like in previous games you'd combine a red and a green herb and then that item would be a full heal and then you just take that item and you would heal fully in this you combine items to make different amounts of herbs and then you put those herbs into a case where they turn into like pills and then you can take those pills to heal a little bit at a time you can put them on a or one hotkey kind of thing yeah. and then yeah 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 i can't it's give me a headache even remembering it and then a, a, another system that six kind of leans into that i absolutely hate was the sort of vague rpg elements Oh yeah, you gain points and you can level yeah. up your like your melee, your your whatever, your yeah. Where five you... has the same as four, really, where you just you you can get treasure, you can sell the treasure for money, you can use the money to upgrade your guns or to buy items from the shop, and that was another fun part of the cooperation. Where in between levels, you and I would be discussing what guns we can upgrade, 
comparing like what benefits we'd get from upgrading what where. And, and just then, to make it clear, you and I never talk about guns unless we're playing video games, okay? It's only video game guns we talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Say it on uh, the podcast, Kev. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> I'm told. Um, yeah, no, there's there's no reason for any human being to have firearms in this planet. But in the Resident Evil version, they're good for killing zombies. I, I completely agree. No, it literally was kind of like, oh man, I only have it. Like, we'd be there like... In the, in the screen between missions be like i only have enough money to upgrade my you know my machine gun or my rifle and then you and then we just have, we give each other advice about it another good kind of just a co-op aspect you know yeah and then you in six you gain your skill points that you can then allocate to upgrade your defense so you take five percent less damage against yeah, that rosy uh, green rice or something negligible <laughs> negligible shit that you can't care about like yeah yeah, yeah. But and then we'd, we'd we'd have the opposite conversations where we'd hit that screen every time and just be like, "Are you getting anything?" It's like, "No, nah, I don't care." Nah, I couldn't be bothered. No, I don't care. I, yeah, I can't. I I got melee level two or something, but I don't know. But um, speaking of melee level two, um, talking about the gameplay. Now each campaign has slightly different style of gameplay, slightly, ever so slightly. But uh, just for example, Chris is kind of Chris's campaign is trying to be a kind of bastardization of a cover based shooter sort of with more enemies who are shooting you with guns as well, rather than just monsters and stuff. Um, What's his name? Little Dracula? Jake. Jake Jake (laughs) has more kind of combat abilities that, um, I'm sorry, melee abilities. But anyway, I just kind of, just to use kind of Leon's one as a kind of example, it it is fundamentally a worse shooter than five, I would say, but it adds a kind of a lot of modern movements onto it, so you can now move while aiming and stuff like that, which was always controversial in four and five, but it was always kind of um, a decision based around the level design and the gameplay. It wanted to limit your movement in the game, you know, to make you kind of less powerful, but I think six very much leans into the fact that this is a straight-up shooter, yeah. and, but what's what's great about it, great slash crap... <laughs> which, which is which is kind of my feelings about this entire game is that like i said kev the, the setting that chinese city being overtaken by a, a zombie apocalypse like in real time almost like a, what a harrowing what a harrowing setting for a horror game right or action game even so why not have two main characters literally kung fuing their way through it all because the way the gameplay is designed in this game the melee is so good it's so strong so you'll be there with your guns but like It'd be a lot of me and you just like running into zombies and like the, the melee in this game is so over the top kung fu-ish as well. It's so funny. And yeah. you can slide across the ground like John Woo style while shooting your gun. The whole thing is just completely at odds with each other in terms of like the tone and then what your main characters are doing. But I'm not saying this as a negative. It's one of the saving graces of Resident Evil 6 because you laugh so much when you're playing it because it's so <laughs> yeah. silly. It's so stupid. Yeah, um, I think silly is a word that we use a lot when we talk about Resident Evil. And I think when it leans into the silly, it can often shine. You know, I think that is one of the stronger parts. This is an accident, though. This is an accidental silly. Oh, absolutely. No, this is not intentional at all. I'm not giving them any credit for this. I'm just saying it was a lot of fun. Um, There's some... There's some like uh, context-specific melee attacks as well. Like, I remember there's one where you're in a bathroom and if you hit the zombie... With a melee attack, you could, like crack his head off a sink and stuff. I think we were kind of I, there's some parts of this game. This game has to be said is like way too long as well. Yeah. So I generally think there was a part of the game I can't remember what it was um, where we were kind of sleepwalking through it. Through it, we were just playing the game. We were hardly chatting, and I think I did that context sensitive cracked uh, zombie's head off a toilet. I I perked up. I was like, oh my god, 
And you're like, what? I was like, Kev, the game just did something interesting. Yeah. I think I meleeed an enemy at a specific place and I cracked his head off the toilet. I was like, oh, that's actually good. I don't think I'd complimented the game in 15 hours, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It does kind of feel like with the whole game that they were trying to draw in not just characters, but elements from all the previous games as well. That yeah. Yeah. I think the, the Leon campaign is intended to feel more survival horror-y. It, yeah. it, it doesn't, but I think I do feel like that was the intention for it. There are slower parts. I, I do remember you go down into kind of a crypt at one point, yeah. and it's more interior and corridor-y. And there's a couple of like classic Resident Evil puzzles where you have to like move pillars or statues or some yeah. shit. It was almost kind of like, I, this is just conjecture on my part now, but it was almost kind of like they were looking, they were kind of hedging all their bets in the sense they were kind of like, some fans like the straight up horror. Some fans like the action. We'll give all the action elements to Chris, and then we'll give the survival horror elements to the Leon campaign. But it was such an inelegant, yeah. badly executed. If if this was the plan, inelegant and badly executed way to kind of spread uh, gameplay styles across this game. Yeah, absolutely. And then even like the the Jake and Sherry campaign has a like Nemesis style persistence. Well, I, I forgot that I forgot that existed. Giff. I'm yeah. not even joking. What was he? What was his deal again? A f- no saw. Did yeah. he have a saw? What was he it? Had, he had a cage on his back and he would like try to grab people and put them in his cage. I don't remember that. That's not real. Is oh, it? Oh God, I might have made that up now. No, I think that's real. Didn't he have something on his, instead of an arm, didn't he have something like an axe or a chainsaw or something? Yeah, probably. Just bad design. Just bad. I can't yeah. remember him. Like, can't remember him. Yeah, there's a, a lot of this game is quite forgettable. It is. And, and it's like, and because it's so long as well, like I was saying there, like uh, early on in the Leon campaign, where we were just like, I remember there was a bit where we were in a, a train tunnel, like a subway tunnel, and we were fighting kung fuing zombies sliding around our back, and then suddenly a train came out. Oh shit, the train just killed me. Yeah. You know, and it is really funny. It's kind of like, oh, I didn't realize there was trains that could come, and it's kind of like a, a funny little fun set piece to do. And it's all very ridiculous. But it kind of, the game itself is so kind of long and drawn out, it sucks the energy out of you. Even when you're enjoying it, it doesn't last long. And a lot of my memory of this game is kind of being bogged down in it, especially since whatever it was, us playing it online, it fucked up our saves a few times and we had to repeat a good bit yeah. of this game. Oh, God, yeah. It so shows how dedicated we were <laughs> yeah. to getting through it. I was thinking, got to get through for the Hey Look Listen episode. <laughs> got to repeat this goddamn set piece again. Or sometimes we had to do whole areas again. Yeah. I don't know if that's a criticism towards the game. I feel like it is, but it could have just been something with us as well. I don't know. Yeah, it could, online. It, yeah it could have just been like issues with internet action on our side. But I would say that if it was a better game, then replaying those <laughs> sections wouldn't have been as much of a chore. Yeah. But it's, it's so funny, like you just said, like the that guy who was chasing you in the in the sherry and... Oh, what's his name? Jake, still Jake. Jake, so I can't remember the Sherry and Jake. I I don't remember that. There's like a lot of this game that, that just blanks because they're each campaign are are about as long as a, almost about as long as a regular Resident Evil. Yeah. So I can remember like the broad strokes, but I don't know how it all fits together. Like I don't remember why, but isn't there a bit where you're in a city and you're fighting like gigantic creatures for ages? Like there are these guys and they're attacking oh, the city. Oh yeah, there's like some some like giants that you have to <laughs> uh, giants yeah you have to shoot a spike on their back or something yeah i i don't remember oh, what the story with that i'm is. sorry i'm sorry for bringing it up to be honest i can't retain them do you know, do you know what i can't remember kev in the fourth campaign that you unlock which is ada's campaign uh ada is uh 
Ada's campaign is designed to kind of be set all around the other three to give you the the kind of secret elements of the story that you that you didn't see before. It's entirely shit and probably the worst one. Who cares? Oh, but absolutely. they designed all the other ones to be co-op, obviously. So to have two main characters. But the Ada campaign, story-wise, only has Ada. So at first we were like, oh shit, maybe we can't play this co-op, which would which would be kind of terrible design to base like uh, two uh, three quarters of your game all co-op and then have one where you can't. But it turns out you can. You just you're just given a generic soldier character. Player two is given this generic kind of what do you call him, kind of SWAT guy. Yeah, his name um, is Agent. Agent, who's just not even in the cutscenes, but he's just someone player two can play as. But I played as him. I was him, and I thought it was really funny that I wasn't even in the cutscenes. But best thing about it is that he's Ada is just for anyone who doesn't know, is just sexy Japanese anime girl in a red dress. They clearly just use Ada's model for this uh, agent character. So whenever you're crawling to air vents, he does it in the most like sexy pose way. And he's just like, your face is right in that wagon. He's dragging. <laughs> yeah. D- did you so know funny? It was, so, it was great. Yeah. Did you know, Liam, I can't remember if we spoke about it. Did you know that it, the, the game launched without agent? He, he was patched <laughs> in later. It was just single player. It's so dumb. It's so like, I don't understand why they do that. Why would they, we're going, to, we're going to design the big finale of the game, the secret chapter that kind of ties the whole thing together. And uh, But if you played it in co-op, you're shit out of luck. Yeah. But I'm glad they put Agent into it. He's one of the most memorable things about it. Like, somehow he became one of the most memorable things about it. Yeah, the fact that he turns invisible during cutscenes and has a dump truck ass. <laughs> you actually, your mic cut out slightly when you said that, so it sounded like you were, like, really far away. I don't know why that made it funnier. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I pulled back. That was just for me. <laughs> oh man but uh here here here. any final thoughts on either game on both games even um well i suppose the final thoughts on six is that i really enjoyed playing it because i enjoyed hanging out with you yes Um, no no i'm not even trying to be kind of wholesome i know what you mean it is yeah i say playing that game alone would be a fucking nightmare but because all the elements it is fun to play with a friend and i would recommend it in that sense yeah, with with the caveat that like it's way too long, and it every cutscene is shit, and all the characters are shit, and it, the game is shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say if you are looking for a co op game to play with a friend, absolutely wholeheartedly can recommend Five. Yeah, it it plays great. There's you know the the setting isn't handled particularly well. I don't think it's a deal breaker. Um, but Six is woeful. It's it's the worst Resident <laughs> Evil game. Yeah. Um, it's what, maybe just one of the worst games. But it one of the worst mainstream big budget games. Uh, yeah. I don't even think it's in the last 10-year bracket, but in my memory, I'm just going to say. But I will say, I will reiterate, I had fun playing it. Yeah, absolutely. I would prefer it if it was like a 15-hour game, maybe, rather than like, what? Uh, you know, actually, no, I would prefer it if it was like a 10-hour game. What is it, like 20? It feels longer just because of the nature of the game, because it's it's all action. It just feels way too long. Yeah, I, th- I think because we played it over such a space out of time, I'm not sure. Yeah, exactly. But it did definitely feel like each campaign was about the five-hour mark. Yeah. I had a good time playing it. I, I would kind of, I can't quite hate it, even though I think it's bad. But I, what, I, what I will say is kind of my kind of um, closing thought is that Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil 6, you know, you always hear, or at least I always did for years, amongst the kind of fans on, on the internet that they're considered the kind of black sheep. They're the worst two. They were the time when Resident Evil lo- really lost its horror roots. But I think 
the reputation that reputation is probably apt for six, but not for five. It's actually really good. And I think I prefer it over like as a co-op game, I think I prefer it over some traditional Resident Evil. I definitely prefer it over like Resident Evil Zero. I definitely prefer it over Cold Veronica. Uh, yeah i've put it up against resident evil 3 nemesis pretty i don't think it's better than nemesis but it's not bad like its reputation as being a bad resident evil game is not earned if you're playing a co-op yeah exactly with that provision like uh, play co-op do not play a single player and you'll have a pretty good time if you finish that and you want to do some more take a look at six but you can't say we didn't warn you it's shit well the best thing six did was that it i think it sold really well but it had such a kind of negative reputation, and also I didn't think it sold quite as well for the amount of money they put into it, yeah. that it literally um, necessitated the entire reboot of Resident Evil, which began with Resident Evil 7 and made Capcom rethink the whole thing. So kind of Six's failure kind of led to what I would consider the new golden age of Resident Evil that started with 7, so that's good. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a small price to pay. Maybe we'll get to 7 someday, Kev. Yeah, that's a, that's a game I absolutely love. I'd, I'd love to chat about it. We got a thing going here now. Like I said, uh, we've talked about Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3 before, if you missed that one. Uh, no, we talked about Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3 before, and 4 is a little hidden one in the Capcom 5. And God, that's a lot of Resident Evils mm-hmm. doing it. But uh, thank you so much for joining me, um, viewers. Not, not even talking to you, Kev. Thank you so much for joining me and Kev on this episode about Resident Evil 5 and 6. And Kev, thank you so much for joining. No problem at all, buddy. Anytime. And... If you could share the podcast with friends, that would be aces, everyone. But until next time, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Resident Evil franchise after six was in an awful state. <laughs> like the fan ba- it, six had sold so well and then been so bad that the fan base had been kind of decimated by it. Like I suppose even go back to five with its you know essentially mandatory co-op yeah. um, and its focus on action rather than horror had started no, like to alienate game. fans. I like that game. Yeah. I absolutely like that yeah. game. Mostly because I played a co-op with you. I yeah, can yeah. imagine playing it solo would be a fairly awful experience. Um, and then you move on to the, the the aforementioned dumpster fire that was six, and you essentially they just dragged the IV's good name through the dirt. Um, and it kind of felt, well, to me at least at the time, it felt like Capcom was going the way of you know modern day Konami, where they'd lost interest in actually making video games. Um, yeah, l- luckily it really didn't turn out that way. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I feel like a, a big part of why people moved away from Resi around that time is the sort of perceived or well, real shift away from what the games were originally, the sort of the idea of survival hard. The, the survival part had been replaced with action parts to sometimes great effect like in 4 and then sort of diminishing returns in the, the, the subsequent sequels. And the horror side of it had been replaced with spectacle. You kind of Hollywood, Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah, exactly. Kind of stuff, it had yeah. gone from in that first game where you're locked in this confusing mansion with these slow shambling zombies and this sort of this tension to like in six where you're 
there's a, a, a guy turns into like a giant meat leopard and starts jumping from trains while you shoot him with a heavy machine gun. <laughs> Resident, Evil, Resident Evil 6 is just too much in all regards. It's like even taking away the horror to action ratio, even just talking, if you care about the, the storyline and the characters of Resident Evil 6, mm. you, you think you want to see all these characters interacting in a big epic, but when you get it, it's like, no, we, we like Leon and we like Chris and all these characters. We like seeing them dropped in sit- situations and playing as them. It made me realize that as a kind of connected universe, I don't really want to see these characters interacting. And yeah, so it absolutely. Comes, it's, it's kind of diminishing returns. It's not really as exciting as you think. When you get it in Resident Evil 6, it's just kind of like, uh, okay, this is kind of, <laughs> this is like not very interesting. So the gumption, the, the balls for them to strip away kind of everything about they're kind of one of their flagship franchises that people will associate with in the seventh um, iteration was really brave. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and the way I see it is that there was two kind of things that were weighing the franchise down coming off the back of six. And that for me anyway, was what you've just mentioned there, sort of the, the, the creaking weight of the established canon. And like, have, then, you watched any, have you watched any of those CGI movies? Like, I don't think I could. I, I don't think I, I could be bothered. Like, I think you and I put on a couple of minutes at the start <laughs> of one a few years back while drinking. And even as background noise, we we're like, this is awful. This needs to go away. Yeah. I'm sure there's Resident Evil fans out there who love them, but I just, I've seen like yeah. tips of them and I, I, I don't think I can do it. Yeah. But for me, the, the other thing that the, the franchise had strayed away from was not just the horror elements, but sort of, uh, I feel like the, the earlier games had a real grounding and kind of drew heavily from sort of established genre horror tropes and ideas, um, for which sure. just made for the sure. horror in the games more effective. Like when I played the first Resident Evil for the first time in the 90s as a kid, I had never seen like Night of the Living Dead. But yeah, I, still knew, I still knew and felt inherently that, you know, this idea of a group of survivors trapped in a house facing down hordes of flesh-eating zombies, that's fucking scary. That works. And same, like, when I played Resident Evil 2 for the first time, uh, I had never seen Halloween. But still, when Mr. X shows up and he's this sort of slow-moving, <laughs> unstoppable force, that sort of intrinsically just works because it's pulling from this sort of established horror canon. And, and when I, I played when I played Resident Evil Three Nemesis for the first time, I'd never seen Glen Gary, Glen Ross, <laughs> but I could at least appreciate the parallels. Yeah, yeah, and his his brass balls. <laughs> um, but then, as you move on, like I, I feel like the game strayed further and further away from that, um, which kind of brings us on to seven. Then, because in both regards, it was a real swing back in the other direction. A, yeah, it, as you said, it completely or almost completely disregarded the established franchise. Like it, it does not care who Leon Kennedy is. Um, Albert Wesker <laughs> does not get a mention. You know, there's a gun called the Albert. True, very true. Yeah, yeah. I'm picking you immediately. I apologize. You, you have correctly picked a nit, and I, I will agree. <laughs> um, but it also, for me anyway, it, it marks the series' return to that sort of genre horror stuff and it happens to pick out one of my absolute favorite horror genres which is the fucked up family doing fucked up things <laughs> the zombie hicks yeah as, as Kevin uh, Woods would put it the, the zombie redneck torture family um, that's, exactly, that's exactly it yeah so pulling from movies like uh texas chainsaw massacre um rob zombies firefly trilogy um even like uh wes craven's uh, last house on the left technically they're not a family but fuck it it's still the same sort of idea 
Um, and that's one of my absolute favorite like horror tropes. Anytime that shows up in a horror movie, I'm automatically on board. Um, I believe the big movie influence was Evil Dead. Yeah, I believe, I saw I believe it was that. even written. On, I believe it was even written on a whiteboard when they were mm. kind of at planning stages. Like the word "Evil Dead" was put up as kind of um, a tone they were aiming for. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and like that definitely fits in as well. Although I I do feel it's more. I don't know Texas Chainsaw E or something, but yeah, it's all good. It's all good stuff. I I, I think um, where it gets where it gets its evil deadness from, especially Evil Dead Two, is the fact that we'll get we'll get to this. It is really um, grimy, lived-in, realistic horror, but it has a kind of um, true, yeah, violent sense and of humor I've, as well, a sense of silliness when it when it when it wants to. Absolutely, and I've I've just remembered that one of the characters does pick up a chainsaw and say groovy. So that's um, yeah, that's, that's pretty yeah. on the nose. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of the fucked up family doing fucked up things, uh, before I move on from that, I was thinking about it coming up to this. And I think my first exposure to that sort of genre, I think what kind of got me interested in it is seeing the X Files episode "Home" way too young. You got it. You got it. You got to You got to take this and run now, Kev, because I've never actually watched X Files. If you can believe it. Oh shit! All right. I know. I know. We need to start a secondary podcast where we just watch every episode of the X Files in order, you for the first time, and me rewatching, and we discuss it. That's actually a good can idea. We, like, talk, can it, we call talk it, this can out we, because I'm going I'm to use that idea. Can we call it the Sex Files? Oh, I mean, absolutely. Can we just do it right now? <laughs> fuck, fuck video games. Video games are for dorks. <laughs> it's nineties TV shows from now on. Yeah, um, I'll do comedy all the time. <laughs> um, but home is. I think it's in like the four, third or fourth season of X Files, and it's the only episode in the history of the show that got like the the TV MA, the mature audience rating. Hmm. Um, it opens with a bunch of rednecks burying a still living newborn. Oh God! Just shoveling dirt on it, and it gets even fucking weirder from there. It's this family of Hicks that um had basically is is, is, is Hicks derogatory? I've said it as well. I... <laughs> I'm gonna keep, I'm keeping all this. I'm keeping this panic discussion in. Yeah, it 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 probably is. But in the interest of brevity, let's move on. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought it up to you. <laughs> I should have just powered through. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a sort of fucked up redneck family doing fucked up things sort of story about some guys sort of living in isolation there's some there's some incest there's some violence you know it's, it's kind of right. but yeah seeing that at a young age it's like this is fucked up i like so, this so did uh resident evil 7 kind of prey on some childhood fears of yours i think so yeah i think there was a little bit of resonance in that it um it definitely worked for me but will we dig into this muck will we Absolutely. When we go on about what Resident Evil 7 colon biohazard is. I, um, the announcement of Resident Evil 7 was one of my favorite E3 moments of all time. Refresh my memory? Because they had completely, like, no one knew this was a Resident Evil game. There oh, a, yes. There was a demo released first called Kitchen. The Kitchen demo, yeah, yeah. Which was just a kind of, um, uh, I would say almost kind of amnesia outlast type horror kind of demo. Kind of for a game, kind of very PT yeah. to to throw back to our previous um episode of Very Silent Hill, but um and then it was uh, uh people were like oh this is this is kind of a demo for a game that's going to be announced at E three and then the trailer played and like we said this thing looks nothing like a Resident Evil game at all completely different aesthetic completely different vibe and then at the end of the trailer it just comes up with Resident Evil Seven and the crowd went absolutely ballistic yeah 
And what I would say to kind of begin the discussion on this game proper is that um, just, you know, just put it right out there. I think it is one of the most genuinely frightening games I've ever played. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Which is not something you, I can say about Resident Evil 6. No, absolutely not. You play as um, a new character, Ethan Winters. And like these two games we're talking about are essentially the Ethan Winters duology, aren't they? They're kind yeah. of like um, Resident Evil or Capcom kind of, like we said, made a clean slate. None of their characters, so they made this new character. And in Resident Evil Seven, um, he's sort of uh, a, an, an audience surrogate, a player surrogate. He doesn't have much personality to him. Because one of the main changes they made to this game that was quite controversial when this started being announced um, in more detail is it's first person. Yeah. It's it's in in first person perspective, which you know, I think a young Liam would have found that sacrilegious for um, a Resident Evil game to do that. But it kind of um, colors the entire design philosophy of the entire game. It's designed to be a first person experience. It's designed to be a virtual reality experience as well. <laughs> but what that means is, so the setting is um, the Baker House. It's Ethan gets essentially an email from his missing wife. I'm in Dolby, Louisiana. Come get me. And he arrives at this like rundown hick house. I'm using hick again. Okay, we're rolling with it. <laughs> he arrives at sick house. And and it is just one of the most like I'll credit where credit's due, man. It's just one of the most unpleasant, unnerving, goopy video game settings of all time. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's it's unsettling to be in. Which is Absolutely. such an achievement. It's such an achievement. Yeah, and the, the Baker family are phenomenal horror villains. They're they, disgusting they and weird and violent and deranged. And they're top-tier like, resident, top resident Evil monsters, and they're just top-tier video game enemies of all time, yeah. I think. Uh, Jack yeah. and Margarita. Uh, yeah. Especially, yeah. I, mean, I think everything that the game does right is focused on them. Yes. Is that you, is that you alluding to the fact that you don't think this game is quite perfect? It's not. It's absolutely not. Um, and it's a shame because the bits that they do get right are damn near perfect. But um, we can get onto it in a while, maybe. But I think the the back half, the back third, the the quality drops off. We don't we don't really mind spoiling this thing, so um, no. I think I'll, I'll just say now spoilers for both these games because they're they're relatively new in case people wants to play them. Yeah. Especially we'll be talking about the DLC, which is brand new for Resident Evil Eight. But uh, I, I to spoil this, I kind of want to say what makes um, the Baker family. Um, very scary is that there's like a, a great aspect of horror is always tragedy that they're <laughs> actually tragic monsters yeah because they're regular people they're a regular family who've been infected by this uh, bioweapon essentially don't need to go into too many details about that so that's kind of why i think they're like one of resident evil's most like effective monsters because like yeah there's a sadness to it they're like uh, a regular family who've just been grotesquely transformed so once you once you begin the game you find your wife very quickly and she starts like transforming into fucking Reagan from The Exorcist and just coming at you with a trowel. And, and it's like this brilliant opening segment. And I, I actually should say, maybe I'm getting too excited. I'm so impressed with um, Resident Evil 7's patience in that opening like 40 minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really well paced. It, it, it's, it's in no rush. Because what you end up getting with Resident Evil 7 is a return to a traditional resident evil space that you have to explore yet there's locked doors you've got to get keys but the game is in no rush to get you to that to kind of show its hand and say hey this thing might look completely different it might be in the first person perspective but look 
this is Resident Evil 1. We're returning to our roots. But the game is in no rush. It spends like an hour of atmospheric pottering about. Yeah. That is very well measured and very effective. And that whole, that, that part ends with a knockout set piece where you find your wife and she's transforming and attacking you. She nails your hand to a wall and comes at you with a chainsaw and chainsaws Ethan's hand off. And it's so violent and visceral and effective. When she first transforms, actually, you... Uh, she's she was following behind you, but she's not there anymore. And you kind of go back and you look down the stairs, and she like crawls up the stairs out of yeah. the darkness. I have nothing but respect and admiration for people out there. And I, if if you're one of these people, I salute you who put on a VR headset and played this game. <laughs> yeah, I say it must have been terrifying. I, I say it would have been an amazing, unforgettable experience. But I find this game like immensely unnerving. I, I don't think I could have immersed myself in it in, in a VR headset. You know? Yeah, I think now that I know it, I think I could safely true. Play yeah, it, true. But I think playing it for the first time, no, I, I would have, I would have absolutely bailed out and never gone back. Yeah, so so the whole game is set in this um this Baker Estate, and there's there's the main house, there's kind of an old house you go to. I say most of the game is set in that Baker Estate, I should say. But I would say, Kev, the the structure of this game is almost like segments of the game are based around one of the Baker families. Yeah. So the first few hours is the Jack Baker show, and Jack Baker, like uh, you, you get captured by the family and you get put into you get tied to a seat and they're they're at a horrible dinner with them it's very reminiscent of uh, texas chainsaw massacre yeah that scene is very <laughs> effective there's a they're trying to force feed you like bits of awful and, and, and margarita is in the background like freaking out like he's not eating it oh, he's not yeah. eating it well let's that, just go through, go through and there's jack baker the dad there's margarita baker the mom and there's lucas break baker the son there's a daughter called Zoe Baker, but she seems seemingly unaffected by whatever's going on here. And she's actually trying to help you escape. And there's also a granny on a rocking chair. Yeah. Who's just placed around the game <laughs> almost in a benign manner. Just she doesn't do anything, but she'll turn a corner and she's sitting there, you're like, ah, Jesus, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, that first few hours is um Jack Baker, and he's he is the beginning of modern Resident Evil's um uh, expanding light motif of having hunter character hunter enemies in the game so mm-hmm. jack baker is wandering around the house while you're in there trying to solve puzzles and navigate him and he's extremely effective and scary he's just a really cool enemy he like his his dialogues what things he the, the things do you know do you know um when you played it recently kev did he chop off your foot no but i did get that the first time actually i thought that was a scripted event until i looked it up online it's it's something it's something that can only be triggered so there's like almost like seemingly random things he can do to you like that there's like he chopped off my foot and he makes ethan like crawl towards it I, yeah it, yeah that's so scripted and when i played the game the first time there was a knockout jump scare oh yeah crashes, she crashes through a wall as you're walking down the corridor and that didn't happen when i played it this time so there's uh, i don't know how events are triggered but i'm very impressed that impressed that it's not scripted yeah very impressed yeah because they're they're so effective the um the the wall burster one in particular <laughs> the first time it happened to me absolutely got me out of my seat like i, <laughs> I thought i was being clever i was trying to run him in a loop and, and leave and leave him behind me and i went to go down this long corridor and then all of a sudden within a foot or two of you just the wall explodes out and there is fucked up old Jack Baker, and he's coming for you. And it, it, it's weird because it's such a memorable jump scare that it was lodged in my memory. So I was playing that initial section of that game in anticipation of it happening, and it never happened, which is almost worse. 
Yeah. I kind of wanted to rip that band-aid off, you know? Yeah, I had something similar on my replay where it didn't happen in that first section where you're exploring that mm. wing of the house. But I went back to that side to try and I can't remember what. I think I, I had left a, an item in a room or something. And I went back there while Jack was still floating about. And it happened much later. But because it hadn't happened initially, I thought I was fine. I thought it wouldn't happen. And yet, when it did happen, again, got me up out of my seat. <laughs> <laughs> There's something so creepy about it. See, they, they're they're infected and they they can regenerate. So Jack is seemingly immortal. There's something so creepy and just gross about his kind of almost how he, he almost taunts you by injuring himself. It's like great body horror. Like he's very into oh yes, yeah. like he's very into just yeah. letting you shoot him in the face and blow off his face just because he knows it'll regenerate. He's like yeah. I'm just reiterating. He's just a great monster. And it kind of you fight him a few times during that game. He eventually becomes a very traditional. Blob. <laughs> you said blob with such contempt there it's the most contempt i've ever heard anyone say the word blob but yeah he, he does he becomes a big resident goop monster but there's a couple of really memorable uh, boss fights with him yeah. um before then i think the best one is the first one it's not a traditional boss fight. yeah in the garage it's not a traditional yeah. boss fight you're not like um defeating him properly but there's a lot of um options you can do in that it's a it's a mad fight in a very cramped garage and what did yeah. you do, Kev? I jumped into the car and like pinned him against the wall. What did you do? I jumped into the car, but I was too slow and he pulled me out and he got in. I <laughs> cool. That, that didn't happen for me. Yeah, I had, to, I had to avoid him. He was spinning donuts in this small garage <laughs> while I was trying to shoot him in through the window. And, and like I said, like Resident Evil 7 is genuinely frightening. Like I, the, the Baker house is a, is a scary space. That's kind of why I, um, I see the Evil Dead influence because yeah, yeah. it's also not afraid to have almost just really over the top stuff like that like the, the garage fight isn't scary but it is absolutely just a, a wild ride you know yeah but i think the my if i was to single anything out as being super scary about this game it's actually marguerite baker mm. yeah the wife who i said that kind of there's an air of tragedy to these characters that they used to be regular people and i just feel so sorry for her because she's become just awful bug lady yeah and her eventually, she you 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 end up um she she has a section of the game in the old house which is a lot of burning wasp nests and doing that and she's hunting around there and she's very um, frightening and scary but her boss fight might be one of the best boss fights in Resident Evil history. I think oh it's yeah, absolutely yeah, it's, excellent. It's super atmospheric. Um, you're fighting her in this like multi-story greenhouse. Yes. And there's like gaps in the walls and in the roofs and she can like spider climb and scurry up and down walls. The lighting is very low, so you can't see more than a couple of feet in front of you at any one time. And you're just constantly on edge trying to figure out which direction she's going to come from. And Re- and Resident Evil always has people transform. Although, I, I, sorry to uh, go back for a second. I, I think one of the reasons why the Bakers are so kind of scary as well is because are they the only Resident Evil villains who didn't purposefully inject themselves with some shit? that's what Resident Evil villains always do and I'm always like do you really want to become a, like a big goop monster they're always like ah oh, ultimate power and they inject themselves with this thing and become a sh- fucking meat shark or something yeah it's a really good point actually yeah <laughs> the bakers are like um, victims but um, in terms of people turning into classic Resident Evil goop monsters Marguerite's design is very restrained they didn't change her that much they elongated her limbs in a disgusting way and they gave her kind of a what is it like a, a nest on her stomach yeah and she's just and and the lighting and the atmosphere of that greenhouse you're fighting her in and the amount of space you have to work with you're kind of like she can kind of come at you she can come through the roof she can come she can, there's two floors so she can crawl up from the floor, floor below 
And uh, I, I don't think it's super. She killed me a couple of times, actually. I don't think it's super difficult, but it is constantly stressful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although I'm very, I was very happy this time to know the jump out scare that begins that fight because it absolutely shattered me when I first played it. <laughs> she comes through a window basically yeah. to begin the fight. But like, I was like, this time I was like, okay, scout this area for item pickups because I know she's fucking coming through that window in a second. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um... The later boss fights in the game are not particularly interesting, but those first couple, the Jack in the garage, the Jack in the basement, the it's essentially a chainsaw duel. He has... Yes. He has is, that a, is that a real tool? That couldn't be a real tool. Is that like no, a chainsaw no, no. scissors? It's, yeah, it's a scissors made out of two chainsaws sort of taped across each other. I'm not a worldly man, Kev. That could have been some kind of work tool I hadn't seen before. I no, I mean, I, I, I guess it's possible. I assume it's not because it just looks like some sort of brutal instrument of death. Yeah. But like I said, the structure of this game is like, you know, yeah, there's that Jack section of the game. There's the Marguerite section of the game. And... Before we move on to the Lucas section of the game, The Sun, I will just kind of emphasize that during these first two parts, it, it's the highlight of Resident Evil 7. Mm. And it is sort of a masterpiece. Oh, yeah. It's That's just a- that it doesn't keep it going. And I do, I love this game because I, I, I have to go into this with a bit of negativity. I love this game. I want to put that out front. But after you defeat Marguerite, that's sort of the end of the fantastic Resident Evil 7 biohazard, you know? Yeah, I'd even go a little bit further. I'd say I'd say you can go up until you go into Lucas's area. Oh yeah, actually, good point. Because I I when I defeated Marguerite, which I found very stressful this time, I was like, Oh good, I can relax now. From what I remember, that's the end of the scary. <laughs> I go back into the Baker house, and that was actually probably <laughs> the most frightening part of the game for me. I suppose, which is a good a good opportunity to talk about the non-Baker enemies in this game. Yes. Uh mold? Mold, yeah, just sentient mold. Sentient mold. Uh, here's the thing. I'm kind of in two minds about these guys because mm-hmm. I do think they're cool. I like the way they're massive bullet sponges. They're kind of big and lumbering. I have the, I like the way they have a face full of teeth. Yeah. I think they're not the worst thing in the world, but I kind of don't like enemy designs that are just... Like, there's goop. There's a goop man coming at you. Yeah, they're, they're, more, they're more blobs. They're more blob men. Yeah. And I, th- I like. They I actually, I, look kind of like if the Venom symbiote got on Mister Blobby. They're a bit like Ugly Venom, aren't they? They're a bit Ugly Venom, yeah. Because we all know Venom's hot as fuck. Yeah, obviously, come on, man. And I think Seen it's actually. <laughs> I did see that. <laughs> it's my. It's my. Um, I'm looking at now my wallpaper, but um, it's a big problem with the game because there isn't enough enemy variety with these mold, yeah. and they're kind of like other than the the very creative Baker family. They're the only enemies you're fighting in this game. And um, especially if you shotgun this with its two, D- its two main, main DLCs, you'll kind of be sick of these guys by the end of Resident Evil 7. For and sure, it, yeah. And it's such a shame because I think if they... I, I, I like their design, but I think if they gave it another go, if they did something almost more zombie-like, mm-hmm. they'd have a kind of a take on the classic zombie, but have it like mold sprouting out of them or something. I'm just spitballing here. Yeah. I think, I think if those enemies were better, it would, just, it, it would make 7 even more terrifying. Yeah, and the thing is that there are, I think, four different enemy types. Yeah, you there's, can hardly tell. Yeah, there's the regular one, there's the sort of the quick one, there's the guy with the, the big fucking arm, mm-hmm. and then there's the big sort of bloater type one. That's right, yeah. But because they're all so visually samey, yeah. 
the fact that there is that enemy variety doesn't really come across because they all just look like Mr. Blobby with the Venom symbiote. <laughs> You're sticking to that, yeah. That's, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and credit where credit's due, they are like in terms of gameplay, they're good. They're yeah, for sure. because because especially in the early days, because they are quite formidable, and like I said, they're bullet sponges. So this is classic survival horror where you don't feel like you're getting enough ammo and these guys can be stressful, especially um, the Baker house has a, uh, a basement you've got to go down to mm-hmm. a couple of times. And I was genuinely, genuinely stressed going down to that basement um, when I had to because, yeah, there's a lot of them crawling around down there. It's yeah, just, I think there's one like furnace room or something that throws three of them at you at once and it spawns one in behind you when you go in. Yeah, yeah. And that's stressful as hell. Like That was a lot of fun. Like, yeah, but mechanically they're great. I just kind of wish there was like more variety in enemies, and I just kind of, I, yeah, I, I don't love their design in terms of like being a spook, yeah, being a spook monster. But there is like, like I said, I was like, oh, Marguerite's dead. That's the end of the scary, and I completely forgotten this section of the game where you go back into the Baker house to do some puzzles. You need to get two key cards yeah. uh, in rooms you haven't visited before you you're coming back in with some new items, new key, and um, yeah, the house has much more of those molded guys running around in it, and there was like a really. <laughs> there was a really like simple but effective moment where you go into this um bedroom and you find a secret entrance down into the basement into a room you haven't been to before and you get the second or you get the first or second card key that you're looking for and i was like fuck i don't want to stay down in this basement i know there's a lot of these fuckers down here a lot of the mold so i'm just going to turn around and go back the other way i'm not going to i'm not going to go back up the stairs like, through the basement and i turned around and i think it was the secret entrance was underneath a bed yeah and the bed had moved back and blocked your way back and i literally went ah fuck <laughs> <laughs> and it's i kind of smiled as well because i was like that's good that's yeah. that's a simple little if if i'm stressed about going through this basement the game is doing something right you know exactly yeah forcing me to go through it again and it was i had to run through a lot of that because i didn't really have the ammo to be um dealing with the the amount of them so like i said mechanically they're they're cool they are cool but you kind of be sick of them by the end of the game yeah for sure um i think a lot of my issues with where seven ends up is there's the promise of something way more interesting yeah so you have as you said it's like the the Baker family show when you have a different episode for each member. So you do your, your Jack bit and then you go out, you do your Marguerite bit. And then after Marguerite, you get sent back into the house to find more keys. And then you're going off to do your Lucas bit. And what I thought at that point was that the Lucas bit would end with a boss fight against Lucas. And then I'd go back into the house and I'd find more rooms and discover more areas. And then maybe fight the granny or maybe Zoe would turn or something. And it would keep moving through the Baker family, finding more, areas around the baker compound or the baker estate you're actually, it, you're actually describing a game I, I would prefer yeah yeah exactly mm. um so when you actually you go through lucas's bit which i think we can get into in a sec because it is actually pretty good it is yeah it's um, not scary but it's good it's not scary but it is good yeah. you get through lucas's bit and i was like okay so send me back into the house now and show me more and instead you just leave yeah, it's the end of the Baker house. Yeah, you get on a boat and you end up uh, the final kind of area of the game, which is a crashed kind of ocean liner or whatever kind of a ship. Yeah, yeah. but before we get into that, we talk about the Lucas's bit because it's kind of... Um, it's Saw. It's Saw, yeah. It's like a Saw escape room. Um, yeah, and he motherfucker puts bombs in item boxes. So you gotta, so you got to waste ammo to break them open because <laughs> if you hit them with your knife like you usually do, you might blow up. 
Anyway, sorry, I don't know how to get that out of my system. He's no, absolutely. And even though I've played it like twice before, so three times now, I was still playing through it this third time and still got the wrong boxes. <laughs> I like Lucas less um, yeah. as a as a character, as an enemy, as a monster. Um, I think it's that thing where there is a twist where it turns out he's actually free of the infection. And he's, he's, just, he's just a psychopath, yeah. He's just a psychopath and he has more kind of a plot agency. related yeah, agency and plot related motivations for what he's doing. But also, yeah, because that takes away the kind of that, that tragic edge that I just like really like about Jack and Marguerite. But um I also just don't like him because the game designed um he's designed not to be like he's such a dickhead. Yeah, he's the worst. <laughs> he yeah, yeah, there's a there's a cool mechanic in this game where if you find a videotape and put it into a v, uh, VHS uh, player um you play as you play the videotape so very early on in the game you find footage of these three assholes who are recording like a youtube show where they go into haunted houses and you get to like play you get to play that kind of um their kind of uh, descent into the house and um yeah and it doesn't turn out well for them and i think that's such a cool mechanic and yeah. what, what, how that's used in that in that, it's that bit of the game is like when you're playing as them going through the house, you realize that there's a secret switch in the in the fireplace, so that when you go back to playing as Ethan in the main game, now you can investigate that fireplace and find a secret switch which opens a secret passage, and that's used. That idea is used beautifully in the Lucas section of the game. Yeah, yeah, you play the this happy birthday tape. We're actually playing as the same character again. It's still. Uh... Is there any character in the Resident Evil franchise who suffered more than Clancy? No, if you if you bring in the the, the the DLC for seven, Clancy has had a very very bad time. Clancy was a cameraman for this YouTube show where they investigate um, haunted houses, and he doesn't get turned into a goop monster and like that. He's get he gets given to Lucas, who essentially makes him play wacky saw games, and for all the horrible shit he goes through that you couldn't play, he ends up burning alive. He's actually accidentally or not sort of the most tragic Resident Evil character in the whole in the whole franchise, and this sort of almost meanest. You know, there's no arc. He's just a yeah, poor guy who suffers and then dies. Yeah, it's not an arc. It's just a very sharp <laughs> downward slope. But yeah, so basically in the Happy Birthday tape, you play as Clancy um, and he's in Lucas's sort of Saw-esque uh, escape room puzzle. And you play through the puzzle as Clancy. You eventually figure out the solution, but you find out that the end result of the solution is that you get set on fire, basically. Yeah, he designed Lucas has designed the puzzle that the, to win is to light a, a, a as to put a candle on a birthday cake, which explodes the birthday cake. But to get to that point, you've already had to open a barrel that flooded the room with uh, oil or something. Yeah. So yeah, so the explosion sets the room on fire and kills Clancy. And that puzzle in and of itself is quite fun to work through. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a cool bit where, yeah, where the um, a, a marionette doll grabs clancy and like writes a carves a password into his into his arm with like a, a sharp fountain pen yeah yeah it's very it's good. really cool really a really like very different fucking feel for a resident evil game this is very like mm. like i said solved it's, it's, it's i don't know yeah but but like that that initial tape that you mentioned you kind of you take the information that you've gained from watching that and then you go into that area as ethan a short while later and have the opportunity to, you know, get through the puzzle and not get burned alive. Exactly. You've seen Clancy do it and die. So now as Ethan, you can, you have to figure out how to solve the puzzle without burning yourself alive. And I think that's like, that's a really, that's a really cool puzzle. That's mm. a really good bit of design. And it's the, it's the highlight of the latter half of, of seven, I think. Yeah. 
Um, and then, as we said, after Lucas's bit, you um, there's the the blobby Jack fight, which yeah, is not super interesting. You don't like that one, no? You're nah, it's it's kind shooting of shooting eyes. Yeah, you kind of you end up knocked down into a lower area pretty quickly, or at least I did, and he's kind of either on the level with you or on kind of a, a platform above you, and he just has like several glowing eyes. It's sort of just hit the weak spot. It's not. It's not very interesting um, compared to the sort of the schlocky, over-the-top gore of the two previous Jack fight, Jack fights, or the kind of the weird, tense scariness of the Marguerite fight. To then go into a very traditional Resi boss fight was a bit of a letdown. For sure, yeah, uh, yeah, and that's the end of um, that's the end of the Baker House. Then, then there's a, a bit where you can decide: Are you going to give um, a, a serum to your wife Mia or to Zoe? And the canonical one is Mia. Have you ever given it to Zoe? I did my first playthrough, yeah. Because I was she like, just di- I looked on YouTube, she just fucking dies anyway. She just dies almost instantly, yeah. <laughs> Great, I, mean, I bet you're happy with that choice. I, I don't want to be, I think this is interesting, but is it dramatic to say that I have no idea why you choose Zoe over Mia? Mia's a bitch. <laughs> Do you know what? Do you know what? Yeah, she's absolutely lying to you even before she becomes a ghoul. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's lying to you the whole time, and then she becomes a, a goopy goon, and she hacks off your hand. And wait, wait, she's infected when she does that, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. Plot, plot, ahoy! That's when Resident Evil gets into its actual plot, and I find that I don't, I don't hate it, uh, but I find it much less interesting than everything that was going on in the Baker House. And what I will say about it in terms of the overall franchise is that it's so it's such um, an achievement by Capcom. That uh, you have Resident Evil Six, which is the most Resident Evil story ever, that just mm-hmm. makes everything grey and bland, and you don't care. To one game over, like a few years later, that by the time Resident Evil stuff like Umbrella starts getting like um, uh, alluded to or referenced in the in the final kind of chunk of Resident Evil Seven, it feels important again. Yeah. It yeah. feels like oh shit, Umbrella, that this is this is cool. So Mia is essentially working for. A bunch of wrongins, and mm-hmm. <laughs> they're making a bioweapon who is also a little girl. And I don't love Evelyn, which is I would say that I would say this game. Like I said, you've got Jack Baker, Margaret Baker, and the Lucas Baker sections, and then the final section of the game is sort of the Evelyn bit. Yeah, and you play as Mia for a big chunk of it because Ethan gets put into a cocoon for a while. Yeah, yeah, that um that bit really does grind the pacing to a halt because you play through the tanker section as Mia. You yeah. get to the top of the tanker. You then find a videotape of like Mia's like backstory or super backstory, secret backstory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you basically you play through the tanker as Mia. Then you play through the backstory on the previous version of the tanker as Mia. Yeah. And then you come back and then you play through that section again as present day Mia. And yeah. Again, like the bakers are are behind you. So the only enemies that are popping up are more of these sort of nondescript molded. Yeah. And it really. It drops to it like it feels like a glacial pace, and it's a shame because the the environments there it's good, are yeah. spooky, and there's some could... good level design as well. Like I like having to kind of figure out how to get between the floors and stuff like that. It's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. It's kind of like a Zelda dungeon. Yeah, there's a bit where there's a lift that stopped between two floors, and you can use it to access either the floor above or the floor below. Yeah, small and... stuff like small stuff like you need to grab the fuse out of a door that you've used, thus closing that door. But you needed to put it in an elevator, so you kind of 
cut your shortcut back to the elevator so you need to take that fuse and then go the long way around. Yeah. I, and I you fucking need to, you adore need to that out, design. Like you that. figure out where the fuse is based on where you'd left it when playing the yeah. flashback as well. Yes, it's, exactly. Yeah. It's good stuff, like, but it's just, it goes on way too long. Yeah. And Evelyn herself, which is, she's the, she's the big MacGuffin. She was a bioweapon being worked on. She was um, the one responsible for infecting the poor Baker family. They found her, this, this ship that you're on crashed. Essentially, she went haywire and killed the crew and turned them into goop. I love saying goop. I'll say goop as I. I don't think when we're talking about other games in the podcast, we won't get opportunities to say goop as much. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna milk it when I'm here. But she, yeah, she crashed. And the Baker family found her washed up, brought her into her house, and she fucked him up because she was actually a bioweapon and she controls them. But Evelyn is good. It's all good stuff. It's just that she is a trope that's been done and done and done and done. And she's not. A, Capcom didn't really find a fresh take on what's essentially long haired ghost girl. You know. Yeah. And it's so it's so less interesting than Jack and Marguerite Baker and their kind of terrifying body horror. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, skipping ahead through some very uninspired cave sections and the obligatory underground lab. <laughs> I, I love the way they, it's the smallest lab in Resident Evil history, but they get a lab in there. And I'm very proud of them. You have to end, you have to end on a lab. You got to have a lab, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you push through it all. You end up back in the guest house from the start you go up into the attic and you face off with evelyn and it's definitely the least interesting boss fight in the game let's leave let's leave one one of the cool twists for the end of the game um unspoken in case people play it yeah sounds good but yeah um, and yeah and like yeah and you fight a big massive resident evil final boss it's actually one of the worst resident evil final bosses it's really easy and um yeah it's just the further you get from that Marguerite boss fight, or like, okay, let's say the further you get from that section where you have to go back into the Baker house to get those two key cards, yeah. the further the game goes on, it's such, it just loses its essence. It strays further from what made it good, and it never becomes a bad game, not even close. It remains and remained incredibly exciting the whole way through it. This <laughs> is a modern Resident Evil game we're playing. What a return to form. I, I'll never take that away from it. Yet, it landed on such a good point and then for its latter half, just kind of doesn't understand what makes it. it it's almost like the developers don't, didn't understand what made their game good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's definitely the takeaway I had as well, is that they had it so right for so long and then just couldn't resist and fucking it you, up. And if you play the DLC after, I'm talking about the main two DLC campaigns, one where you play as um, everyone's fourth favorite Resident Evil character, Chris Redfield, <laughs> and one of them where you play as an unseen baker uncle who um punches monsters with his fists rather than using guns and eats um eats insects in order to gain his health if you include those in the resident evil 7 experience that even that, that takes that idea even further that the more you play the further from the core of resident evil 7 biohazard is just kind of lost and i'd like the dlcs they're fun there's a bit in the chris one where you're down like it has very it's all set in a very bland cave, but there's a bit when you're down in these underground tunnels with just the most mold enemies that the game ever throws at you. Yeah. And I panicked. Yeah. I was running around like a mad... Because you feel powerful as Chris, because he's like, he's Chris Redfield. Yes, yeah. they managed to make me run around. Like There's definitely like red barrels you can shoot to kind of um, take a bunch out at once, but I was like running past them going, oh, I just missed that barrel, but I can't <laughs> go back now. They're after me. And yeah, the, the lived-in pure horror of resident evil 7 is completely lost by the time you play the final dlc uh, and which is it, it, plot wise it's to uh types of loose ends with the character zoe who you decided not to save over your wife if you go for the canonical ending 
but that has a bit, Kev. This is the same game with that Marguerite boss fight with Jack Baker hunting you around the Baker house, which is amazing horror. There's a bit in that where the character Joe Baker you're playing as opens up a case and there is a robot gauntlet that he puts on and it says, power on. And then you spend the rest of the game with action music playing as you punch a bunch of molded with a robot arm. Okay. <laughs> did you play it? Actually? I didn't. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> That's I play, what you're missing. <laughs> I, I played a few of the, because there's a lot of DLC for the game. Yeah. I played the ones that are basically the um, cameraman Clancy torture porn. One of them is excellent. It's like misery. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, your Marguerite has you tied to a bed and she's coming in feeding you food. And when she goes out of the room, you've got to get out of the bed and solve puzzles. But the puzzles always lead to you making a noise accidentally. And when you do, you have a minute to put everything back the way it was and get back into bed before Marguerite comes in. And so um, good. I don't like it. I mean, it's, I do like it, but I don't like it. <laughs> it's so, so viscerally tense. It's so good. Because <laughs> she's just so scary as well, Marguerite. Yeah. She's just a scary monster. And yeah, I remember reading, like, I love Misery, the movie, and it's very tense <laughs> in the movie as well. But I remember reading Misery as a teenager. And that bit where he's he sees that she's coming back into the house. If people don't know what misery is, this is not the podcast for that. You're out <laughs> of the loop. Okay. <laughs> but I just remember like it, that game being an interactive version of what I feel is most one of the most nerve wracking chapters of a book I've ever read. Uh, yeah, that kind of that that affected me. That got me. Yeah. So I think we've um we've we've amply walked through Resident Evil Seven. I think the the real takeaway is that it is overall a very very good game. But about the it's first, an excellent game. It's about an excellent the, game. the first forty percent of it are damn near perfect. Yeah, and it remains like one of the greatest kind of um, return to forms in any long running franchise, but also just a creative kind of pivot as well. Oh, for sure, yeah. It, yeah. And it, it it kind of labeled Resident Evil now for me eternally as a franchise that is not afraid to upend itself and go in a mad direction because this is the second big change like yeah love it or love it whatever like resident evil 4 changed the game back in the day and it, it ended up eventually leading it into the era of you know being more action over horror yeah. but that res that that decision to make resident evil what it was and the, the the creative risks they took was amazing and i think i don't think it's a better game but i think the creative risks that they took with resident evil 7 is equally as impressive for sure yeah um i went online before we mm -hmm. did this this okay. a couple of days ago. I wanted to see what the vibe was, Kev. Okay, a little vibe check. I and I think it's almost fifty-fifty. I was like, I this is not like the most comprehensive list I do. I wanted to see what is the consensus. What do people prefer, Resident Evil Seven Biohazard or Resident Evil Village, the eighth one? And uh, I, I almost fifty-fifty. You know, you kind of I, I I found opinions of going either way. So. Like I said earlier on, this is the Ethan Winters duology. This is uh, Resident Evil 8 is a direct sequel to Resident Evil 7. It continues the story of protagonist Ethan Winters and his wife. But it managed to be a direct sequel to that. It even references Resident Evil 7 a lot in its story. Yet, it's a completely different thing. It's very much its own beast. And I, for, I, for, I for one, find that uh, a good thing. Like yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure there, it, it's easy to lament the fact that they did this amazing thing with Resident Evil 7. They did this very lived-in, gritty horror and then immediately turned away from that with, with the next installment. But I can see the negativity in that. But I'm just, uh, I'm kind of impressed by it. I'm in awe of it. I'm kind of like, wow, like that's, again, 
very kind of brave design to kind of not just repeat what like worked so well with your with your grand redesign of the franchise. Yeah, exactly. It would have been very easy to sit on their laurels and make something <laughs> similar again. Yeah. And instead they've made another big weird swing. And this one maybe hasn't landed for as many people. But I is that, is, 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 is that what your impression is? Yeah, I think I, you might be right, yeah. I don't know. I think I think it might be 50-50 at best. I think maybe skewing more towards seven. Um, personally, I think I prefer eight. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't want to make a decision yet. Yeah, you don't have to. Really. No, nah, I do. I prefer it as well. And that doesn't take anything away from uh, from seven, obviously. Yeah. I do, I do, I do. And I was talking to a friend of mine about it, and he, he was saying it's the only one of the new modern Resident Evils that he kind of he think he thought dropped off and i didn't i didn't ask him at what point in the game he thought it dropped off i i was just like i was like that's very interesting because i think it's the only one that doesn't yeah i think it's the most consistent is 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 a really kind of easy way to describe it kev that in terms of these um this new era in resident evil seven despite its brand new aesthetics that's completely unique seven is carrying the soul of classic resident evil one yeah what resident evil village is carrying the soul of resident evil four the action rebrand absolutely yeah and i suppose in terms of the like the re-embracing of horror genres that we were talking about before we spoke about seven if seven is kind of like embracing sort of texas chainsaw type vibes then eight is kind of like a victory lap through every conceivable <laughs> schlocky b horror yeah. trope that, like, that's it that's it that's exactly it it's it's b movies yeah, is yeah. its main thing you want werewolves we got them werewolves Vampire- on horses <laughs> yeah vampires you betcha yeah. living dolls witches come right down we got them all <laughs> it is weird as fuck and it knows it and i love it and and love it or hate it look it could in just comparing the two games like whichever aesthetic whichever style you prefer like you have, like I said, really gritty horror of Resident Evil 7, the almost dark fantasy of Resident Evil 8. Yeah. Only one of them consistently keeps the tone it sets for itself, and that's Resident Evil 8. Yeah, absolutely. Seven, yeah. seven strays from the path. Eight is like, nope, this is what we're doing. Um, okay, you're in the last act of the game. This never been shown uh, um, in any of the previews or any of that. Now you're fighting the Borg from Star Trek. <laughs> this is, and it, it's, it, it's that commitment to just being... Very silly horror, mm-hmm. but with just so many creative ideas. We complained about the mold being like a kind of a boring enemy, and they needed more uh, enemy variation in, in Resident Evil Seven. I mean, Resident Evil Eight has gotcha. Resident oh, yeah, Evil Seven sure. just has a slew of ridiculous enemies. One, the, the most iconic central one being yeah, werewolves, lichens. They're like the main. These werewolves are the zombies of Resident Evil Eight, and I think that's just wild. Yeah, and it, it's it's like it's it's funny that. Um... Evil Dead was such a, a touch point for the development of Seven, because I think if anything, Eight is the more Sam Raimi e game. Yeah. Yeah. It um it might be a weird comparison, but it, it kind of almost put me in mind of Sam Raimi's recent Doctor Strange movie. Ooh, where it's, controversial! It's just so weird and kind of gross <laughs> and silly, and it knows how weird and gross and silly it is, and it doesn't fucking care. And you're if you're along for the ride, you'll have a damn good time. And if you're not, like, I can completely understand someone bouncing off it, uh, both Doctor Strange and Resi 8, but I'm fully fucking on board. Because almost like what it isn't is, you know, scary. It's tense. There's a lot of tense fights in it, and it has an atmosphere that's all its own. But I can imagine it being jarring or galling almost to kind of Resident Evil's grand return to like true horror in Resident Evil 7. And then Resident Evil 8. Ah, I'm not scared playing this one. Yeah, with one exception. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
I think like I just want I just like I don't want to spoil too much, but I just think if you're a new parent, if anyone's listening who's a new parent, I think you should play Resident Evil. Eight. I'm just gonna... No, <laughs> absolutely not. I'm just going to leave it at that. And I think what? your baby, should, your baby should be in the room with you when you play. It. No, <laughs> I beg of you, anyone listening, please disregard that. Give it a little bit of time. Oh, uh, anyway, um, plot. <laughs> Yeah, they've got bucket loads of it. I, I'm going to begin this by saying I, I I think one of the things we kind of did when we were talking about previous Resident Evil games was kind of shit on it as um, an overarching story. And I, I I think I'm mostly being facetious. I dig Resident Evil's characters and stories. I just don't think it's particularly like good Yeah, in a traditional sense, but I doesn't mean I don't love it. I love Albert Wesker <laughs> and all the rest. But um. I kind of do like 7 and 8 as a kind of little mini story arc. Yeah. And Ethan in the first game is, like I said, he's almost like, it's a first person game. They want you to kind of, um, him to be a surrogate for the player. That's the impression I got because he's kind of bland. Yeah. And he kind of reacts weirdly in 7. You almost kind of want him to react, like he'd be more terrified to kind of match the real visceral horror. But I think 8 does a really neat trick of managing to make him a real character. And 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 his main motivation, he's a simple character. In the first one, in seven, he's rescuing his wife. But in, in Resident Evil 8, his character just is, dad is too angry to die. Yeah. <laughs> That's essentially, you're rescuing your baby, your newborn baby in this one, who's been kidnapped by a cult and brought to this um, village. Uh, the, the titular village, Kev. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's, that's Ethan's thing. He just wants to rescue his his daughter Rose and he will shoot werewolves in the face until he does that. Yeah, I love that there, there's a throwaway line at the very start where Ethan's like, oh, it's been so busy lately. We've moved to this new country. We've had all that military training. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because Ethan Winters is the first Resident Evil protagonist, every man in the main series. I haven't played all the spinoffs. But no, in, in 8, he's just like, yeah, mildly trained military man. So he's he does he's, he has a whole different vibe. The uh, one way that it kind of, it, it, it reminds me of four i'm sure it's an intention thing is the sort of very weird rogues gallery of characters that pop up yeah well one of them is quite famous on the internet yep uh you got your you got your standard nine foot tall vampire mommy (laughs) i can can never do you know what (laughs) she's often in my mind kev but i can never say her name what is it lady demescu dimitrescu 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 um she's the iconic one for a reason yeah, like we went on about Jack and Marguerite Baker being one of the best um, Resident Evil monsters, and I think if Eight has one that deserves to be in that kind of level of pantheon, it's oh, it's, sure. uh, it's, it's it's her. She's fantastic, and as yeah. a creature that hunts you around her area as well, I don't think she's scary in the way that like, Jack is or like Mister X is in the two remake. But the way a door can suddenly open and she's like almost like crawling, no, not crawling through, but she's ducking through the yeah. door, almost almost blooming from the doorway. And she's just a massive, imposing frame before he was really effective and really funny. Yeah. Resident Evil 8 makes me, like, 7 makes me, like, makes me have a feeling in the pit of my stomach. Resident Evil 8 makes me laugh a lot. It's it's, it's like that, um, it's one of those, that kind of horror where you kind of go, huh, and then you start laughing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's because she's so ridiculously unfeasibly tall, she does, <laughs> you know, have to stoop to get in through doorways. And then she has this sort of Freddy Krueger-esque claw hand weapon. Yeah, so yeah, So you yeah. see her, like, stoop into a room, stand up to her full height, and then extend the claw very dramatically. You're like, ah, oh, shit. And it's so, it's so calculated. Capcom knew what they were doing because she has oh, sure. 
three goth vampire daughters. Who are made of bees. (laughs) Hey, spoilers. They're made of bees. (laughs) So can we talk about the structure of this game? We're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. I just really wanted to talk about it, didn't I? But um, I love the structure of this game. I think it might be one of my main reasons why I prefer it over seven almost, you know? (laughs) Like, I might even, I like, I, I pit, pitting their, their, tones against each other i i can't decide kev but structurally i definitely prefer eight and it has a very gamey structure it has a very kind of there's a central village and there is kind of four what are they called dukes is that what they call them in the game no they're the, the lords lords of the that's right they're the lords of the village and the structure of the game is you begin in the village you go to one of the lords it's the vampire first you come back there's new stuff open to do in the village you go off to the next lord you come back the village is open again and the village is this hub that you return to yep. that you kind of unfurl through the game and it's so satisfying to come back and kind of start cl- you come back maybe with a new item you have a crank now a good old resident Evil crank and now you can Gotta do have a crank. different things in the village that stuff like pokes my kind of zelda loving brain mm-hmm. it's very zelda like all right very Zelda-like, and it's very uh, it's very kind of anti-horror, <laughs> maybe, to have just these four ridiculous kind of cartoon villains, but I think they're all great. I yeah. think they made four really cool, memorable characters who were very different from each other, and they're, they're all good bosses as well. And the, the constant backtracking through the village as well, it has gives them the opportunity to change like enemy positions and set up new encounters when you come back, so you can never be quite comfortable. You feel like, you know, I've definitely cleared out this part of the village. Then you go fight fight one of the lords, you come back, and suddenly things have changed. It constantly keeps you on your toes. Very, very good part where you get um, a key item. You return you return to the village and a bunch of ghouls bust out of a crypt. That's one of the changes. Now that yeah. crypt is open and you get like a, a tablet, half a tablet. And I'm like, yeah, I know exactly where that tablet goes. I need to backtrack a little bit. And then you yep. backtrack and you get there and a massive guy with an axe just jumps down. Just like I said, it's that kind of scared, but like immediately laughing like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and then it's like an optional boss fight. I love stuff with like that, Nate. It's, it's so fun. Like it has such a, it has such a playfulness to it. I, it's so telegraphed and so obvious. But you remember the bit where you pick up a photograph and it says, look out the window. Yeah. On, on it <laughs> and, yeah. you, and you go over to the other side of the room and you look out the window and oh there's a number on the window frame there's an oh but there's also a number on the wall outside and there's another one if i stand at a certain angle maybe i can make a, these numbers line up ah <laughs> werewolf is jumping at me <laughs> he just yeah. spawns right outside the window and goes blah essentially and it's so cheap almost but oh yeah. fuck it i love it i, lo- uh, I love it that sort of thing. It's, it sums it up it sums up the game the kind of <laughs> kind of um the vibe of it i think but yeah, going back to um, going back to the bosses, uh, you have Lady Demetresk. Is that her name, Kev? Demetresk, yeah. You have, ooh, I'm not going to get this one. Donna Bellavito. Uh, ben- Beneviento or something, I think it is. I, I, you, yeah. I think you absolutely nailed it. You, you were all like, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I think yeah, it's I think this. actually you'll find it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it is. But uh, I alluded to not wanting to spoil this part, and I made a joke about um, new parents there, but I do want to spoil it, actually. Yeah, go for it. You, you, you have to talk about it. It's the part of this game that um, strips you of your weapons when you get to her place. She lives in a kind of a house, and you go down to her basement. She's a doll maker, essentially. She talks to um, this creepy possessed doll that might be the furthest thing from classic Resident Evil I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, it's like a ch- bride of Chucky type thing. And uh, yeah, it strips you of your weapons for a more puzzle, atmospheric-oriented section of the game. Now, I've said this before when we're talking about the genre, Kev. 
I find that when I'm stripped of my weapons in a survival horror, I actually kind of breathe a sigh of relief because I have less. You, you, you're supposed to feel powerless. Yeah. But I, I'm actually like, no, I have less options open to me now. I have less ability to fuck it up for myself by wasting ammo. Yeah, I no longer need, <laughs> I no longer need to stress about ammo because I don't have any. Exactly. That In saying that, this is an incredibly memorable part of the game. I think probably one of the most um, famous parts of the game. Uh, that culminate, uh, This puzzles you're solving. It's great. Uh, it's much slower, more atmospheric. There's some good jump out scares of things appearing when you open the door. But it culminates in you being chased around the basement by one of Resident Evil's best monster designs, an absolutely horrible demonic baby. Yeah. And the sound design. Oh, Christ, yeah. It's absolutely it's fantastic. So disturbing. And I don't think it's like, you're not going to have nightmares about it. I think some people inc- could. <laughs> I think it is horrific. <laughs> but it is incredibly tense. And what's really great about it, I think, is that I don't, I don't know if this was intentional, but uh, I think the game is so well designed. I actually think it might be. When you're wandering around that bit before the baby comes, mm-hmm. and you're solving the puzzles, you can get into lockers. And I remember thinking, why can I hide? Yeah. I don't like that. And it's actually a really kind of interesting way to uh, foreshadow what's about to happen, that you're going to have to hide around this place because there's going to be something chasing you. And it takes a while for them to uh, pull the switch on that baby coming at you. You're down in that basement for a while solving puzzles before it comes out. So I was like, why, why, why did they give me the option to hide? What am I hiding from? It kind of just puts you on, keeps you on your toes the whole time. Yeah, and it is the Resident Evil enemy or creature design that probably best deserves the word that you've enjoyed using so far today. It is very goopy. It's goopy and slimy and wet. Yeah. And, and it looks like a demon baby. And it's sort of half crying, half laughing. laughing. And you said like the, the sound design of as it's crawling along the floor is sort of its wet paws <laughs> slapping the wood. Jesus, I got to get fucking gone for it, aren't you? Yeah, no, it's really unpleasant. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bit where if, if you make it far enough through, it, it kind of, it despawns for a second and you proceed into a new area. And you kind of find the fuse you need to reactivate the elevator. And then on your way back, obviously, they plop it straight down in front of you. Yeah, I'm hiding under a bed. You have to, exactly, you have to hide under the, be- under the bed and watch it sort of slither crawl its way in before you work up the courage to scooch out and run for it. It is awful, and I love it. When I first played this game, um, it didn't kill me. And it killed me this time. Oh, it ate me. <laughs> Fun. And it's uh, it's extremely gross. I actually had never seen the death animation before. Yeah, it's it's grim, all right. And they uh, to get ahead of myself, the DLC for this game, uh, which came out like was it when we were recording it two weeks ago? Maybe yep. it um it reuses places in the in the, in, mm-hmm. in the main game. So you go back to the castle where Lady Demetrescu is, and it, it reuses that basement. And you know what? They won up the baby. Yeah, it's it's actually somehow <laughs> they did creepier. it. They reuse that place and they make a scarier basement section. Yeah, it's um because the DLC is so new, I, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, because I it, think it, you're is, right, it is a very effective bit. But um, yeah, if anyone if anyone listening has played eight and hasn't played the Shadows of Rose campaign for the DLC yet, give it a look. It's um. I thought it was very good. I thought it was really good, yeah. Maybe we can just cover that now. You're right. Maybe we shouldn't talk about Shadows of Rose in too much detail. So for just my quick review, I thought it was really good. The first half of it's like a mini Resident Evil mm-hmm. with, a, with a repurposed castle to explore. And then you get like a knockout uh, middle section that's just um, pure horror and the epitome of that 
um, wordless kind of thing I'm trying to describe this game as, where you're scared, but you're laughing. Yeah. It's uh, great. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's a shame because it's so good that the rest of the DLC can't quite match match it. Yeah, yeah. It, um, it also, it has something that I normally absolutely fucking hate in a game, which mm-hmm. is uh, obligatory stealth bits in games that aren't stealth based. Yeah, it was okay though. It was really but, weird. Yeah, it actually it, it 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 sort of plot and setup wise it earns it, and then mechanically it just kind of works. It's it's really solid. But it, this is the thing about that stealth section is it comes right after that bit that we've decided yeah. not to say, and the, the bit that we're not saying is just so much better. So we're like, why yeah. do the traditional stealth section after you do the really creative thing? But since we're not saying it, we might as well not talk about it anymore. Um, there's there's two more dukes. No, they're not dukes, are they? They're lords. Yep. Um, so you go out to a swamp area and you go to a massive factory and the factory is sort of um, Resident Evil 8's uh, <laughs> lab, almost. Kind of, The yeah. most creative lab you'll ever see. In a re- Although you do get to a lab in the end of the game. It's only one room, though. Yeah. But um, I think they're both excellent as well. So, like like I said, I think I can imagine, like my, like my friend saying, I thought I, this game fell off and I never asked him what, what mm-hmm. part he thought. But I can imagine... Uh, after the castle, even very early on, like are, are the are the other locations as good as that castle? I'm like, no, I don't think so. I think that's an early high point. But then again, like the section with the baby is also fantastic, and I don't think it, it despite, despite the fact that the swamp and the caves and then the factory maybe aren't as good as what came before. It ain't like Resident Evil Seven, where it just feels like a kind of um, yeah, the spirit of the game has been compromised. It's consistently good and enjoyable and like excellently paced. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I could understand if someone took exception with how linear the game becomes towards the end. Now, I mean, it's always linear. You can't like choose to fight the lords in any order or anything like that. But because of the way it drops you back into the village after every after resolving each of the lords, and kind of lets you explore and play around there, and as we said, it, it you know it unlocks new parts of the village for you to explore. You get new key items. You find new enemies. It kind of makes it feel more self-driven and exploratory whereas once you've once you cross that bridge to go to the factory it it is kind of one thing happens and then another and then another until credits you know so yeah i I can understand someone taking exception to that but personally i think it's really solidly paced but i kind of do want to talk about the ending section of the game and i want to talk about um the main villain uh, what do you think of Mother Miranda, who turns out to be the main villain? Because I think there's a problem where they designed the four lords to be so cool and interesting that they kind of overshadow the main villain. Yeah, I have almost no opinion on Mother Miranda, which I think she is, is about as resounding of a, a no as I can give. Like, she's basically non-existent. Really, yeah. Well, I think she's functional shorthand for the theme of the game. Okay, because yeah. She is essentially trying to, she's 100 years old or more, and she's essentially trying to resurrect her dead daughter. Mm-hmm. So, like many Resident Evil games, I'm not going to go on that Resident Evil 8 has this like astoundingly thematic storyline. <laughs> but it is quite clean that you essentially have a hero who will die for his daughter, he will give anything, and you have a villain who will take anything for their daughter. Yeah. That's just, that's, that's good. That's a little bit more than, you know... Albert Wesker made a tyrant in a lab secretly. And again, love it. <laughs> but that's a little bit more going on. So although I do agree with you, she's not very bland. Although better Resident Evil games have had blander main villains, like Lord Sadler in Resident Evil 8, uh, 4, excuse me. Yep, I don't absolutely. Think I'll give you that. I don't think he's particularly good. But 
Also, uh, I might spoil her for fucking no one cares. She comes back into the DLC as well, and I'm kind of like, ah, go away. Yeah. I actually remember going, oh, go away. We've done you already. <laughs> yeah. But more to that, so she's revealed at the end. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, despite what I said there, that she's not like the most interesting thing. But what do you think of everything post Ethan getting his heart ripped out and quote unquote dying, where you're suddenly playing as uh, series heartthrob <laughs> slash, <laughs> slash main character Chris Redfield for a while? Everyone's fourth favorite character, Chris Redfield. Everyone's fourth favorite character. Because I was, first time playing it, I thought it was cool. I thought it was a hype yeah. moment, but I was ready to kind of go, uh oh. I'm now Chris and there's soldier guys with me and they're saying things like sit rep. And I'm, yeah. kind, of, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I was like, I'm, I'm missing, I, I already missed the Gothic aesthetic, but yeah. I actually like that bit. Yeah. I, um, I liked it more the first time around. I yeah, really? had a little less patience for it this time around because Liam, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> okay. there's, there's this bit where you're in the middle of the village and you're fighting off wave after wave of enemies. You need to, you know, essentially paint these targets yeah, by yeah. sort of pointing a laser at them but you can't operate your guns while you're operating the laser and I died loads and after <laughs> did, and, did you, yeah. Yeah, and after a while I was just like oh this isn't fun anymore I want to go back to the let me go back to the schlocky stuff I don't like this but you know the kind of um, ongoing uh, light motif for lack of a better word of returning to the village multiple times during the game and mm-hmm. then opening it up I like it I think it's I like it as an arc through the whole game that they not only have you return to the village one more time but it's to um, facilitate a huge action set piece in areas you've been you've been spending the whole game in, and it's almost like you burning the village to the ground, putting yeah. the rest. You're not literally doing that, but it feels like this place that you've inhabited for the entire ten or so hours of the game is now going to be blown to shit, and it's a good little cherry on top. And I just like how many enemies there are. I know you said you died a lot. Yeah, you're given so much ammo at the start that you feel so powerful. You're Chris Redfield. Great. But I, I think what's great about that is how quickly you realize that there's actually probably more enemies than the a massive amount of ammo you have. So it, it yeah. kind of quickly becomes quite stressful. I, I like that bit. It's not the high point of Resident Evil 8 by any by any stretch, but I like that bit. And I, 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 I really expected not to. Yeah, I think my fear when it happened the first time around is I was getting sort of flashbacks to Code Veronica. Oh, yeah. Where you have to fight the main boss as Chris, despite him not really being a main character for most of the game. Oh, you thought the game was going to end with them? Um... I was. There was a little part of me that was worried that, like, I was going to f- finish the game out as Chris, and that mm. would feel really fucking cheap. Well, yeah, I'll just talk about that because like, there was one little plot twist of Resident Evil Seven. I didn't want to spoil just just because why not? But Eight has a cool plot twist at the end of it that actually ties both games together really, really well. Mm-hmm. And it actually was there's there was like in Resident Evil Seven, Ethan gets his hand chopped off. Like I said, I got my foot chopped off when I played it. And he can just pour magic healing water on it and stick it back on. And Capcom never explained that. And for kind of the years between Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil Village, it was kind of like a meme almost. And I would be perfectly happy if they just went, ah, fuck it, you know. It's a video game, get over it. It's a video, it's a video game, exactly. It's a video game, get over it. This, this man can stick his hand back on because we want him to have two hands for the rest <laughs> of the game, you know. But we also want to chop it off with a chainsaw. I would be satisfied. In saying that, it is cooler that Resident Evil 8 decides to make that a plot point. Uh, Ethan died at the beginning of Resident Evil 7. Jack Baker curb stomped his face in, and he's been kind of um, reformed in the in the in the mold. And the mold is such a 
like I like the mold as the kind of T virus of these two games, but yeah. it's kind of what it's kind of whatever the riders want it to be. Yeah, because it effect, it affects certain people differently, and it seems to with Ethan, he's like really good at being affected by mold, so he just got recreated as a mold person, and he's been dead the whole time because it also gives that it, it gives something that like the main Resident Evil games don't have, and actually. I'm not going to say I found it super emotional, but it is in its own kind yeah. of sphere. An emotional ending. You get a character who sacrifices himself for his daughter. You get a character who dies. Ethan Winter gives everything in the end. And that's good. That's good stuff. I yeah. actually, someone who's <laughs> cynical about um, Resident Evil as, as a story, I was like, oh, shit, good. I can't believe it actually tied the two games together really well and gave a very satisfying ending. And without spoilers, Shadows of Rose, the DLC, really is, feels like, a proper ending to the kind of winters section of this franchise you know yeah absolutely which is why i'm a little bit baffled that they made the choice they did with the very end of shadows of rose for the, the cutscene there i don't know if you want to go into it but you thought you want to see more it i don't know i don't know i wanted to see less maybe mm-hmm. i will say that the dlc shadow of rose is set 16 years after the main game so i'm kind of like Will, will other Resident Evil games now be set? In the future? Years? Yeah, good question. Actually, a, a good point to go on to now, I guess, is um, where what do you see in the future for this franchise? Because I think uh, I think one of the things I just like, kind of an almost summation of our three episodes we did on Resident Evil is that I love classic Resident Evil games on the PS One and everything, but I'm not saying they're better or worse, but I just think the last five years has been so good for this franchise. Yeah, like from Resident Evil Seven onwards, um, they've been just absolutely nailing it. So I don't know what's next for the main. Like we're getting what well, what I do know what's next. We're getting a remake of Resident Evil Four, mm-hmm. which I would say I was staunchly against. I was always like, it's a masterpiece, it's untouchable. You don't need to remake it. What a waste of time. It's kind of like the Last of Us remake. You know, you don't have to do it. And then one trailer, I was like, oh my god, hook it to my veins. I want it. You saw him. Looks- you saw him parry the chainsaw. <laughs> I did. I saw him parry the chainsaw, and I, I, I think it looks excellent. But yeah. Easily one of my most anticipated games at the moment. But in terms of what what's up with the main franchise, what's going to be Resident Evil Nine? Like my answer is, I don't know. But I I'm at a point where I completely trust Capcom. Yeah, and it's weird because, like, as we said at the top, you know, before Seven. The idea that we would have faith in Capcom, yeah, <laughs> was kind of, would have been a silly notion. But I mean, they're absolutely killing it these days. Like Devil May Cry Five is regarded yeah. by fans of that franchise as as maybe the best one. Uh, Monster Hunter World sold absolute gangbusters. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise did the unthinkable, and you know made me play a Monster Hunter game. Yeah, I really enjoyed that game. Uh, Street Fighter Six is looking great. Looks really cool. Uh, like we said, the last four Resi releases have been really good. Three of them being excellent. You know, I think Capcom really fell off for me in the kind of PS3, Xbox 360 era mm-hmm. when like Resident Evil Five and Six were coming out, and they were making games like kind of with with a Western flavor, like uh, Lost Planet and that one where you're a man on a jetpack that I can't remember what it's called for the yeah. life of me. So it is great that I do think they're one of um, the most exciting, like for a company that's so old and it's sitting on so many classics, they're um, they're one of the most exciting developers working at the moment. And I don't think I've ever been a bigger Resident Evil fan in my entire life than I am now, because I I got said before in the podcast, I was quite frightened by Resident Evil when I was a kid. So there were more of my older brother's games. I was Metal Gear Solid and Mario and uh, Zelda were my main loves. So I I generally now don't think I've ever been a bigger Resident Evil fan. I'm actually thinking of... um, I'm thinking of buying figurines. Oh, you absolutely <laughs> should do that. Yeah. 
And will it be one of Resident Evil's many hot female characters? Uh, oh, it'll or be, it'll, it'll be Jack Baker one. It's Leon. I want Leon. Leon, of course. It is. I, want, <laughs> I want Leon in my room. <laughs> and I'm going to say, I'm going to leave that with an air of mystery to it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think we've, um, we've fairly amply covered both games. So I think the, yeah. the fair conclusion we can kind of take away from all this and that I hope the listeners will take away too is that we need a new Dino Crisis game as soon as possible. Yeah. I think I should just play Dino Crisis 1 because I've actually never played it. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. I play, no, I played it. I rented it when I was a kid. I talked about this briefly when I did um, Games That Deserve Sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, people check that episode out. I made it while I had COVID. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I I played it. I re- we rented it back in the day, but I never really put a dent in it. So, yeah, I should just play that one. It's like a hidden gem. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Did you know, actually, speaking of previous episodes, Kev, did you know that I uh, last year, almost a year ago, I named Resident Evil 8 as the best game of 2021. I did know that. uh, And kind of a full stop to this episode, I still stand by that. And I would recommend people play Resident Evil 7 and 8 or two of the best games of the last five years. And um, if you don't like horror um, games, uh, Jonathan Morrissey, play it anyway. (laughs) They're brilliant. Seriously, they're fantastic. Yeah, especially now that 8 has the, um, the third person mode added in the recent DLC. Um, yeah, I think we both yeah, on our, our recent playthroughs played it with that, and it's it's great. Like it 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 removes you a step from what's happening. Obviously, the, yeah. the extra distance kind of reduces the the atmosphere and the horror of it, and makes it feel more video gamey. And that's not necessarily a bad thing; it's just a different thing. But I I personally would recommend anyone who thinks they can stomach it play it in the first person mode the first time around but if you think that would stress you out too much absolutely play the third person mode it's still yeah. a really fucking good game yeah well put options are good like you know 100%, yeah. I, I think if i ever played it again i'd go back to first person i think so i think that's the better way to play it but yeah completely right and with that we will say goodbye uh maybe someday i've talked about resident Evil 4 before in this podcast kev i did it on a, a one of the episodes but now we've talked about all the main resident evil games except for four yeah so when is the sequ- when is the remake coming out? March, I think tentatively, yeah, March. So oh, let's put a pin on. Maybe we'll we'll cover Resident Evil Four yeah. in, in um yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll circle back around to it. Who knows? We did Silent Hill last time we were together. Um, last episode was the Jonathan Morrissey episode. Uh, the Steam Deck, I love that. Fascinating, that was excellent, actually. Yeah, I fascinating. Yeah, I shout actually, out to Morrissey. I, that was that was great. I he actually, actually almost convinced me, like yeah, that, yeah, this thing could replace all <laughs> all of uh, other consoles. You know? Yeah, I. I put in a pre-order for the Steam Deck when they first came around yeah. and then my number came up but I was like not in a solid place financially so I was like uh, I'll just say no and I'll join the queue and it'll come Oof. back up again so I did that and then it came back up and I was like ah no still not ready so I'll, I'll, I'll let it go I'll join the queue again except there is no queue anymore <laughs> so, oh no so now, <laughs> now I'm just like ah do I just buy it and then I listened to Marcy's episode I was like yeah I should probably just buy one yeah, man, it's, so, it sounds um, class. I, I, so yeah. basically, Marcy owes me about 500 bucks, is what I'm saying. That's how it works, right? But what I was going to say was, you know, not including his episode, which is last week, the last two episodes of this podcast I've recorded have been Silent Hill and now Resident Evil, and Christmas is coming. So I'm going to endeavor to try to get an episode about something nice next time. Yeah, exactly. Something nice and fluffy and warm. And in but the for mean, now, in the meantime, oh. keep an eye out for the sex foils. <laughs> we're, we're, wheels are in motion. We're, we're getting our, our 90s. TV show podcast ready. It's going to be called The Sex Files or 
um, Star Trek The Next Penetration. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Grand. <laughs> <laughs>